Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings to us all as we near the Feast of Easter and bring in all of the resurrection energy. We'll be working with that again tonight, to this, this afternoon. So let us take this time to go into our heart center and begin our service work for ourselves and humanity. So please set aside the rest of the world at this moment. Going into your heart center, that beautiful heart portal within. As we call forth for each one of us the full emergence with our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence, also known as the planetary Christ presence. And we ask for the full emergence and integration the maximum that we can receive ever expanding to perfection. See yourself in your mighty pillar of light, that ascension column that always exists around you at all times. All we need to do is move our awareness to that grand and glorious pillar of light. See, sense, and feel it fully anchored directly to source and directly to the heart of Mother Earth. It is filled today with a beautiful rainbow white light, bringing in the Mahatma frequencies that connects us to all that is. It is at this level of the I am presence that we are connected to all humanity, and thus we invite them in. Please repeat after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And feel your heart and your soul expand, overflowing with gratitude at this acknowledgement. overflowing with love for all life as we connect heart to heart, high heart to high heart, in cosmic heart to cosmic heart with every single person on the planet as well as to the cosmic heart of all that is. Take a nice deep breath as we invite in for each and every one all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, 
all the generations forward. Our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome at this time for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms, all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. We welcome all of the ascended master realms, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healing teams. We welcome our brothers and sisters from the Galactic Federation of Light, including those that we work most closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service here today. We welcome your assistance. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven and ask our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law through the mighty I am presence of every man, woman, and child in divine order for each one as we call in the highest of ascension frequencies individually and collectively for both planetary and cosmic ascension. We welcome the assistance of all the rays, all of the flames, all universal laws, and all ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received through each cell, chakra, meridian layer of our auric field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well, on divine order. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody each frequency, each gift, each blessing with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy. Serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. We ask that all that we receive be received by Mother Gaia. We invite in everyone in our circle of support from the very first name that created it to each and every man, woman, and child 
and all that we've placed in the circle, all that need to be in the circle, everyone and everything, each group, each organization, each institution, each each government, each nation, each military, all governmental leaders, all businesses and and corporations, all weather patterns, all summits, all meetings, all conditions, all situations, every event that we've placed in it from the beginning of time. We call this forth to receive all that we receive as we hold everyone and everything in divine perfection. And we recommit ourselves to being that bridge between heaven and earth. The anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut. We call forth all of the energies of the time and our collective cup of consciousness to work with us for transformation of the planet, including all of the attention and um, energy around all religious holidays, the Passover, the Palm Sunday tomorrow, Easter Sunday, the Orthodox holidays as well, the Muslim holidays as well. All of that energy we called in to be utilized by us for the transformation of the planet, for the creation of heaven on earth, for the full anchoring of heaven in every single way. We ask that Gaia receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her auric field multidimensionally through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light, as we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution along with Gaia, as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. We're going to work as we begin on the violet plane. See it, sense it, experience it. As I say, as one voice for us, I am my presence. And I am with the I am presence of every person on earth. I am also one with my mother, father, God and the entire company of heaven. Now as one voice, one heartbeat, one breath and one energy, vibration and consciousness of pure divine love, we invoke the most intensified frequencies of God's crystalline solar, diamond, violet flame of infinite perfection that the earth and humanity are capable of receiving in this divine moment. We open the stargates of our hearts and we are instantly the open door for the most powerful fifth dimensional frequencies of the violet flame of God's infinite perfection the earth has ever experienced. The violet flame pulsates through our heart flames 
and blazes in through and around all inharmonious action, all over human consciousness, and all obstructions of the light that any person, place, condition, or thing has ever placed in the pathway of life's perfection. Instantly, the violet flame transmutes this discordant energy, cause, core, effect, record, and memory back into its original perfection. Now the violet fire angels take their strategic positions over every country, state, city, town, village, and hamlet on the planet. These selfless messengers of our Mother, Father, God reach out their great loving arms and raise up a limitless number of people in each location who are willing to participate in the faithful use of the violet flame of God's infinite perfection. Each of these people understand the full importance of the violet flame being offered by our Mother, Father, God to help free all humanity from all human distress. The conscious use of this mighty power from the heart of God, Goddess, will cause to be established within every one of these places, great foci of the violet flame, which will continually bathe every person in each vicinity until humanity's human miscreations are fully transmuted back into light and the body of Mother Earth is healed and restored to her original perfection. And now through the clarion call of the I am presence of all humanity and the legions of light throughout infinity, the violet flame begins to expand, expand, expand. It merges with the immortal, victorious threefold flame blazing in every person's heart and explodes into a tremendous starburst of light. This miraculous influx of the highest frequencies of the violet flame increases to the intensity and power of a thousand suns. Beloved legions of light associated with the fifth dimensional violet flame of God's infinite perfection. Blaze, blaze, blaze the light of a thousand suns through the etheric, physical, mental, and emotional strata within the bodies of Mother Earth until the elements of Earth, air, water, fire, and ether are purified and restored to their pristine beauty. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all of the vulnerable areas in the body of Mother Earth. Reinforce with bolts of violet lightning all of the faults, <clears throat> cracks, fissures, tectonic plates, and the wounds created in the body of Mother Earth through nuclear testing, mining, drilling for oil, and every other human affliction. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through the thoughts, words, actions, and feelings of every man, woman, and child evolving on Earth until every person individually acknowledges and accepts the oneness of all life, and every expression reflects the reverence of all life. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all incoming babies, the children, the children, their parents and guardians, 
until all youth are raised up in energy, vibration, and consciousness to carry out the directives of their I am presence. <clears throat> Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all youth centers and activities, all schools, colleges, and universities, all leaders, teachers, instructors and professors in every line of endeavor until the flame of God illumination and enlightenment is manifest and eternally sustained. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all religions and spiritual teachings so that divine love, divine truth, tolerance, and universal sisterhood and brotherhood will quickly manifest all across the planet. Blaze the light of a thousand suns for all doctors, nurses, healers, hospitals, insurance companies, pharmaceutical conglomerates, every single institution associated with healing of any kind until divine mercy, healing, compassion, and vibrant health are tangible realities for every evolving soul. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all banking and financial institutions, all economic systems, all money, and the people associated with monetary interactions of any kind until every person on earth is openly demonstrating true integrity, honesty, generosity, fairness, abundance, and the God got a supply of all good things. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all places, places of incarceration, and all employed there, through every correctional institution, all law enforcement personnel, every judge, jury, and court of law, until divine justice is manifest and eternally sustained. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all space activities throughout the world, until every nation unites in cooperative service, so that God's will may be manifest with our sisters and brothers throughout the universe. May blaze, blaze, blaze the light of a thousand suns through the physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies of humanity until all dis-ease and human miscreation, its cause and core, is fully dissolved and transmuted into vibrant health, eternal youth, and physical perfection. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through the food and water industries and through all of the food and water used for human consumption, and for every particle of food and every molecule of water is filled with light. Empower this elemental substance to raise the vibratory action of humanity's physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies until physical perfection becomes a sustained manifest reality for every human being. Blaze the light of a thousand suns in through and around every remaining electron of precious life energy until the immaculate concept of the new earth is manifest and all life evolving here is wholly ascended and free. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the frequencies of divine love as we call forth for peace across the planet. Calling forth divine intervention. 
In the name of the all-pervading presence, we call forth all benevolent fields of consciousness from the realms of light to launch into immediate action. Great Spirit emptied the vaults of heaven and supported this mighty endeavor to restore love and goodness as the primary governing principles in each and every country across the planet. Thank you for empowering us to assist in this important task. Please assist us, Holy Spirit, in inaugurating the era of the right use of power in accordance with the divine plan. Let the power of love guide every thought, action, word, and of all people on earth. Almighty Creator, we invoke the full commanding action of the universal lightning bolt of divine will to blaze through our group body and the entire region of Ukraine and all of Europe and each and every nation across the planet. Help us all to realign with our true source of power, the living spark of your loving presence beating in our hearts. Thy will be done. We command the light of wisdom to saturate the whole of humanity with increased focus on what is going on in Ukraine. With great equanimity, assist us to acknowledge our responsibility for individual and collective contributions to the illusion of separation and world conflict. May we truly learn from our conflicted past and move forward to build a new present in the harmony, in the spirit of harmony and pure love. Dear angels of mercy and compassion, blaze the light of forgiveness in through and around every electron a precious life energy in Ukraine and in every single nation of the planet. Facilitate true healing and forgiveness between all perpetrators and victims of violence. Bring peace, understanding, and comfort to both parties. May right human relations be realized in every country of the world. We call forth the mightiest dreams of universal cosmic light to effect a relentless and thorough psychological cleansing in divine order of the subconscious mind of every man, woman, and child upon this planet. Through the law of grace, purge and redeem all humanity from any and all programs of violent conflict and separation in perfect accordance with the greater will. Beloved ones, we invoke your assistance in opening the doors to even greater international cooperation. Keep pouring the light of universal will into every world leader, every governmental body, every military faction, NGO, societal agency, global think tank, and peacemaker to support the greatest humanitarian outpouring of goodwill the world has ever seen. Let divine love prevail in every nation that all people love. In the name of unity consciousness, we command the light of illumined understanding and unconditional love to penetrate the hearts and minds of all individuals, groups, and leaders 
currently assisting uh, in the peaceful rehabilitation of any and all war-torn nations across the planet. May these selfless efforts be sustained through a constant stream of divine intervention until harmony is irrevocably restored. Divine Presence, please provide the necessary ongoing care and support for all of the refugees and displaced people in all the many, many regions that this is taking place around the world. Surge the light of love through all of these brave souls. Inspire new and innovative solutions that aim to permanently resolve this humanitarian crisis. In the name of all that is sacred, we command the light of truth to flame in exquisite brilliance through every form of medium. Permanently dispel all glamorization of war and violence in movies, video games, social media, newspapers, books, TV shows, news programs, and any other channels of media currently used on Earth. Expose all those who have used the media to enslave and manipulate the minds of the masses with endless demonstrations of war and violence. Let the truth be revealed. We call forth and invoke the new Earth societal templates for education and technology to be anchored into the unity grid now. Great presence of all life, please assist us in sparking an even greater holistic revolution in all current educational systems to focus on bringing about the highest potential in every human soul. Simultaneously bring forth the most beneficial advancements in technology that will support our smooth transition into living in absolute harmony with the earth and with each other. Beloved Mother, Father, God, please continue to saturate the land, atmosphere, water, oil, and all expressions of life throughout the planet with the light of divine love. Prepare all of our lands and all of our beautiful people for the imminent return of the law of one. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us to celebrate our cultural differences and to humbly acknowledge the truth of our inherent unity as one family of humanity. We seal this activity in cosmic love, cosmic peace, and cosmic power. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. <coughs> We're going to do the World Healing Meditation and calling everyone to join us in unity consciousness. In the beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now is the time of the new beginning. I am a co-creator with God. And it is the new heaven that comes as the goodwill of God is expressed on earth through me. It is the kingdom of light, love, peace, and understanding 
and I'm doing my part to reveal its reality. I begin with me. I am a living soul, and the Spirit of God dwells in me as me. I and the Father are one, and all that the Father has is mine. In truth, I am the Christ of God. What is true of me is true of everyone. For God is all, and all is God. I see only the Spirit of God in every soul. And to every man, woman, and child on earth, I say, I love you, for you are me. You are my holy self. I now open my heart and let the pure essence of unconditional love flow out. I see it as a golden light radiating from the center of my being. And I feel its divine vibration in, through, and around me, above, and below me. I am one with the light. I am filled with the light. I am illumined by the light. I am the light of the world. With purpose of mind, I send forth the light. I let the radiance go before me to join the other lights. I know this is happening all over the world at this moment. I see the merging lights. There is now one light. We are the light of the world. The one light of love, peace, and understanding is moving. It flows across the face of the earth, touching and illuminating every soul in the shadow of the illusion. And where there is darkness, there is now the light of reality. And the radiance grows, permeating, saturating every form of life. There is only the vibration of one perfect life now. All the kingdoms of the earth respond, and the planet is alive with light and love. There is total oneness, and in this oneness we speak the word. Let the sense of separation be dissolved. Let humankind be returned to Godkind. Let peace come forth in every mind. Let love flow forth in every heart. Let forgiveness reign in every soul. Let understanding be the common bond. And now, from the light of the world, the one presence and power of the universe responds. The activity of God is healing and harmonizing planet Earth. Omnipotence is made manifest. I am seeing the salvation of the planet before my very eyes as all false beliefs and error patterns are dissolved. The sense of separation is no more. The healing has taken place and the world is restored to sanity. This is the beginning of peace on earth and goodwill toward all. As love flows forth from every heart, forgiveness reigns in every soul, and all hearts and minds are one in perfect understanding. It is done, and so it is. Again, we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this.
We are going to call in the golden light of eternal peace and infinite prosperity. We're going to say what is called a Huna prayer for prosperity. This was given to us by Joshua Stone many years back. And it is designed as taught by the Kahunas of Hawaii. And as we say the prayer, we command our subconscious mind to take the prayer to our soul, to our monad, our I am presence, with all the mana, vital force that is needed and necessary to manifest the prayer. Then after about 15 seconds, we say the phrase, Lord, let the rain of blessings fall. So, he gave us a prayer for prosperity. And this is how it goes. But this is always about the highest and best for everyone. Please feel free to say after me, Beloved Presence, of God, Goddess, all that is. I hereby ask and humbly pray with all my heart and soul and mind and might for divine abundance made manifest through personal fortune and success. I am willing to move beyond fear in order to fulfill God's plan on earth and beyond. I personally pledge to open myself to financial wealth in order to fulfill my group and individual service commitments, all in accordance with the divine plan. In God's name, I accept my divine heritage right now. And I thank thee for the timely answer to this prayer. God's will be done. Amen. Now this Huna prayer is said three times, so we will do that two more times because we all want to manifest the abundance required for our divine mission and purpose. And that is our intention. Beloved presence of God, Goddess, all that is, I hereby ask and humbly pray with all my heart and soul and mind and might for divine abundance made manifest through personal fortune and success. I am willing to move beyond fear in order to fulfill God's plan on earth and beyond. I personally pledge to open myself to financial wealth in order to fulfill my group and individual service commitments. In God's name, I accept my divine heritage right now. And I thank thee for the timely answer to this prayer. God's will be done. Amen. And again. Beloved presence of God, Goddess, all that is, I hereby ask and humbly pray with all my heart and soul and mind and might for divine abundance made manifest 
through personal fortune and success. I am willing to move beyond fear in order to fulfill God's plan on earth and beyond. I personally pledge to open myself to financial wealth in order to, order to fulfill my group and individual service commitments. In God's name, I accept my divine heritage right now. And I thank thee for the timely answer to this prayer. God's will be done. Amen. Take a nice deep breath. Repeating after me, my beloved subconscious mind, I hereby ask and lovingly command that you take this thought form prayer to our Mother, Father, God, along with all the manna and vital force needed and necessary to manifest and demonstrate this prayer. Amen. Please breathe a prayer to God. See it going directly to source. And after 15 seconds, we say, Lord, let the rain of blessings fall. Amen. And so it is. And just feel the energy coming back to you from source. Soak in this energy of abundance and recognize how very blessed you are. Again, we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And we're going to call in the resurrection energies. It's our final activity here. Calling in the resurrection flame, which is a beautiful, beautiful mother of pearl flame. The resurrection energies are very strong as it nears Easter. Patricia Cota Rubbles had asked us to start working with them. I gave you that mantra last week. Let me repeat it again. So the phrasing that Patty mentioned is the following. I am the resurrection and the life of of my earthly bodies and the earthly bodies of humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth, now made manifest and eternally sustained by divine grace. Always positive to say these things three times at a minimum. So I'll repeat that two more times in case you're taking it down. I am the resurrection and the life of my earthly bodies and the earthly bodies of humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth, now made manifest and eternally sustained by divine grace. And again, I am the resurrection and the life of my earthly bodies and the earthly bodies of humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth, now made manifest and eternally sustained by divine grace. 
So see that mother of pearl flame blazing in through and around you. Again, one of the most powerful statements that you can make as an affirmation is using that phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. So I'm going to read some. Please feel free to repeat them, work with them. But you can apply this to anything in your life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the ascended Christ resurrection and the life of my being and world. I am the resurrection and the life that lifts and expands my consciousness. I am the resurrection and the life that raises me daily into Christ consciousness. that Christ consciousness of pure divine love. I am the resurrection and the life of my mind and mental faculties. I am the resurrection and the life of my thoughts and feelings. I am the resurrection and the life of greater happiness and joy increasing in me each day. I am the resurrection and the life of my feeling side of life. I am the resurrection and the life that opens the way for me to feel more love. I am the resurrection and the life of my physical heart. I am the resurrection and the life of the health of my heart. I am the resurrection and the life of my brain health. I am the resurrection and the life of my physical body. I am the resurrection and the life, the strength and the health of my body. I am the resurrection and the life of all the organs of my body. I am the resurrection and the life of my memory. I am the resurrection and the life of new healthy habits. I am the resurrection and the life, the great magnet's presence that draws to me all I desire and require. I am the resurrection and the life, the great natural activity of abundance in all the activities of my life. I am the resurrection and the life of all my loved ones and family. I am the resurrection and the life of all my relationships. I am the resurrection and the life, the great healing and perfecting activity that is ongoing in my body every day. I am the resurrection and the life of eternal youth, health, and happiness that is a wondrous ongoing activity in my life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the ascended Christ resurrection and life now being made manifest in my being and world. I am the resurrection and the life of the powers of nature and the forces of the elements. I am the resurrection of the life of all kingdoms living upon the planet. 
I am the resurrection and the life of a healthy atmosphere for planet Earth. I am the resurrection and the life, the eternal health and purity of the water element of our planet, of our oceans, seas, rivers, lakes, and streams. I am the resurrection and the life, the eternal purity of the water element of our planet. I am the resurrection and the life. And so it is. Again, we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Well, I hope you enjoyed our activities of light here. I give thanks for your service. Give thanks for each and every one of you being here to do this work as this program opens here today. We are the ones that we have been waiting for. And again, I ask you to, in this week, to continue using the resurrection frequencies. We've got one of the most powerful festivals across the planet. The Festival of the Christ falls on the full moon, the full moon of Easter. So it is actually next Saturday. We'll be celebrating that along with Easter Sunday on the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls next Sunday and Monday. Please join us every week for those calls where we do our service work of bringing heaven to earth. The calls themselves are teleconference calls. They begin at 8.45 Eastern Time. And that's 5.45 Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greeting where we all gather, connect by voice to each other. We have a brief update from Tarn Rama. And at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time, we begin our work in, in earnest with all of our meditations, our prayers and evocations, our visualizations, all of the healing work that we do, holding that perfection, bringing forth heaven on earth with every breath and every word that we say. I do want to remind you before I forget, on Easter Sunday is a very special dispensation from Lord Maitreya where he gives a blessing at 3 o'clock your local time. doesn't matter where you are on the planet. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 p.m. in your local time. And you call for that blessing. You open your crown. If you can sit quietly for an hour, the energy comes in for about an hour. And it's a glorious, glorious blessing and dispensation for the planet and for each individual. And it's a wonderful thing to actively participate in. And please, at least set your intention. Sometimes I have to set my alarm to remember. But it's a good thing to go ahead and do, to be able to receive it and and receive that, that special blessing and dispensation that only comes a few times a year, including on that Easter festival. So the phone number to dial in for the calls, got a big week ahead, big weekend ahead, <laughs> big rest of the month ahead. 
the phone number to call in is area code. Good, I'm going to remember that. 425. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. 425-436-6260. Again, area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. So peace be with you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. You know, you can call, besides that one number, there's other numbers. There are international numbers. There are local numbers. You can get on through the computer. If you need that additional information, please contact me, and I'll send all that information to you. Just contact me at Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. That's C-H-E-R-Y-L. C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. Be happy to share that. And infinite blessings to you all. I'm going to change hats here because uh, our friend Rainbird is still at her ceremony honoring the grandmothers and grandfathers where she's been drumming and tending to one of the elders. So infinite blessings to all of them and to all of us in this holy, holy week. So as far as Tarn Rama and the program, we're doing housekeeping here and you know what that represents. So each and every week for the fees at BBS Radio, $300 is required. Tarn Rama still need assistance for their bills of about $300 and their regular expenses of gas, food, and the basics, another $300. And so that's 900 total. And what came up, of course, all things always pop up for each and every one of us. But there's been a glitch with, uh, with the computer that needs some attention most likely need some repair work. So they will need some additional assistance for their computer, which is um, a key component of everything that they do, just like myself. So I can certainly relate to that. So go into your heart center and see what feels right to be able to share. Again, as we call in the infinite abundance for ourselves, we call it in for all. So to donate for the radio programs, both the um, Friday night program, the hard news that we were on last night, today's program, the true history, history of Nasara, um, and also the roundtable on Thursday, um, go to bbsradio.com, radio station two. You can go on to that particular page for any one of them. And on the left-hand side, there is a donations button that you can use your credit card, your debit card, whatever feels appropriate to do, and help cover the fees for the radio programs. Or Tarn Rama personally, you can also...
use their PayPal link at the rainbowroundtable.net. Again, if you go to that page, you'll find at the top of the home page there is a donation page. And it kindly reminds us that giving is receiving and how true that is. So as you page down to the heart, the pink heart in the middle of the page, there is a donate button there. And again, giving generously, um, you can use your PayPal account, you can use your um, debit card, you can use your credit card, whatever feels right. So going directly to Rainbow Roundtable PayPal, or you can use Rama's PayPal email. That's Koran, K-O-R-A-N, four nines, nine, 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 at hotmail.com. You enter the amount of your contribution. Make sure it is on friends and family. So again, sometimes it will revert to services and goods. Make sure that you change it to friends and family option to make that contribution so there's not any fees involved. And it's always good to email Rama to let him know that you are sending a contribution. And the email to contact him at is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, Nine 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 at Comcast.net. You can always send a check or money order to them directly, or if you need the mailing address and for any other purpose. But again, hopefully for a beautiful contribution here, it would go to Ram R A M middle initial D as in David Berkowitz. B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. And that's a post office box 280, Santa Cruz, that's C-R-U-Z, New Mexico, 87567. So in addition to that, you can um, check out the fundraising that takes place with the Shop Free Mart and the access address, the website for that is https colon forward slash forward slash www dot shop free mart. So that's S H O P F-R-E-E-M-A-R-T dot com forward slash Taram, T-A-R-R-A-M. And we so appreciate your support. We so appreciate your wonderful contributions and the generosity of your sacred heart. Again, for we are all one. And as Rainbird would say, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Infinite blessings to us all, again, at this most sacred and holy time. 
And with that, again, I <laughs> took up a lot of time here today. So, Taran Rama, I am passing this glorious talking stick with peace and with abundance and divine love and resurrection energies and violet flame energies and every single color frequency we could ever require along with those theories and the abundance of angels and gemstones and every good thing. I pass the talking stick, my friends, to you, Torin Rama. Infinite blessings to you and to everyone. Have a glorious week as we come up to our Festival of the Christ. Thank you, Cheryl. Greetings, everyone. Thank you, Cheryl. There are many good tidings for this week, the, the vibrations. Blessed be. Oh, be really powerful, really strong, and, and we got to soak in that Christ energy and soak in that resurrection energy and just see the world transformed. Much yes, love. That is so. Make it so. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Everybody, I don't know where to start. Rama, you can share, right? You can um, share a little bit about this. Yeah, day. today I heard um, Chris Hedges on Living on the Edge and uh, something with um, David Barsimian. And they were talking about the current situation going on with the empire and the um, taking Chris Hedges' files from RT off of YouTube. And they've done that to other folks. And David Barsamian talked about how a lot of Howard Zinn's information has been disappeared. And we all know why. Because all these kinds of folks were telling the truth. And um, they also talked about um, the current state of affairs with the Ukraine and Russia and it's um, it is about the deep state empire around the planet that have a vested interest in not losing their power and The way that these folks were saying it is you're going to continue to play with disaster capitalism. Bye-bye. And right now, Chris Hedges brought up this um, guy who got arrested from Goldman Sachs for laundering money. And uh, that happened in the last couple of days. Also, the fact that um, 
there are strange events going on in the District of Criminals, and I bring it up again. Chris Hedges brought it up. Also, the BDS movement and what is happening with Israel, how they are inching their way into Syria with the Golan Heights and the settlements and systematically killing Syrian people, Palestinian mm-hmm. people, yeah. and getting help from the United States, just like what's going on in Ukraine. And it is very evil. Well, and, we scratch each other's backs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Bennett, the prime minister over there is just a, another evil version of Netanyahu, only worse. <laughs> and what Chris Hedges said is Netanyahu is in so much hot water with the Israeli government for what he has done that he's kind of disappeared from the public eye. And nobody knows if he has an ankle bracelet or if he's left the country, or what. And that was kind of thrown on the table. And they also brought up the issue of nuclear weapons are immoral. (laughs) I can't imagine why. Yeah. And... They had this scientist on from Los Alamos who didn't want to give his name, and he just said that currently the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, and the other deep state actors are currently working on new ways to create nuclear weapons that can uh, supposedly outdo Mr. Putin's hypersonic missiles and All of these folks were just saying, what the F is going on here, people? Wake up. When you play with this kind of energy, you're going to get whacked. And it's, it's about what's coming in. Like my father has said, no nukes, and I have to leave it there. I mean, that's the news I've heard today. Yeah, these characters are... They are desperate to do something. I saw somewhere Dr. Greer has a new video out, I'm not sure, but he's doing a CE5 contact uh, this weekend. And I'll just say that they're desperate to try to create a big distraction, and um, there's some really crazy things happening too. Where people are ending up dead. It's about the incoming energies that are so strong from the sun, and quite literally, the sun is saying, "Stay in your center, stay in your high heart." This is how you work through these energies. and Well, the other day, this gentle being, uh, yes. he was riding his bicycle, and then 
Eric Bowler. Uh, it was at nighttime. It was 10 minutes to 10 at night. And a train killed him. And just today, uh, this, uh, just happened today, um, out of Pittsburgh, the Steelers, their quarterback, that's a big player. <laughs> his name is Dwayne Haskin. He's dead now at 24, and he died this morning. He was struck by a truck while he was walking on a highway. What's he doing walking on a highway in southern Florida? At 6.30 in the morning. Yes, Highway Patrol tells NBC he was walking on the freeway for unknown reasons at 6.30 in the morning. It sounds fishy to me, and at the same time, the energies are really strong. You said he's a Heisman finalist. I don't know that's uh, for those who know sports. I don't know what that means either. Yeah, I said for those who know about sports, they would know what that means. Yeah. 24 years old? What? Like, as we're approaching this Easter resurrection, the veils are very thin, the portals are opening. I keep being told that, uh, and I'm seeing it interacting with the nature and the city and it's place to buy with fire because not all the folks that you interact with are from here and they may just walk up to you like in the Matrix Resurrections and say I remember you dude (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and then there's this other thing I should report. This one. Brace yourself, everybody. But um, mm. it's, it's titled Blockbuster. Quote, drag queen, unquote, Zelensky found, found, that's the word, F-O-U-N-D, found a billion dollars and a villa in Miami. You don't find a billion dollars. <laughs> you get given a billion dollars. And if you don't take it, well, you know, you're six feet under or other stories. I don't know where to go with that. You just don't get given a billion dollars and walk away at this time on the planet because it is blood soaked money from the dark side I'm sorry please forgive me thank you I love you and then it says here um, the last few years of the bloody war on Donbass has been run from Miami yeah Trump and France and I'll put it that way Trump and Zelensky their neighbors and Mr. Biden is in there as well and it's no, he's not in Miami. No, but no, he's not. He's not. It's it's the whole thing is corrupt to the core. Yeah, I was just thinking of his Caribbean island. Near- That's a whole other subject. Playing around with 
young ladies. We're just focused here that Zelensky and, uh, and Mr. Drum for neighbors and that's what they're saying that guess who's there with Zelensky and Rama is assuming it's Trump and not a place to buy the fire. I have no idea because not a bad guess. So Ukraine's midnight cowboy president, meaning Zelensky, exposed for being a billionaire, Israeli oligarch. Oh dear. Just remember the Bidens, I mean, not the Bidens, the, the Drums going to visit Netanyahu and having parties and happy faces all around the block. In More, Israel, I just got to say, they have, you know, Chris Hedges this morning said that, you know, the 13 families stole the Palestinians' identity and... You know, Israel is called Israel, yet it has always been Palestine, the land of Judea. But Rama, how did they steal their identity? They don't have anything in common. In a sense, from 1948 on, they have been inching their way across that area of the Middle East, taking it by brutal force. Not by negotiation. Yeah, mediation. that doesn't mean they stole their identity. It just means they stole their land. Yeah, they stole their land. And Excuse then they, my words. And then they just killed them uh, as worthless eaters in the way. Yeah. As by their definition. Well, let me continue here. Um, so this character here. Uh, more than a billion dollars are held in Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's accounts abroad. This was announced by the deputy of the Verkhovna Rada of the opposition platform, Party for Life, Ilya Kiva. Okay, let me just... Do something here. I've got to. Okay. Can you um, So, um, Zelensky has a $35 million mansion in Miami. I heard last week it was 32 and then Melissa said no, 34, and then she said maybe it's 35, and here we go. This one's saying 35, going up, (laughs) which is a few blocks from the president of Kazakhstan's mansion on Collins Avenue. All while Americans are priced out of their own housing market. Yes, ma'am. Then they have a little map here. It says key media assets of Ukrainian oligarchs. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them there listed. And they're all oligarchs. 
I'll just leave it there. According to him, Zelensky has accumulated $1.2 billion in the Dresdner Bank, Latin America, in Costa Rica, during the two and a half years of his presidency. My, my, my. This money was transferred to the president by Ukrainian oligarchs. Those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them up there. Such as, so they're pulling a couple of the names from there. Uh, Renat Akhmetov, Viktor Pinchuk, Viktor Pinchuk, Igor Kolomoisky. As Kiva noticed, and this is a woman, replenishment is done regularly in tranches or tranches of 12 to 35 million dollars each time. I don't know how many times, but that's how it keeps getting replenished. And they go through banks like First Union Bank, Deutsche Bank, Banca Nacionale de Paris. According to the deputy, the movement of such funds would be impossible without the control of authorities of Germany and France. Oops. Yet just accounts, as Kiva pointed out, the matter was not limited. Zelensky managed to buy a villa in Miami, and now there they say for $34 million, and just up above they said $35 million. Okay, so what's a million here or there? As well as several sets of jewelry for $5.6 million. In addition to the president of Ukraine, at the Dresdner Bank. The head of the office of the president of Ukraine, Yermak, Y-E-R-M-A-K, has accounts for a modest $56 million. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya for $4.5 million most of which she transferred in December 2020 to HSBC Bank in London office. Also accounts Arseny Yatsenyuk has one in the Miami branch of the Dresdner Bank, Kiva said in her post on the Telegram channel. Reminder, this is coming after the Ukrainian billionaire got busted in the United States. Okay, I'm just going to step aside for a minute. I'm just remembering what Randy told us on Thursday. It's come up for me to to mention because um, we're talking about these huge amounts of money. Mr. Trudeau. Uh, he's got $500 million coming to him. Do you remember what that was for, Rama? No. And then there's another hundred. Hey, is that $500 billion? 
And he's got another $100 billion coming for another humongous. What's going on here? They're all greedily emptying out the coffers, which tells me they know that the host is here. Well, no, they know that everything's going to go down. Yeah. So they want to take all the money and run before it all goes kaput. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, now that's where the appropriateness of what you just said is appropriate. That's right. Mother is here. Yes. And she doesn't take any prisoners, I understand. No. Not under these circumstances. Blaze the violet fire. And then, quote, it says, Igor Kolomoisky is accused of funding money from a Ukrainian bank into properties across the country, across the United States, unquote. Money that was not his, I should add. Lordy. Quote, this is the last quote. Every president and his team after his tenure, walked away as dollar billionaires and Zelensky for all his inferiority was no exception. Just in his case, no one will let him just walk away, Kiva said, and added that the current head of Ukraine is waiting for a prison. Not a lot of words, but it says a whole lot of things. Just to be very clear, the United States, with our tax dollars, is bombing and murdering because uh, Zelensky gets the the military. Zelensky gets the bombs and whatever else they military equipment from the United States that is our tax dollar money. He gets it. And then the military that he's telling to go out and do that. I think Penny was saying what it was called the national something military, which are uh, Nazi forces from the remnants of World War II. And they go out and they execute, you know, Zelensky's own people, as a matter of fact. But everything that's been going on with this war in Ukraine for the last two years has been going on from Miami, Florida. This is so beyond the pale. But we're going to stick that whole thing in the circle of support and blaze the violet fire. And Rama's going to play something. Tell everybody this is a little bit of a shift. Oh, the, uh, well, you have the article there from Mike. Yeah, but you got to, you're going to, you're going to play the uh, video from on there. Oh, uh, it's, uh, Micah sent me something called So Important That I Took Notes for You. <laughs> yeah. And um, I know many do not have time to watch videos, although you can easily just listen to this one. Reiner Fulmick, German Corona Investigative Committee, speaking with Attorney Todd Callender. 
there is much more detail than I was able to write out. So as you find these notes of importance, listen to the video. Honestly, this is the most important information in one place that I have come across in my research. So let's just play this. Okay. I hope this is the right one. Is what do you mean you hope it's the right one? Let me take a look. Um, yeah, that's... Okay. Yes? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? You're not sure? Yeah. You are sure? Uh-huh. Okay, well, let's do this. How long is this, honey? Hour 11 minutes. Here we go. Here we go. Rights um, uh, topics and um, has worked in the disability, health, and life insurance industry for more than 20 years and focuses on the international convergence of biomedical morbidity and mortality risks in the global legal context. Um, there's something very interesting that you discovered, like when you worked with uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Defense and the COVID, or like COVID, rather um, COVID um, uh, injections, uh, vaccine injections aftermath. Yeah. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we, yeah, we can hear you perfectly well. Great. Yeah, it's nice to meet you both, by the way. Thank you for having me. And by the way, your guests I've been watching are just fantastic. What wonderful brains you brought to this, and yourselves as well. And I want to congratulate Thought, Thank you very what much. What a wonderful job you're doing. The amazing, uh, the, the court of public opinion is yours. You've done a very, very fine job. Thank you so much. But again, yeah. we couldn't do it without the experts, people like you. Well, it's, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, frankly, Brian, because it's <laughs> our expert witnesses that have, have brought this education. Um, and it's been a tremendous education. It really all started plus years ago when I was working in the vaccine industry. I, my family owns the intellectual property rights to a needle-free mass, mass vaccination device. So I spent three years in Cuba doing clinical field trials, the third phase clinical field trials, the very same ones that are happening with these uh, purported vaccines right now. And uh, I learned a lot about the vaccine industry in so much that I did business with the very same people that are now you know, executing on this genocide. So I, I did understand that, and that's frankly why it is that I filed suit against the DOD, the Health and Human Services, FDA, in August of last year. Um, when I saw what was happening, including the, uh, the pandemic bond that the World Health Organization, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't the World Health, it was World Bank and the IMF put together. Um, they used that as a, they used the claim on that bond, it was 500 million denominated in uh, SPRs, special drawing rights. But it was the first time that they had made DSPRs into a cryptocurrency. And so when that happened, it, it made sense to me that they were simply implementing the 2005 International Health Regulations in order to provide a, um, a global homogenized response to what it was they had created. And when the use of force was authorized by Secretary Austin, uh, I realized that this is a military operation, and it's a global military operation, and that it would be forced on humanity. And that's what no, I just couldn't help it. I, I had to file suit, and we did. And the point of filing suit was, as much as anything, to educate 
the U.S. military that what it is they're purporting to do is illegal um, per the Nuremberg Code, per the International Convention on Civil and Political Rights, per the International Convention on Human Rights, and per the Uniform Code of Military Justice and U.S. statutes. All of this is patently illegal. We all know that. And uh, I'm shocked by how it is that nobody in government, pretty much in any country in the world, seems to care, minus a few notable exceptions, the president of Haiti, in Tanzania, and a few others. Um, but this is a very well-coordinated genocide uh, in progress, and it made me dig a little bit deeper into how it is that these genocides, as I call them, have called for some time to operate, and what it is that we're seeking to achieve with them. So I'm sorry, it's a long way of getting to the point, uh, which is what I think you're interested in. Is it, the, is it the lipid nanoparticles, the delivery systems, is it the pathogens in the lipid nanoparticles? Is that the interest thing? Um, well, the most important thing is that you, in, I saw that a, a little uh, video clip in which you were interviewed. I forget who it was that interviewed you, but, um, you told them about the incredible, um, well, should I say excess mortality that, um, yeah. was found? Yeah. And, um, I don't know what caused this excess mortality. It must have something oh. to do with the so-called vaccinations, of course. Yes. It may be the lipid part, uh, uh, nanoparticles. It may be the spike protein. I don't know. What oh, do you know? I, I, I do know. It's not even a question. Okay. Um, we, we have figured this out. So the lipid nanoparticles carry, think of them like little bombers Ooh. and they're carrying payloads. Those payloads are oligonucleotides messenger RNA, and synthetic DNA. Those are the payloads of these little bombers. In order to slip those little bombers past the human's uh, natural immunity, they had to disarm people's natural immunity. They used three different AIDS proteins, I'm sorry, HIV proteins, the GP120, the AD5 as an adjutant, and the PP14. Those three proteins were, were injected into the human's for the purpose of allowing the lipid nanoparticle bombers to go into the cells, deliver those payloads, and then create synthetic DNA um, through recombinant um, mRNA and, and recombinant DNA. So we, we know all of that. We also know what the pathogens are that were delivered, at least in some of the shots, because it's in their, it's in their paths. What um, is particularly alarming, you know, in terms of all of these numbers, uh, excess mortality and morbidity, is that the, the people that put these three HIV proteins into the shots um, disarmed people's natural immunity. They gave them vaccine-induced AIDS, and they didn't give them anything to reverse it. So now what you're seeing in terms of all-cause morbidity and mortality, the numbers that I got came out of the U.S. Department of Defense's own database called DMED. It's the Defense um, Medical Epidemiology Database. So, again, going back to my lawsuit against the DOD, I called several expert witnesses um, who testified in both our temporary restraining order and in our preliminary injunction, one of whom was uh, Dr. Teresa Law. You might have seen her, um, and some notable other ones, including you know, Dr. McCullough. So we have come to understand all this with a group of medical experts and scientists that have come to our aid. Uh, in understanding all of this. I and mean, everything that I'm telling you, I can back up with, um, with that. And I will be happy to do that. 
what is is almost more concerning. Let's get, let me get back to that. So when you see a one thousand one hundred percent increase in all cause morbidity and mortality, that means something systemic has caused this problem. So you would see a natural, uh, actually an abnormal increase in all cause cancer, um, heart issues, inflammation issues, blood clotting. And, and I can actually send you what that looks like on a per malady basis. But when you see all of them arising to, to hundreds of percentiles in a class of people who are physically fit from 18 to 45, these are all military people, there is only one cause for that. And that is the destruction of their immune system. Mm-hmm. So that is the vaccine-induced autoimmune deficiency syndrome. We know that this now. In fact, it's, it's in science all around, and the Israelis, uh, they're ahead of everybody else. They, they already published papers on this. Everybody knows that. So the short, the short answer to this whole thing is that everybody that got the shots was given some form or level of AIDS, autoimmune deficiency syndrome. The ones that got the one shot, it seems that they have about 30% of their natural immunity uh, destroyed. By the time they get three shots, their all their natural immunity is completely gone. And we're seeing that with our doctors, experts that are testifying in their practices, including on-base and off-base um, doctors that have come to see us. It, the real epidemic is now. The I happen to be in the morbidity business. I'm the CEO of a large insurance group, and we underwrite morbidity risks, principally disability, accidents, sickness, and health. Based on what it is we are seeing, the, the rates right now, excess mortality at 84%, excess every kind of disease at 1100%. We are expecting a 5,000 or so percent increase in excess mortality for this year. An enormous number. I don't think that it's by coincidence, by the way, that Moderna has now just received licensure of their emergency use authorization HIV vaccine. So they gave everybody AIDS, and uh, here's your, you know, here's your salvation as this vaccine, which seems to be a multiple dose vaccine. Almost worse than that, this ties into, again, going back to the, me standing on the shoulders of giants, these experts have figured out that there's an electromagnetic um, connection to all of this. You would have seen that during the lockdown period for almost two years, at least in the United States and, and several other countries, there was a massive installation of 5G networks on every single public school in the United States and most private ones. There are brand new 5G rates. Those are the, the, the two um, gigahertz to the 300 gigahertz rate. Each one of those signals does different things. And in fact, they can mimic the very same kind of symptomology as COVID. So for instance, and um, Halloween night, 2019, Wuhan was the first city in the world to go 5G. They turned on 10,000 transmitters. Within the coming days, you have this this massive problem with Chinese everywhere literally falling over dead, which is not exactly the same symptomology as your normal COVID. You'd see people standing on the street falling over dead. It turns out that at the 60 gigahertz signal, which is a 5G signal, it's actually capable of separating oxygen from nitrogen. So some people, according to our experts, were literally standing on the street, and through the targeting device known as their cell phone, they were able to rip the oxygen from the nitrogen. People are breathing nitrogen and not getting the oxygen. They're literally falling over dead. 5G is like a butcher knife. 
It's it's a dual use item. You can use it to communicate, but at the same time, you can use it to kill. It so happens that a lot of the tests that we looked at um, in the scientific world focused on the 18 gigahertz signal. And this interplays with the, the lipid nanoparticle I'll tell you about. If you look at the patents of uh, Moderna, Pfizer, um, I haven't looked at the Johnson & Johnson, it might be. All you have to do is type the pathogens. The, the COVID pathogen itself was chimeric. It was part uh, bacterial and part viral. We know that now. The pathogens inside of the lipid nanoparticles, the ones that were created and are inside the lipid nanoparticles, inside of the vaccinated people right now, are also chimeric. Uh, in some cases, they are Marburg mixed with uh, E. coli. They are Ebola mixed with Staphylococcus. When those lipid nanoparticles are exposed to an 18 gigahertz signal, they swell and become porous, which means that they will literally pour out those oligonucleotides, the, the proteins that cause people's bodies to produce these pathogens. That was the whole point of the messenger RNA technology, was to genetically modify people for the purpose of having them produce synthetic proteins. In, in the case of COVID, it was synthetic S proteins. After the 18 gigahertz signal, it will be the other proteins, perhaps M proteins. They also produce, of course, the, uh, the same HIV proteins. So when people, the subjects of these shots, are producing these synthetic proteins, these synthetic pathogens, they're actually shedding them on others. They were designed, the vaccines were designed to be contagious in the words of Bill Gates. So when we look at what is going to be the, the, the next shoe to drop, I can already tell you it is Marburg. How do I know that? Because the Marburg provisions of the U.S. PREP Act have already been put into action. There is theoretically no Marburg in the United States and hasn't been for some time. How is it that in March of 2020, the Marburg provisions of the PREP Act were invoked, which created funding from Centers of Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS, in order to fund the, the goals of 42 CFR Part 70 and 71. That's the enabling statute for emergency public health for health and human services. As a, as a part of that, it's 2016, I encourage you to look it up. You will find that there is a mandate in the case of a public health emergency to um, quarantine people, test people. They, they basically have carte blanche um, martial law. All constitutional rights are suspended, and frankly, what rights you get are granted by the CDC. So when you look at the confluence of all of these things, right now uh, we've intercepted and found intergovernmental coming from the U.S. federal government to fund the building of what we call FEMA camps. They're quarantine centers. And we actually stopped one in Cochise County, Arizona. Um, so it is our contention that this 18 gigahertz signal will be um, sent out at some point. It will produce the Marburg hemorrhagic fever result. They will use that as the pretext to, um, to fill and occupy these quarantine centers and the hospitals that are already murdering uh, U.S. persons to the tune of a million or so this last year. Um, will be used as receiving centers. And, and, and why do I say the hospitals are very people? Because I'm involved in, in trying to get people out of them. As part of my uh, analysis you know, in, in trying to help people escape the, the ICU intensive care, um, I've stumbled on a, a, a variety of things that are really quite interesting from a legal perspective. 
And that is that in 2008, the U.S. government merged uh, public health with law enforcement, with the judiciary, and with corrections. All four of them are now under one roof. So, for instance, a, a typical example when I get these every single day, um, to, to this moment, these are hospital homicides. Somebody will go to the hospital with a broken arm. They arrive with an ICD-10 code, right, the international codes. They are mandatorily given, per the hospital's protocols, because they accept federal funding, a COVID test. If the COVID test comes back negative, they are given another COVID test with a higher cycle rate. They invariably come back positive. At that moment, they are then moved to a COVID ward where they are given an IV bag with my Dazolam. My Dazolam, right, that's the one they use for lethal injections. And what it does is tranquilize the lungs and it lowers oxygen absorption rates to about 70%. That is then used as the pretext to move them into the IC ward. 70% oxygen is their limit. They then add in the remdesivir into that IV bag. Invariably, they end up on a, on a ventilator, and the ventilators are operating and broadcasting on the 60 gigahertz signal, the same one that separates oxygen from nitrogen. It's only a function of time then from when they die. When they get on the ventilator, we have to be like, you know, my job in, in reference to all this has been how do we stop these people from getting into ICU? How do we get them out of the hospital? Um, and I've had some luck. I'm really only shooting a little bit less than 50% people to get people out. Why is that? For instance, if I call the police and say, look, this patient didn't want remdesivir. That's a medical battery. And we go and swear out a criminal complaint. Medical battery, medical kidnapping, throw it to prison. Those are the three felonies in all states. The police refused to investigate it. Early on, we were able to get health, safety, and welfare checks out of the police. So they would actually come and chart the patient talk to them. That doesn't happen anymore. Now what happens is the police show up and they arrest or ticket the loved ones who are trying to be with their family and they drag them away. And this is where I came to understand that the hospitals, public health, are part of the law enforcement apparatus. Similarly, when I sued the DOD and I got the response of pleadings, it was as though the Department of Justice had responded to a different lawsuit. I looked at it, I, I, it didn't make any sense to me who they were responding to because elements of the case weren't even in there. However, it turns out that, that, again, the judiciary has been combined, it's been merged with public health and law enforcement. What we were seeing were canned pleadings. No different when we would sue uh, in a local court. One of the first cases that happened was in Texas. There was a patient in ICU in Baylor University Hospital. We got a temporary restraining order in order for us to get an outside doctor to come in and give this person uh, ivermectin. Within the next day, the, the hospital's lawyers showed up and they threatened our judge with the unauthorized practice of medicine. The TRO went away and our client was killed. How do I say killed? How do I know this? Because I have another case similar where my client went in not for COVID. My client went in with an aneurysm. The client was nonetheless treated in the exact same format I'm telling you about, with the midazolam, with the remdesivir, they put him in the COVID ward. He never had COVID. But what they did instead was they they, they doped him up on morphine and fentanyl and a variety of cocktail of drugs. So I called the, uh, the hospital's lawyer and said, listen, we want to move him to other care. And, and the hospital's lawyer told me no. 
Um, your client is going to die in our hospital. This was his words. So I called the chief of police, who already had a case with three felonies alleged and a case number. And I said, you know, chief, I want to do a health, safety, and welfare check on my client in the hospital. They're not going to be positive. They're being treated this fashion. No, I'm not going to go there, says the chief. Why? The city attorney told me that this is a civil matter and we're not going to deal with this. Try and call the city attorney's office. No, they won't talk to me. Um, go back to the, the hospital's lawyer and, and say, yeah, I told him, I said, this is criminal, and, and I will pursue this criminally. Too bad it's civil. Your client is going to die in our hospital. I filed a criminal complaint with the FBI. No avail. Went investigated. Sure enough, our client died in that hospital from starvation. He weighed 78 pounds at the time of the autopsy. He was dehydrated. He was starved. He was high on fentanyl and morphine and several other drugs that he had autopsy on. We will be pursuing that case for the purpose of breaking up the immunities that are granted under the PREP Act, the CARE Act, and the CMS waiver program, along with the same issues with the, the, the COVID mandates. The, the immunity is so broad. Where there is fraud, we can destroy that. We can vitiate those protections. And in this particular case, I'm, I intend to do that on a criminal basis as well. We'll start with the civil suit. With some luck, we'll get past the fraud into the criminality and we'll be able to uh, to blow those immunities away. The reason I'm telling you all of this is because this is a master plan that has been extraordinarily well coordinated from a legal perspective, from a funding perspective, from every government function you can imagine, including the elimination of any constitutional or charter rights. That is by international law. I would encourage you to look at the 2005 international health regulations. They, all of this arises from Agenda 21, which I heard one of your other uh, guests speaking about, which has three primary goals. It's the agenda for the 21st century arising out of the 1994 Rio Climate Accords. The three goals are, number one, the elimination of private property rights. That's, that's communism. Number two, the elimination of borders. All you have to do is look at the mass migration in the United States and the Europe. You can see that. And the reason why they want to eliminate the borders is because they want to eliminate sovereignty. The third plank of Agenda 21, which they call sustainable development, is mass, mass depopulation. We are in all three of those phases right now. Klaus Schwab says you'll own nothing and be happy. Um, sovereignty is being um, surrendered. If you look at the OECD in 2016, they took the fat tax of fiscal policy of every member uh, for themselves. They installed competent authorities that are managed by the OECD. It no longer matters if you have a prime minister or a president because the OECD has the authority. Those two planks are already done. Third plank, mass depopulation. We are in it right now by virtue of hospital homicides. They will roll out the Marburg or Ebola, it doesn't matter, it's hemorrhagic fever, uh, triggering mechanism of the 18 gigahertz signal, and then we will have the, the quarantine camps completely loaded, and these people will choose and pick who it is they want to have survivors. At the end of the day, um, from a legal perspective, there's one really compelling and scary part to this. If you look at, there's a case, and I think I sent it to you. It's called, um, let me get you the exact styling. It's a U.S. Supreme Court case. And this is where we have the issue of legality. It's called the Association for Molecular Pathology versus the Genetic. Or case 2013. This arises out of earlier cases on uh, genetic engineering, the rights to the synthetic genome. On page six, halfway down, it starts with the words, it is also. 
The court finds that use of messenger RNA in particular creates intellectual property rights in the synthetic genome that they create. What does that mean? That means everybody that got the shots whose messenger RNA converted their cells into producing spike proteins are now the chattel property of the intellectual property right holders, the patent holders. That's what this case is, and it's good law in the United States. And there's hardly any other law anywhere in the world that speaks to it or prohibiting it. And you can look at uh, plans from, from NASA uh, and DARPA dating back to 2001, where they speak of hybrid humans that they will own and operate. This is the magnitude of what it is we are up against. This is, a, this is about the end of humanity, right? We are talking about an extinction-level event where the owners, and I'll, I'll speak to that in a minute, have already pre-decided right, who's going to live, who's going to die, who's going to become a machine, who do we own? So if you look at this from a genocide perspective, and here it is, I'm using that word genocide, frankly, we have a major fault in the causation of the elements of our case. Homicide is the unlawful taking of a human life. What is a human defined as? A homo sapien. Right? These people are no longer homo sapiens. In fact, they've already been named. It's a new species that's called homogenesis. So if they are no longer human, do they enjoy human rights? Do they enjoy the protections of the criminal code? And my sense is, no, they probably don't. So what can you do with your property, right? These are, this is a chattel property. The 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution outlaws slavery, defined as the owning of a, of a human. Well, they found a way around it. And no different than being able to experiment in this particular case on humanized mice, which already exist. That's what laboratories use. Now we have uh, machinized, uh, genetically altered humans. So I've spoken a lot, and I know you probably have some questions, so let me shut up for a minute, and, and then I'll answer <laughs> or go further, whatever you decide. Uh, two things. Um, that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision that you cited, is that the one from 2006? No, 2013. 2013. Can you give me the uh, exact quote? Yeah, I will. So let me, the styling is Association for Molecular Pathology versus period genetics, and I'll give you the page six um, language exactly. I will send this to you. It's already highlighted, but I'm going to read it to you. It is also possible to create DNA synthetically through the process similarly well-known in the field of genetics. One such method begins with a, a messenger RNA molecule and uses the natural body properties of nucleotides to create a new synthetic DNA molecule. The result in this inverse of the RNA's inverse image of the original DNA um, result in, in ownership rights in, in the genetic result and the genome. So um, that is good law. The U.S. Congress has not written anything to overcome this. It has written a companion statute called the uh, GINA, the Genetic uh, Information Anti-Discrimination uh, Act. G-I-N-A. However, um, there is nothing to replace this in terms of who owns the, the synthetic genome created by the use of messenger RNA. So now we know that at least in the case of the Moderna shots and in the case of the um, Pfizer shots, both of which use messenger RNA, that, that this is the result. I suspect 
that there is other more recent uh, legislation or I'm sorry, case law that would describe adenovirus um, vectors or genetic modification to also be the same. There is a compendium on uh, gene therapy that this whole industry is so well developed right now. There's a, a Sears Roebuck um, catalog. Are you familiar? You know what I'm talking about, right? The Sears yeah. Roebuck. They used to have these three-inch thick. So you, you can go, and I'll send this to you. It's a compendium of gene therapy. You can go to services and tell them, today I'd like to have some flying monkeys. And they'll go do it on their computer. They'll produce it and stick it into a lipid nanoparticle, shoot it out. That's how well this industry is already defined. Well, that's really quite intense. I mean, if, if all this is, is reality, which is, uh, I mean, it does sound very funny. Like, um, how would these people identify their property? Because, I mean, these vaccine passports, they might not be, you know, 100% true because some people might just have the paper without being, having been vac vaccinated. So do you think there's yeah. something in the vaccine that's, so that makes it possible to detect from the outside with what they've been yeah. vaccinated? The answer is yes, and we already know that. Um, so if you were to look at, I believe it's exhibit four in our preliminary injunction, and I'll send that to you. We actually did mass spectrometry on the shots, on both Moderna and on uh, the Pfizer shots. And in there, we found certain components that do exactly what it is you described, including a, um, a chemical compound called luciferase. But if you look up SM102, uh, I think it's the Moderna shot, and I'm... I think it's ALC1035 in the Pfizer shot. Those have the components to, to understand who has been shot and who hasn't. Of course, you would have seen lots of other uh, people that have done a variety of studies that, that people are now sending off Bluetooth signals that's been well verified. It appears, based on our mass spectrometry, that, that they didn't actually include graphene oxide in the shots. What I've come to find instead is that they included all the base compounds in order for the bodies to produce their own graphene oxide. One of our experts has testified that the use of electromagnetic radiation, EMF radiation, what's coming out of your cell phone signals, will actually cause the growth, a 300% increase in graphene dioxide, is that right? Hydroxide, sorry, graphene hydroxide inside the human body. So all they have to do is put the base chemicals into the user, expose them to a certain uh, level of magnetic radiation, cell phone signals at a certain frequency, and those people will actually grow graphene uh, uh, hydroxide inside of them. And you would have seen this again. You know, one of our uh, one of our experts was a, a mortician. Um, he couldn't get the embalming fluid into the cadavers. About, I guess it was January of last year. Uh, and, and so he opened up their, you know, their arms and their legs and he pulled out these great giant sheets. They were blood clots to the length of the leg, but after you wash the blood away, they were actually sheets. Those components are ostensibly, uh, the graphene hydroxide. So it, it is happening. We know that for a fact. There, there are autopsies that prove this. Um, science approves it. Dr. Ryan Cole, I believe, has quite a bit of that in science as well. So the short answer to your question is yes, we know that. Um, people are showing up to airports with fictitious vaccine passports, and the, you know, the customs agents already know you're, you're not vaccinated. That's, that's a forgery. Here we are in the, in the age of, of digitization. There's no way that you can fake it. Wow. And, um, and do you think, because when, when our experts looked at, at, um, you know, the vaccines, like the, the different charges, 
um, is is it um, so? They saw a very um, you know like variants of of um, of mixes of uh, the components. Yeah. Like you know, sometimes you have a bit more copper or like rare earth or whatever. Instead, do you think that sure. serves as some sort of fingerprint, or is that a whole different? Uh, why are these different sure. components? Is this like, did you, I mean, you just mentioned that you think um, there may be like uh, different roles for the individual people who receive sure. these shots. Like what does it do? What's the difference between all these variations of charges? Good question. Yeah, good question. The, the short answer to your question is yes. It is highly likely that that's the case for a couple of reasons. Number one, these are phase three clinical trials. And in relation to the FDA regulations that govern these, they have the opportunity during their, their testing and phase three to change the ingredients. Um, and they don't even have to tell the FDA until they have their final application. That's exactly what happened. The DOD, by the way, was behind this. They're the ones that commissioned Pfizer and Moderna to do this. This was DOD originated in the test number C459-1001. We have all the data. So this... The, the phase three clinical trials were designed exactly as you described to test different components. Um, and, and we don't even know. So for instance, if you were to look at the patents as it relates to the, the pathogens that were carried in the lipid nanoparticles, you'll find different ones, eight, nine different patents. And it appears to us that different people receive different doses. And some of the, the highest mortality rates associated with a particular serial number of those bats bears exactly out what it is you're saying. Uh, the problem we have is that the, the testers, Pfizer, Moderna, you know, all the EUA companies do not have to tell us what it is they're testing until they finally get approval and they have labeling requirements. Actually, here in Germany, there's uh, some sort of regulations where there's um, not even any, uh, you know, labeling requirements anymore for the uh, vaccines. Wow. And uh, wow. well, at least the health minister, minister I, I don't know if they've already, like, taken, um, you know, making, making use of this, but there is, like, um, there's the option in this regulation that you can, like, say you're not doing any label labeling at all. You can use it behind, uh, after the, um, you know, the minimum um, duration uh, date, you know, expire, expiring, uh, like, you can use it after that. And also, they're not obliged to keep any batches for uh, further uh, future investigation. So you can't... Well, what is the point of a regulation at all? Why even bother? Well, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's it's claimed to be uh, to be uh, uh, you know put into place because um, it's supposed to um, uh, for the uh, the medical needs of the vaccines to push string, uh, to to speed up things. Like, I mean, that's the pretext kind of that it's like less yeah. uh, less effort for the producers and all that, you know. But obviously, I, I saw that else. actually. It, it, it's funny you say that because I noted that Comirnaty was licensed in, in Germany something like a year before they got the BLA approval in the United States, it, which, by the way, is not is not approval. It's approval of what it is they're going to do, not approval of the vaccine itself. So it's kind of similar to what it is you're saying. I'm just shocked, though, that there are no particular standards. You can just make it up. So this kind of goes back to my compendium, Sears Roebuck, uh, catalog of gene therapy. You can just order up whatever you want. There's no law against it. So have your flying monkeys or whatever you want. Does that mean, does that mean, Todd, that the 
the question of how how was it how bad is my lot doesn't really play any role anymore because it's not about the spike protein rather it's about the lipid nanoparticles and they're yeah. the same in every one of these lots well the, the, they all have lipid nanoparticles all all four of them whether that's astrazeneca it's called hydrogel generally yeah whether it's astrazeneca j and j and and by the way all of them share the AD5 adjuvant. It seems as if both Sputnik and uh, Sinovac also have this HIV adjuvant. So they give them a whole world age. But to answer your question, the in the disclosure to the FDA as to what these shots are made of, we have uh, polyethylene glycol and all these other things that, that we picked up on mass spectrometry, which showed, by the way, that the ingredients for Moderna were the same as Pfizer. They just had different proportions of polyethylene like. Other than that, they were the same. What was different between the two shots is the programming messenger RNA and adenovirus DNA to program the body. So I think to your point, we have no clue what pathogens are inside of those lipid nanoparticles. We just know that the pathogens exist. Who gets what? We have no clue. Some will show up with Ebola, some will show up with Marburg, some will show up with COVID. We, we just don't know. Because they don't what have to shots, tell anybody. What shots off the immune system is the messenger RNA, right? Well, so the, the short answer is yes. It, there, there are three proteins. Um, the G, sorry, GP120, the AD5 is a recumbent uh, messenger RNA. And then there's the PP14, which is a protein that comes out of pregnant women's placenta, which attacks the, the cancer T cells. They, those appear to be in all of the shots. But just to, just to be clear on this, Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca use synthetic DNA vector versus uh, Moderna and Pfizer that use messenger RNA. It accomplishes the same thing. In other words, unless it's true that some of the lots were just placebos, then everyone who got the shots is in danger. That's right. They all have AIDS. That's correct. So what's the, the point of having all these, um, you know, additional shots, like the booster and then a fourth and fifth and whatever? Like, what are yeah. they, what, what, in your opinion, what, what do you think they're adding, like, with the additional shots? Sure. I think there's I think there's two two elements of causation behind that. Number one, I think the goal of the exercise is in fact to destroy a person's immune system. So they give them the booster shots um, for the purpose then of ruling in the emergency use authorization existing Moderna HIV shot. And the reason for that is a control paradigm. Um, when you look at the the new war, the new frontier, when you look at DARPA and and what the Defense Intelligence Agency came up with in terms of the frontier of the fourth, you know, world war. It's a biomechanical war. So, and it's a genetically modified soldier or person war. And I think you might have seen Kim Jong-un already did a demonstration last summer with his genetically modified super soldiers. That's the new battlefield. And when you read some of the documents, the papers that the governments have written about this new battle frontier, There are constant software upgrades that have to happen to stay competitive in this brand new arms race. So my sense is that if somebody has no immune system whatsoever and they are required to get these brand new HIV 
vaccinations once a month for the purpose of staying alive. If you don't get your shot, you're going to die in 30 days. Those additional shots can act as software upgrades. The hardware's already been implemented. People are made of graphene, uh, hydroxide, and, and whatever else. That's the that's the, the mainframe. And Bill Gates has actually talked about that, as did Dr. Lieber and Dr. Venter, the, the creator of artificial life. So we, once you've got the modified man-machine, how do you upgrade the software to keep competitive in a, in a battle environment? That's what these papers talk about. I'll send you one. And so my speculation, like my theory is that they will have to get monthly shots in order to, number one, stay alive, and number two, receive their software upgrades for whatever purpose they're designing. Next wall will just be repro- reprogramming this, this artificial That's system. right. They will try to have programmers on both sides who are better to kill the other ones and so on. It's like, That's right. It's like a game. It's like a always <laughs> playing with computers. It's uh, incredible. It's so stupid. It has nothing to do with life. It has nothing to do with, with human beings. It's just a stupid game. Yeah. Well, and that's the point. They don't care about human life. They, in fact, they hate humanity. They want us either gone, owned, or, or whatever. You know, the, when you understand the people behind this, I call them the owners. And I call them the owners because the people behind the bank international settlements already own the world's money supply. They own the water supply, the food supply, the electricity supply, the labor supply. They own it all, right? And the owners are all Luciferians. And they hate humanity, and they have a stated goal to genetically modify every species on this planet, starting with us. I think it's the, the last chance we have that we make understand yeah. the soldiers and the policemen what's going on. That's right. That's the key. Because they need they need them. Because they are very weak people, and they wear a tie, but that doesn't give them strength. You know, they I agree. need those obedient soldiers and who take the jab and who, who then are altered, and so on, and even those who don't yet have the jab, if they obey, they can go on doing this crime. So, uh-huh. we have to inform policemen, soldiers, what's going on, we have to tell them. Well, that's, that's what I was trying to do. Um, in March of last year, I wrote a form criminal complaint based on crimes against humanity, genocide, a variety of other crimes. We published it on our website that we built for this very purpose called Vax Choice, B-A-X Choice. And after drafting this and publishing it, we had 20,000 downloads in the first month of angry moms at school boards grabbed these things and they went and they filed in the sheriff's offices around the United States and various countries because I was trying to achieve exactly what you're saying. I was trying to poison the well in the minds of the people who would be tasked with forcing these shots. And it worked in some cases and was also the reason why I sued the DOD. I was trying to educate and did educate soldiers in the U.S. military, that these are illegal orders, and here's what they're doing in Hawaii. And our plaintiff's class went from 200,000 when I filed suit, it's probably around 500,000 now, and is growing. So the exact methodology that you're talking about is precisely what it was when you intended, and it seems to be working to some extent. And can I ask you, is this like, uh, you know, what you explained about the um, HIV shot, this kind of, uh, you know, like vaccine shot, do you think this is really basically mostly about like control, you know, getting you on the hook to yeah. survive. Or is it, I mean, yeah. is there anything that you could imagine that's, that would be like an enhancement 
you know, like uh, that you're able to, to, uh, you know, like um, intake oxygen better so you can basically live on the sea yeah. or uh, whatever. Is, do you see stuff like that yeah. also on the, in the pipeline? For sure. But not even, not, it's not even a question. So uh, circa 2001, the U.S. government, the Department of Defense in particular, went into the gene therapy business for exactly what it is you were describing. And in 2005, they got a special uh, exclusion from the Department of Justice as it relates to informed consent. It came out in an uh, opinion. And Secretary, I'm uh, sorry, the, the um, who was it? I can't remember who it was. It was the Department of Justice. Anyway, one of the, the head of the Department of Justice basically said, listen, for purposes of gene modification, the FDA is no longer involved. Health and Human Services is involved. And for purposes of informed consent that we all know comes from Nuremberg, no longer apply in the traditional sense. All you have to do is let people know that you're doing genetic therapy. That means gene modification, and you don't even have to tell them. You just have to make it so that they could find out. So the U.S. military has been doing gene modification at, at least since 2005 for exactly what you described, a super soldier program, whether it's swimming under the ocean or flying I don't know, but it already exists. And if you look, um, you type in when you do a search, uh, North Korea super soldiers, you'll see that Kim Jong-un already brought his out and did a demonstration. They're beating these guys with sledgehammers to no avail whatsoever. They seem to be puncture-proof and, and just extraordinarily durable and fast and probably require less food, something along those lines. So the answer is yes. Well, for sure. And, and, but but this this means that you can actually transform like a previous normal human being, like during its lifetime, his or her lifetime, into this sort of uh, special forces or like special uh, yeah. capabilities person. It's not yeah. like for the next generation, but immediately. No, no, it's it's now. And in fact, there are some scientific studies that show that they can now download information straight into their brains. There was a a case the Army did some years ago, they took just a regular old soldier, downloaded information, and he was out flying helicopters later that day. And I happen to be a pilot, I can tell you, it takes a long time to master those skills. So that that technology already exists, exactly as you described. So Moderna wasn't joking when they said we can program human beings now. That's right. That's exactly right. And Charles Lieber was really the guy behind that. He's sitting in jail now. If you look back to his 2009 Harvard study, he was able to um, atomically weld transistors into the lipid nanoparticles and make them independently uh, responsible. That he could program them, they could move around and become autonomous. And he turned the lipid nanoparticles into nanobots. And with those nanobots, they are able to actually do exactly what you described. They can crawl around in the brain and they can receive information. They can deliver their payloads to one particular part of the body or another. Um, so he was the man that, that actually made all of that possible, along with Dr. Craig Bender, who's the guy that um, created synthetic life. He was the guy that sequenced the human genome. And um, he was able, I think, three years ago or so, to sever the heads on um, some pigs, wait three days, and then uh, reanimate the pigs without the heads. They did a study with ferrets relating to coronavirus. Um, they, they thought that they'd killed the ferrets and buried them, and the ferrets came back to life and dug themselves out. So there is this extra component also of, of immortality. 
if you can imagine that. And it, I have the, the articles. I'll be happy to send them that's really very, very creepy. And um, could you elaborate <laughs> on what this, like, biological graphene, so what does that, I mean, what's the point of, of uh, having this assemble in your body? Is it really just to kill you off with this, like, 5G no. thing? Or? No, 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 not at all. Well, it's so three things. Number one, it's extraordinarily conductive. So if a person with graphene hydroxide receives a signal, as I understand it again from our experts, call it a 2 gigahertz signal, they will be able to produce a one terahertz signal outbound. They become a battery, and Bill okay. Gates actually has a Bill Gates actually has a patent on this, the human battery, and I'll send it to you. So number one, they become generators, electricity generators. Number two, they become sources of intelligence. Everything that person sees, hears, and does is connected through the bionet of things to every other such person and every cell phone tower, and in fact, you know, the cloud. They all become bio-machines that are capable of detecting everything, sight, sound, touch, feel, taste, all of that. Um, on top of that, graphene happens to be the single most um, durable and strong substance on this planet. So when you see Kim Jong-un's super soldiers getting hit with sledgehammers in the head, to no avail. That's why you, you, you can't even puncture graphene in a single molecular layer. Um, lastly, it is self-assembly. So um, when you add a, a uh, they call it teleferase, a teslaferase. When you add an electrical current to uh, graphene oxide or graphene hydroxide, it naturally self-assembles and turns into a conductive circuit. So you're getting all of these things out of the, the benefit of graphene. Um, there's multiple uses, of course. And then I think, to your point, you know, those people that they, they don't want to use, um, they'll, you know, they'll just turn them off. And if we're looking at uh, immortality, like for these creatures, like um, uh, I have two questions. Like, do you think there are, would they still be like um, breeding like additional human beings? And how are they included in this kind of program? Are they really included? I mean, the ones who are behind all this or whatever, the, the ones who pull the strings, um, do you think they like to stay normal human beings or is this not on the, not what they want? I, I don't know the answer to that. My, my sense is that they do have a, a goal of immortality. How they achieve that immortality, I don't know. And that's something we could look up with Craig Venter. Um, but I, what I do understand is um, that they want limited resources on this planet. You know, they, they've been very clear about that. Bill Gates said we want to get that number down to zero. Well, you know, they, George and Guidestone say no more than 500 million. And you look at the, the sustainable development goals, they don't. They want a 95% reduction in the world's population. So, as to the owners, my suspicion is that they'll want immortality. I don't know if they'll want the rest of the superpowers or not. They didn't even succeed to, to make immortal uh, computers now. So we always have to have updates. Yeah, true. You know, the Bible talks about it too. Um, those that take the mark of the beast will seek to, um, to die and not be able to. So as to people who uh, receive the shots, you know, are they going to be human or not? The answer is I don't think so. One other thing to be aware that in the 
in the uh, nanoparticles, there's also the delivery of CRISPR technology, which is a gene deletion program. And if you look at the serious adverse events of Pfizer on their post-monitoring study that came out of the um, the FOIA request that they had to disclose, the number one serious adverse event that came up was the 1P36 gene deletion syndrome. That is a congenital disease that causes the loss of uh, your frontal cortex, that's your reasoning and thinking behavior. It causes facial tics. It causes biting episodes, things of that nature. So the only way a person who wasn't born with that to get it is because there was a gene deletion that occurred in their body. It also appears that they eliminated the VMAT2, which is the the God gene, uh, and the PAX5, which is also related to uh, people's spirituality. So it appears as though those that got those particular ingredients, those gene deletion proteins, will um, will not be thinking. They will act very zombie-like, in fact. Um, and, and they will have certainly no connection to God, no remorse, no, you know, co- no conscience whatsoever. And some people say that they noticed, some doctors or healers say they noticed like, um, you know, like, um, different behavior with their patients yes. after the, the shots. They may be more aggressive or they're less ritual yeah. or they just like blink. You know, go, uh, whatever, don't, don't really get what they're saying. Also, some healers, uh, you know, told me that they're not able to kind of even reach this person anymore, like on a, on a, on a yeah. spiritual or like energetic level. And do you think that's also connected to what you just said? I do. Yeah, I do. I would highly suspect that those persons had already suffered the 1B36 gene deletion syndrome. What you describe is the very behavior that you would see as a result of that. It's an amplification. To be very clear with you, what we do know is that these people have been really good at predictive programming. How many zombie movies have you seen in your life? If you look at Con Plan 8888, it's the U.S. government's government plan in case of a zombie apocalypse. They describe five different types of zombies that they might encounter. Every U.S. agency that is miscompliant, that, that has had to re- provide robust um, protections for their computer system has undergone zombie apocalypse invasions. The CDC has had a zombie apocalypse uh, preparedness page up on their websites for the last five years. Now they've turned it into a cartoon. Go to the Amazon Web Services Agreement, and they you will see there's a force majeure card that there's a zombie apocalypse. We're not and we're not liable. There's too much talk about zombies for us to ignore the fact that the 1P36 gene deletion combined with the VMAT2 of PAX5 deletion creates a zombie-like effect in people. I think that they're just telling us what it is they're going to do. Flick on your 18 gigahertz signal, and bang, you've got a Marburg zombie apocalypse process. I mean, this could also be, I, I read that they claimed that this is sort of a, um, for just for educational purposes and really just to get you like sure. interested and like, you know, do this like strategic yes. game kind of thing. Right. I mean, might be a pretext, but could also be real that they just want, want to drag you. I, I, can, you I can guarantee you. I, I can absolutely guarantee you. If, if you were to look at, and I heard that, if you go and look at Con Plan 8888, you will see that in the second page they state exactly what we just said. This is just for purposes of, of exercise. The problem with that, you know, I'm, I'm ex-military. I'm representing all these people in the military. 
I understand how preparation for war works. You you practice where you're going to fight and who you're going to fight, always. If you look at the comp plan, it has nothing to do with fighting Ecuador or another country. It has to do with fighting five different types of genetically modified zombies. Some are, are vaccine zombies, some are radiation zombies, some are magic zombies. They have five different types of zombies that they are preparing to fight. And it's not just to do that. It has nothing to do with territory. It has nothing to do with ideology, counterinsurgency. It is only about zombies. So I understand what you're saying. I don't believe it for a second. And I have one last question. So this shedding thing that basically this yeah. uh, spills over from one vaccinated person to another I mean depending on maybe what's yes. inside like what's it's the spike protein or it's whatever what what, are, what yes. are your ideas with regards to that problem or is that a problem? Well it, it is a problem it's actually in the protocols the testing protocols published by Pfizer in particular talk about taking care of clinicians who are overseeing the trials because of the shedding problem. And, and when I describe the shedding problem, it's actually worse than it sounds. The, the person who received the gene modification is now producing the synthetic uh, protein, the S protein. And it's not a complete protein. It's a folded protein. That means that they're actually producing prions. Prions are what cause mad cow disease. The guy who was in charge of AstraZeneca, the CEO, died what, a year ago of prion disease. So it's not just shedding the, these S proteins that we can all be, you know, immune from if we've had COVID. It's a bigger and different problem. It's a genetic, uh, genetic, it's a cognitive problem. Prions, uh, eventually eat away at your brain. Dr. Cole actually has a lot of really good evidence on that. He's done uh, a number of biopsies and found the prions actually get the, the tissues of exposed people and those who had the shots. So it's, it's not speculation as to whether or not this is the case. It's a fact. But, you know, when we have contact with proteins, we may eat them, we may have contact on your skins, on mucosa, and so our immune system recognizes them when they are strange and defends us against proteins. I don't, I'm not so much afraid of proteins. I'm much more afraid of having those nanoparticles uh, being spread, uh, that they then enter the body by, by contact. Yeah. So it's not the proteins, I think. I, I don't. I haven't seen evidence that proteins can in, in, uh, that can invade uh, someone. The prions can. The prions definitely can. There's no no two ways about it. We, we have prion disease all across the United States. Mad cow disease is jump species in the deer and elk and a variety of other things. So I can promise you that prions are an issue. I give you a point otherwise. But you know, if it was just shedding protein, you have that to Yeah. I understand that point. Um, but so you're very, very uh, it's hard to understand. It's very uh, low. Can you tune up, uh, you know, pump up the volume? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the prions... The They, um, we know them from BSE and, and we know that they only can make damage when they are incorporated, when they get into the body. If they, if we just, if we just should eat them, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, uh, very dangerous. So, um, 
We had, we had very, very few cases, although we had lots of cows, bad cows, and uh, having, having prions, building prions, but there were no, we were very, very few people, uh, only those who got, for instance, who got uh, organs transplantation, uh, uh, tissue transplantation, uh, they, they got it. But uh, this is a very, very rare thing. So I don't see an epidemic of, of prion diseases in Europe. I haven't, I haven't heard about it. What if, what if uh, it was a bodily fluid exchange, like, for instance, biting? If one person were to bite another, would there be such an exchange? And I say that because that is one of the primary, uh, one of the primary issues with the 1P36 gene deletion. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in, in all of the zombie apocalypse scenarios, you will see that there are multinational forces. They all share the same thing. You know, there, oh, there is another thing that if you if you want to want to sell a weapon, if you have a patent, you make it very very serious that everyone needs this weapon to defend against something. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of business behind, and you have to substrate you have to sub. To, to take away this this interest to find out the truth. Yeah. So this is why I insist yeah. on it. I have critical questions on this. Those are good ones. I, I agree your point entirely. You know, they, they sell so many dangerous weapons because there are so dangerous enemies and when there, there are so many weapons never being used because the situation doesn't really come whether where they could be useful. <laughs> I, I wonder, you know, about that. It, it, if the owners didn't spend so much time causing us to to hate each other, to fear each other, um, you know, would we spend so much on on weaponology? Would we get along okay? My sense: the owners have been in charge for two thousand years, have been controlling us this very same duopoly paradigm. Yeah, it's, it's the same as with the, with the corona vaccination. You, they make us afraid, and then yes. the politicians buy something against it. This is what they do. They do it every time. They do it with vaccines, and they do it with weapons. The Hegelian dialectic, as I understand it's called. Yeah. So yeah, good point. I mean, we just had the, uh, how many um, shots did they order? I think they bought stuff for Germany already for until like 20, 2029 or so. Is that is that correct? Um, so what do you think that's, is that already something that's, um, that's going to be new stuff, like ever evolving, yeah. what they will then Give to the people. I think so. So the, the, in March, I think it's actually March 22, it happened a couple of days ago, and I'll, I'll send you the convention. They had a, in Texas, a convention on the commercialization of these lipid nanoparticles. I'm also going to send you the NASA warfare plan, NASA, because they talk about the use of these lipid nanoparticles uh, being able to, to be crop dusted. You know, they fly over a city, they drop the nanoparticles, they go into people's lungs, they burrow in off to control the human population. This is what they talk about. This convention that they had on the 22nd of March was to, uh, to share the, the knowledge and technology of commercialization, mass production of these lipid nanoparticles with whatever pathogens, whatever payloads you want to have, um, in, in such numbers that they literally now could do exactly as you described and fly over a city and turn everybody into whatever they want. Yeah. So it's it's I'm not the, that now. it's not the Sahara dust, but it's nanoparticles. Yes, that's exactly correct. Nanobots, in fact, nanobots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. We we could easily analyze the, the dust 
and find out great ideas. I think it's a super idea. Well, and, and it's not like they've been hiding it. They've been talking about smart duck for ages. Right? That, mm-hmm. that definitely exists. So I think you won't have a hard time finding it. But as long as they have seven, as they, as they have billions of people vaccinated or injected, they needn't spray something in the air. They just give it directly into the people. I, I think I think so. My, I don't know exactly why it is, but I, my sense is that they needed to install the hardware in people first. That you know, there are 3,300 commercial products, foods that already have these nanoparticles in them. You're, if you're drinking a Pepsi or a Coke, you are ingesting these nanoparticles. They're everywhere. But for whatever reason, our bodies seem to have the ability to repel these, our natural immunity. So my sense is, in order to be the hardware installation, they have to get people the HIV protein in order to disarm our natural immunity. And that was the key part of these shots. And thereafter, I suppose they can deliver their software upgrades anyway want to, but but probably most efficient is to shoot a man with a shot. Well, that is quite a horror show. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's the case. I am going to send you a lot of information that backs up everything. Yeah, please do that. Please do that. We have to dig into it. Because this is... uh, as horrific as it is, but we have to know about it. We have to get into the details of this in order to be able to, well, at least uh, get an idea of uh, how dangerous. I mean, it's obviously very, very, very dangerous. And what can we do about it? Yeah. So, do you, do you have any way to? Uh, is is there any uh, the, the scientists and doctors who you work with? Have they come up with any ideas of how to uh, counteract, of how to flush this out of your system, or does no one know anything? No, they they are. Um, Dr. Lee Vliet is actually really one of the pioneers in all of this, uh, and she's working on that diligently to to flush these out. Um, I can tell you right now what the early candidates are. My understanding is that chlorine dioxide strips away the um, the transistors, the welded transistors onto the onto the box. Chlorine dioxide is fairly common. It's a, what they call a universal cure. Um, I also understand carbon sixty will capture some of these. Uh, she's also talking about some um, chelated, chelated materials that, that they put into an IV. And I'll I'll get her to talk to you about that. And I'm also volunteering, by the way. All of my expert witnesses are happy to talk to you. They're happy to provide you whatever information that you require. Um, so my experts are your experts. And whistleblowers. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I yeah. one, one, um, more qu- one more question. Like when you think about these, uh, do you know, now we have the terrestrial uh, G5 um, towers and we yeah. also have the satellite yeah. things. So what's the, what's the point? Right. I mean, what's the difference? Um, I think it's a function of which frequency they're broadcasting on. So, for instance, when we talk about 5G, that's just a range of frequencies, 2 gigahertz up to 300 gigahertz, and they do different things, and they have different ranges. What's really troubling about it, really to your point, is that these cell phone towers out here, these 5G towers, have 300 gigawatts of energy. That's 3 megawatts. That's, or, sorry, yes, that's right. I think that's right. Gigahertz. Anyway. I get it wrong. Uh, 300,000 watts. That is 3 megawatts. That is enough to run a small city, 50, 60,000 people in each and every one of these towers. 
They are beaming microwave energy, the same stuff you cook food with. They're beaming all the time, and we've got uh, demonstrations of plants and animals, birds falling out of the sky from these signals as it is. These are the powerful ones. These are the strong ones, and it's because apparently at this wavelength, they don't travel very far, and apparently they're easily obstructed. The ones in space, um, they may be called 5G, but we really don't know much frequency they're broadcasting on. The longer the wave, the, the further the distance the signal travels. What we do know is there's supposed to be 28,000 of them up there, and that every single part of this planet is going to receive coverage. But it's also important to note, and I'm going to send it to you from 1976, the U.S. government, the Defense Intelligence Agency, already did all this work for us. They've already told us what frequencies do what things to people, all the way from from a half a hertz can affect our, our mentality if we're happy or sad, uh, even pain levels, all the way up to 300 gigahertz. And you might have seen Australia, they use the active denial system, which operates at 96 gigahertz, and it actually birthed the protesters. They literally cooked the protesters, and that was at about a 500-meter distance. So the, the strength of the tower and the signal are really what guide where they're putting them and what it is they do, and we don't know what those ones in space are doing. We don't even know what these ones are. In the United States, there's no law on this. OSHA, you know, has some limits that if you're going to work around these things, you have to wear protective gear or turn them off. Other than that, there is no protection. In fact, when we studied this, our law firm studied this, we found out in 2019 that in, in many states they made it a crime for city council members to vote against the implementation of 5G. And there are no standards whatsoever. They could cook us all day long. There's not a damn thing to do about it. And what, what can we do it? If you look at Wuhan, 21 million people, they either ditched their cell phones or they terminated their 5G service in the month of November. So that might be a guide to us. And so far as what you're saying, that our phones, our 5G phones, are targeting systems. And I think that's what the Chinese figured out. They just ditched their phones and, you know, some died from COVID, some didn't. But it's that radiation poisoning that, that will mimic almost any disease that you can think of they can create with this electromagnetic radiation. I'm not going to send you the, the Defense Intelligence Agency's paper on the subject. Would it yes, also be possible um, to cure? I mean, if you weren't of evil yes. mind, you could also cure yes. with these towers? Absolutely. And we've got an expert by the name of John Waterman. He was on, um, in fact, let me, let me tell you that we were on, um, Caravan to Midnight is, a, is the, um, Fortnite Intelligence Report. I effectively tried my case. I was copying you all and trying my case to the court of public opinion on Saturday night. And so I called my expert witnesses to testify. And, and that's what they did. And John Waterman talked exactly to that point. The royal life frequencies, some of these are harmonic and they cure. Other ones will kill you. And we actually have that information as well. Um, I'm happy to share that. Again, my experts are yours. Um, if you want to listen to the whole program, uh, it's three hours worth of expert testimony. I'm happy to send that to you as well. Very, very good. Yeah, we must look into this. We must give us a, a, a deep dive because this is so important. Um, yeah, please send everything you can. Sure. Well, thank you. Will do. That was very interesting. It's really my pleasure. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not the looking at just before I run. I'm gonna let you know something. I am working on a legal basis to turn off the 5G towers. I think I can do it by virtue of criminal law. 
the Australians have had some success with that, and I'll keep you updated on what luck I'm having. But I'm starting to get some traction inside, believe it or not, the Department of Defense at various law enforcement agencies because they're coming to recognize this issue. So the more you all can get this out into the public mind, the more we can demand action, and the higher the chance of success are that we're going to be able to stop this using laws that we already have. Yeah, we'll do the best we can to spread all this. Uh, I think many, many millions of people will watch this because this is just incredible. Yeah, I wish it weren't so. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, Todd, it's a pleasure under the circumstances. Yeah, Um, likewise. We uh, must stay connected, obviously, and I think there will be – we, there will be a cooperation. I'm, uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we need to do something together. Great. I look forward to it. Really Thank pleasure. you very, Thank very, you very much. much. Oh, my goodness, everybody. We've been asked to witness to what needs to be held accountable. I think you got it this time, for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, what I can say is, uh, what the collective through Caroline said on Thursday that as we speak, the galactic intervention is occurring. So we just stay in our high hearts and stay open and remember to consciously praise, respect, thank, and love all the feelings and do no harm. None. And uh, crabby is not necessarily the nature of humans. Uh, they seem to have a tendency towards behaving like that. But uh, as we uh, praise, respect, thank, and love all the feelings and transmute, transmute, transmute everything into the higher planes of love. And uh, Rama's going to play us a little meditation. To lighten the energies up. This is is Matthias talking about the matrix and in a sense what he's talking about is using the higher frequencies to merge with the consciousness of the Akash and I can just say that the frequencies coming in from the sun all this stuff these folks are talking about the Monoatomic gold transmutes all of that matrix of death. <laughs> yes. And just uh, let's put this to the whole earth and all of our brothers and sisters from the galaxies participate with us. This is the interventive moment. Here we go. Um maybe not. Reality is much more easier, and the best way to understand the universe is to know how biology works. If you go to your body, you will understand what is happening in the entire cosmos. It was the network. It was like connecting the dots. And it's not about leaving this world. It's not about ascending. It's not about leaving this matrix. It's about becoming the matrix. The first thing 
as a concept that we have to understand about dimension is that dimension means two measures. That's the word dimensions. D from Latin, two. And mention, which is measure. So this means two ways of measure one thing. Two points of view. Different perspectives of only one thing. Meaning that every dimension is not separate from the other, but it's a different measurement of only one thing. <laughs> we usually say this is the third dimension and there is a fourth dimension and there is a fifth dimension. So we have to leave the third dimension in order to leave the fourth or the fifth. But it's not like that. It doesn't work like that. We have different points of view of only one thing. We are staring at different skies. Some of the stars that we see in the south are not the same stars that you see in the north. The third dimension is not a different thing from the other dimensions. The third dimension is basically a dimension where everything has three points of view because we have high, depth, and wide. That's three. And high, wide, and deep are called like this in space. And in time, we call it past, present, and future. So only in the third dimension exists the concept of past, present, and future because we are three. We have three points of view. But when you add a fourth vision of that, you have eternity because there is a fourth line that connects past, present, and future. That's the fourth dimension. It's very difficult to understand the fourth dimension from the third dimension. The only way is a dream. When you dream, things happen without time, without space. Sometimes you just turn around and you are in a different country, in a different place, and in a different time with a different body. So the fourth dimension is like that all the time. So when you dream, you are living the fourth dimension. Usually people want to go, I don't know why, everyone wants to go to the fifth one. But the fifth dimension is the expansion of light or, or awareness of the third and the fourth. So you cannot be in the fifth dimension if you don't enjoy the other two. It's impossible. Because the fifth dimension is the awareness of every vibration and light of your molecules in this body. So if you don't feel your body completely aware, you will not feel the awareness of the fifth dimension. That's why enlightenment is not going to the sky, is to shine. To go to the fifth dimension, you have to shine from the third and to understand every possibility that you have in the fourth. Third dimension is this, as I said, past, present, and future. So when you are in the fourth dimension, you are not anymore your body here and now. You are the first cell, you are a reptile, from millions of years ago, you were a fish. The thing is that you were many things and your water was in many trees through thousands of years where rivers in the ocean and then they end up being your blood, every drop of water. So you were so many things that in the fourth dimension, you can access to the data that your cells had about all that. All your evolution through millions of years is encoded there in this body. So in the fourth dimension, You can feel it. You can be that. What happened in the fifth dimension is when you locate yourself in the core of all that, see around and say, oh, this is all me. I can feel, be, and become aware of... <laughs> Scientist shot. Tinnitus comes from your tongue. Scientists call this the craziest tinnitus experiment ever. <laughs> of all that. And it's not about leaving this world. It's not about ascending. It's not about leaving this matrix. 
is about becoming the matrix, becoming this world, becoming this creation. So the fifth dimension is basically a state of understanding in which you can feel the sun and the proton in the same way. And you can see a person and a tree in the same way. The person who explained it better was Freud. We are mammals. And um, we grow inside a mother. We are nine months inside of the womb of a mother. And when we get out, usually the father is expecting and we see the light. So if you start to understand how biology works, you will see that you have been trapped inside a mother for nine months expecting to see the light of the father. It's not about God. It's not about this reality. It's about mammals. If you go to a seed, to a plant, they have a completely different view from what we right. understand. If you go to the mineral system, they don't have this issue. Only mammals have this issue because we were inside a mother. In Latin, the origin of the word mother is matrix. So when we say matrix, matrix is matrix, means it's the veil that covers you. That would be the matter, it's matrix, matrix. And then is atar, the father, who is the pater. Pater means the path, is the one that leads. So it's a line that leads you outside the mother. It's all vocabulary from a family. So that's why we call the father God and mother earth, because we are mammals. When you project the third dimension into the other dimensions, you are creating this idea of we are all trapped and we have to go through a long process of trying to be free from something that is holding us. And once we are free from that, we will be received by the light of the Father. And then we will be free. But suddenly the Father says there are rules. You have rules because this is a home and you have to take care of the home. And then you grow up and you acknowledge that the mother is just loving you. That's why it's trapping you in her love. And then you understand that, oh, it's not that my mother was possessive. It was that trying to protect me from something from the outside. So I love my mother and I forgive my mother, forgive my father. And suddenly when I just start to hate my father too, because the rules of my father are allowing me to do my life, I decide to start my own path and start to look within and look my own truth. And suddenly I became that. And I have my own kid and I am mother or father and the own creator of my own reality with my own rules. And it repeats and again and again. So sometimes we project into the universe things that only mammals have issues with. The sixth dimension is the creator itself as creator, acting as a creator. The sixth dimension is the one that takes all the ideas, all the feelings, everything and starts to manifest a different thing from it. It's like manufacture. When you take the main material from, I don't know, a rock, the sixth dimension would be the guy sculpting the rock to make a shape, a sculpture. The process of the sixth dimension is not really like lightning for us because it breaks the shapes of the original shape. It takes the light and in the sixth dimension turns it into a rainbow, which means also takes a being and divide it into different beings. Takes a triangle and divide it in fractals, so you have a sphere. So the sixth dimension is the one transforming the main things into completely different stuff, which means that it's the creator 
and also the one that distort the main thing. If we could use very human religious words, is the dimension where the archangels exist and they are working in the light and in the darkness at the same time. They can see and also they can transform the shapes that they see into something completely different, like in a distorted image. We are a distorted image of an archangel. We are a distorted image of a cell. Without distortion, we wouldn't exist. Archangel means the powerful messenger. It's a message of power. There are attributes of the creator that you can activate within you. Like, I am the medicine, I am the protector, I am the light, I am the path, I am life. I am who said that? Jesus. He was trying to embody every one of the names of God. The archangels are not beings from outside. We are within them. How the solar system was created, it was a big explosion. The sun exploded, divided itself, and created chaos, destruction all around, and all the rocks, the parts that remain without light became planets. So they cannot shine anymore. They are not light, but they were part of the light. Earth was part of the sun. And so much energy in the sun shining so much created an explosion that allowed the planets to exist. So it is because of that destruction and division that life on Earth exists. But not only because the sun and its explosion, also because of the gravity of Jupiter. Without Jupiter, life wouldn't be possible here because we would have been consumed by asteroids. When I say seventh dimension, imagine that the seventh dimension is like the sun, like this bright being that is completely shining and fully aware of the divinity that it is, and that within itself has the power, the light, the life, everything inside. But some part of it says, how can I be all this if I cannot experience all this? So a part of yourself decides to open your eyes and say, I will leave what I have within. And that's the explosion. The only way to create is by duality, second dimension. So you need polarity in order to move time and space. Because if they don't spin, they don't create life. They need movement, love. This movement will create that. So second dimension is the movement of polarity. Which brings us all to the first dimension, which is is the unity experiencing itself. But the only way to arrive to the third dimension is through the ninth dimension, which is God. It's not only in the center, it's holding everything and understanding everything. It's like you with your body being fully aware of the work of every one of your organs, of every one of your cells, of how your DNA works. If you become fully aware of everything that makes you be who you are, that's the ninth dimension or God. Everything emerges from the first dimension, of course, because I am. So if this I am has a dream, and the dream of the I am is in the eighth dimension, which is everything is possible, everything is there. That's the dream, the great dream where all the timelines, everything could exist there. The I am in the first dimension, when it sees the dream of the eighth dimension, that everything is possible, goes to the seventh dimension because it's all the same. We can explain from the first going to the second or the first going to the eighth. You have one dot, which is the I am, and then it creates the infinite, which is the eight. Everything is there. Everything is possible.
Wonderful, everybody. Okay. When we agreed to be roommates, we said no romantic involvements. Tom, your mother and I. My roommate wouldn't call. (laughs) God, squeeze in one more commercial. Why not? Okay, this is called Extraterrestrial Races. It's by our sister, Garcia Duzak. Okay, I gotta find that. What perspectives can Tegetans offer humans about our origins and the connections between ETs, our religions, and the cosmos? Mm-hmm. Revealing in-depth details about the lineages of different ET species with Earth contactee Garcia Dusak, Swaru'u of Era, charts the connections between star systems and entire family trees of ETs, discussing the connections of Seraphim to Draco, Swaru'u also reveals the indigenous tribes, such as the Hopi and Maya, were started as ET colonies. These original advanced beings that became known Mm. as the Aztec, Olmecs, Maya, and Hopi, who Mm. built the megalithic structures still on Earth today, were from the Maya star system. M-A-I-A. I'm getting there. Ram is getting there. Yeah. Just, uh, we know what we can do uh, to assist the planet and ourselves. Is Just be love in every thought, word, and deed. And, uh, you know, when we feel grumpy, we can find something like a joke to make us laugh. Yeah. That is really good at that. She is. Oh, I haven't got a joke real front and handy. I'm getting there. Okay. Rama's getting there, everyone. <laughs> um, and, uh. The electrons. Oh, here's a joke. Let's see, I can read this one. For those of us blessed with Scandinavian ancestry, and there's all these Scandinavian uh, warriors, or what do you call them, Nordics, you know, they got they got hats on their heads with horns on the hats, and they've got shields, wooden shields, and their swords, and they're all sitting there yakking together. So someone raises their hand and says, uh-oh, dibs on pillaging their library. And then at the bottom it says, the little known cousin of Eric the Red. Bjorn the well-read. Oh, that's the person that's saying that. Ha, 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 ha. Did you find it, Commander? Um, uh, yeah, it's taking a bit because it's moving stuff around. you got to talk louder if you want everybody to hear what you're saying, darling. Okay. Almost there. Almost there, everybody. Okay, almost there. 
Mm -hmm. I'll just read a few of these because they work. This is uh, something. Here we are. Oh, all right. Manifest, manifest. All right. Yeah. This is what, about a half hour? 30 minutes. 30 minutes. That's called a half hour. Yes, as far as I know. Here we go. Okay. Oh, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Yes, Penny. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you this series that you're, you're going to play, uh, uh, uh Dasuk. Um, the very first one in the series is called Transcending Genetic Tampering, which is what we just finished talking about. Yeah. So uh, it so would be good to play that one again. Okay. Okay. Well, you please. I think so. And then there's the initial ma- the the hacking of the 3D, like the ones that she's just finished. They all speak to what Matthias was saying too. I just wanted to remind us again that we need to go back and look at her first one with new eyes or ears, I guess. Yeah. I, That's I, all. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Oh, but Penny, does Rama have? Yes. It? Okay. Can you go on and go on and go find that one then? Yeah, but I was, I'll play that instead of this. That's what Penny was suggesting. Okay. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying that at some point I think we should go back to it, even after the, after the break or something. Oh, okay. So we can just play what you want, Rama, right now. Well, this first one here, this one about the races is also interesting. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. No, okay. Thank bye. You, thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay. <laughs> okay, Rama's going to play the one we got here for the first moment now, but we will do that. point of view 
with a framework of artificial characteristics that varies according to those who see or observe them. A gravel stone is alive. The water is alive. A piece of broken glass in the trash is alive according to how life is defined and it is not biology. It is consciousness. It is true that the piece of glass has less attention of a consciousness than the glass before getting broken, since the piece loses the attention since it is not useful anymore. And like everything that loses attention, it degrades again from being an object to being potential energy again. Everything is consciousness and emanates from consciousness. Life is everywhere in the universe because it is the universe. Do not ask if there is life among all those stars filling the night sky. Those stars exist because there is life in them. The humanoid races are the norm, being the most common ones. Taking humans as a base reference here, there are at least 400,000 civilizations in this galactic quadrant with inhabitants of various races who would pass for humans. Each and every one of those 400,000 civilizations are different, with small physical differences, capabilities, or DNA. But all appear as humans. Starting from those 400,000, we would pass to the countless others who look like humans, but they already clearly differ in something that would not make them pass for a human. Example of this would be the Diesley Diplex Arcturians, Andromedans, Sassani, and the Sauroids, among so many more. There are countless other feline races, canines, insectoids, elephant ones, each one at a different level of scientific and social development. In the Pleiades, there are many civilizations in the pre-industrial stage. Some have barely discovered the wheel or the fire. Others are in stone, bronze, or medieval stage. You can never finish learning and seeing the enormous variety of art, customs, and characters that exist. I speak of billions, of trillions of civilizations. When the Earth 
was in the Stone Age. It was from one point of view in 5D, from another in 2D. It cannot be catalogued as easily as the researchers of this topic on Earth believe. Many races do not want to be known. They feel threatened. They like their privacy. They do not want to be included. Have you ever heard about the solations, for example? Another problem. There are other races that Hollywood already ruined, imposing the concept that they are fiction. Civilizations, and how many there are, is more than monumental. Everyone believes that in the Pleiades, everything is advanced. That they are orbs of light in high densities of love and light. There are many feudal or earlier civilizations there. Even right there in the Pleiades. And they don't know anything about their interstellar older brothers and sisters. They also look at the night sky and wonder what those little lights that go through the sky shining at night are, creating myths and stories about those lights. Our ships. And this even in 5D? Even in 5D. Their densities are not synonymous with technological advance. It is more related to spiritual advancement. How many interstellar races are there in the Pleiades? About 11 interstellar races. Example of this is the race Mollus of Atlas. The Mollus are spiritually advanced people with a small population. They are not interstellar. Not for being fools, not for lack of communication, by their own decision. They have said something very profound and very important. Why be interstellar? Because they are no longer centered in the physical like other races. There are races in 5D that are not interstellar. It is curious that 5D can be in the stage of Bronze Age. The vast majority of the 5D races, 99.9999% of the races in 5D, are not interstellar. Each one for its own reason. Many for the same reason, logical. Others do not reach the technological and spiritual level to be interstellar. To be interstellar, technology must be correctly combined with spirituality. Otherwise, you simply cannot be. Or by own conviction, not needing that. I thought that being in 5D 
this already grants a certain spiritual level. From the 3D point of view of the Earth, of course, yes. From the 5D point of view, there are also stages and spiritual development. There is always more. Going back to the races of the Pleiades, there are 11 interstellar. Do you think it matters to mention what they are? Yes, the main ones are Alcione, Yena, Serope, Sauk, Meswaki, Astarok, Eloch, Elohi, Naf, Elois, Merope, Piedien, Felians, Merope, Lyrian, Ashans, Humanomorphs, Taigeta, Taigetans, Pleione, Solation, Atlas, Atlantis, Molus, Electra, Engan, Seleano, Celestes or Blue Pleiadian, Blues, Maya, Maya, Molos, Hopi. These are the main ones and there are variants of them. If we went into it, there would be thousands. And all humanoids? Some more than others, but yes. Some are positive soroids. Others, felines. Other Lyra-based. Soroids are reptilians, are they not? Yes. Sauko or the Masbaki. So there are reptilian races in the Pleiades and are they positive? Yes. Not because they are soroids means they are negative. Do they have anything to do with Draco reptilians, same family? Alpha Draconians? Alpha Dracos are positive but they are not in the Pleiades. And yes, there are negative Alpha Dracos, but they are always kept in check by the positive ones. Okay, and these Soroids in the Pleiades, are they related to those outside Pleiades? Yes, all races have their relatives, inside and outside. Are there Nordics like you all, but negative? Yes, of course there are. But there are also many artificial clones made to appear like us. And they are not us for negative agendas. Speaking of non-interstellar races, for example, in Atlas, we have the Molas, not interstellar. But in Maya, we have again other molas called molas maya that are in the cellar being the same race. Maya with an I is for the solar system Maya M45. Maya with a Y is for the race, the people. Okay, and the Maya Hopi have to do with our Mayas and our Hopis? They are, then, hence the name. That's where they were from initially. What they had on Earth were colonies. 
Do they have anything to do physically with the Mayan and Hopi now? They look almost the same. From what I understand, they no longer have communication with each other. About the Maya civilization in Mesoamerica, there are two, and the human science only recognizes one. There are the original interstellar Maya. They returned home and left buildings and a lot of influence. Then came the proto-Mayas and took over the buildings and customs and misinterpreted them, such as sacrifices. This also occurred in Egypt. The Egyptian culture, from the age of the great kings up to the year 50 before Christ, when Julius Caesar invades, Julius Caesar only took what was there as a basis for their own interpretation of the civilization that was there before them. The Sphinx and the pyramids precede the classical Egyptian civilization, as the Mayan structures precede the modern Maya. And proto-Mayas came from where? The cultures that surround them, like the Toltec, the Olmec, and the Aztec, among others. And the Hopi, how do they relate? Did the same thing occur? Because it says on the list, Maya star and Hopi race together. Hopi are in Arizona. Some went home. Others died there and joined the cycle of the incarnation of the earth. Others merged among other cultures or founded other cultures. So the Hopi of Arizona are also from Maya? Yes. People will ask about the Eloh, Elohim. Do they have to do with the Elohim of the Bible? They are also related. Much of what I have shared is intertwined with knowledge that is already on earth and is loaded with meanings. They are or have the same name because they were there or because they are them. Fallen angels and all that is attributed to them. I'm still not clear if the Elohim of the Pleiades are the same as the Elohim of the Bible? Elohim, yes, but it is complicated because it comes from that they are a race of air. Elios, a spirit, taken as deities by some and as invasive and malevolent spirits by others. At the end, they are only more people. And it is true that much of them had to do with humanity in antiquity. They are taken as fallen angels and demons. They are several Pleiadian races, positive Soroites, returning to other species. What is the 
difference between alpha dragos, dragos, and reptiles? Are they all the same family? Are they of the same hierarchies? They are all sauroid or reptilian races. There are innumerable reptilian races. These are the main branches or species. The graphic is not complete. It only shows the main ones, but it gives an idea. Seraphim, are they reptiles? Yes. I believed that they were angels in the Christian religion and of Judaism. Yes, of course. This is a reptilian infiltration into the Christian culture. They are reptiles, winged. There are negative and positive ones. Seraphim draconians. I have not seen or heard that they would be anything other than negative. How do they perceive the Tigetans and other races, the Alpha? How do they relate to you, and how do you perceive them? Since way back in time, thousands of linear years. They cooperate and respect the races of the Federation. The relation is cordial and of mutual respect, many times that of cooperation. In general, they are not problematic. But yes, there are still isolated negative Alpha Draco factions. But the positives hold them at a distance, and they hunt them down. The Alpha Dragos are the most impressive creatures or beings one can meet in space. It is difficult to surpass a lizard three stories tall that has ships and blows fire. Orma, a feline dominant species, one of many. Uncountable feline species, just as the dominant alpha dracos is the dominant reptile or reptilian race, the urma is the dominant feline race. Place of origin: the star Vega, planets Lyra and Avalon. But the same as the alpha dracos, they have colonies all over the galaxy. Especially in this quadrant, note that they come from the same planets as the Lyrians. They coexisted and cooperated among themselves. They are friendly to each other. They have colonies on thousands of planets, but the colony on Sirius is especially large, second only to Vega. Orma. Before they were very invasive. Today they are pacific and spiritual. They are members of the Federation of United Planets. They are lions or tigers on two feet, short legs, long spine, tails with a ball of hair at the end sometimes. The language is mainly telepathic, but they talk. Even though they do not pronounce well, they are carnivores, 
but make synthetic meat. They no longer hunt. Craft shape. It is like a long and solid U. Highly polished, metallic. Few exits, only at the back for the engines. Total warp capacity. Very interstellar. They are very united. And help respect other feline races. They are progressive with high spirituality. Extremely loving and empathic. Despite this, fierce warriors. So fierce that even the Alpha Dracos fear them. Syrians. It is as with the Pleiadians. They are not one race. It is a complex of innumerable races. So what you find about them is very varied. Not all Syrian starseeds are in humanoid bodies. The more obvious Syrians and closest to the Earth are the Cetaceus, the dolphins, whales. In terms of spirituality, they are more advanced than the humans. Having a complex civilization is not synonym to advancement. They simply don't need a civilization. There is no use for that for them. They have all inside. Their communication. Their world. Their all. They are closer to the source with a very strong connection. They were seeded on many worlds, including Taimat, Earth, Era, Temer, among others. Those that I suppose are the most influential are those that are taken as the basis of the Egyptian civilization as a race. But in the post-pyramids and post-Sphinx phase, because that is prime and of the Federation conglomerate in origin. Isis, or Ishtar, had a strong connection with Ceres, mistakenly portrayed as a Syrian. She only worked with Syrians and was highly respected by them. It is a civilization based on Sirius A, on multiple planets. They are advanced humanoids with a blue tint. Sirians are not one species. They are a large conglomerate of species, all with their starseeds. There are even reptilians from Sirius, positive. There are Urma from Sirius. There are other advanced races with civilization that are blue and are related with the Andromedans and the Celeste. That is yet another species. It is aquatic 
with extensive submarine civilizations, especially on the Sirius B. Do they have genders? How do they reproduce? The dominant Syrians on Sirius A, those with the ships, reproduce sexually. They are all semi-aquatic, with high to moderate amount of amphibian genes. Not all who come from Sirius are aquatic, but mostly yes. The zone is dominated by water planets, compared to what Tiamat was like or Tamer is, even though Tamer has many islands. Are they related to the Dogon myths in Mali? There they have legends of Syrians from Sirius A, B, and they also say there is a Sirius C. Yes, there is mythology all over the earth, talking about advanced water beings who planted medicine, art, architecture. The earth does not have influences of one Syrian species only, but multiple ones. The 5D is like the standard of the universe, being the majority or the dominant density. Even so, there is still duality. The fact that a species is aggressive or harmful is only an interpretation of those who disagree with it. It is not an attribute of intrinsic evilness of the species. It's just that its attitude and way of being contrast with those of others. From the moment that there are men and women here, there is duality, even though it is dissolving. It is said on Earth that the 5D has attributes that we would rather tag 7D for. The transition between the attributes of the 3D to the attributes where they say it's all love, no duality, androgynous entities, no men or women, is more gradual. It has to, by logic, go through here, through the 5D as we described it. High telepathy and the absence of time as such, being only semi-linear as an individual own animating experience, but not calculable from the point of view of the collective. Since you have telepathy here, it already means a great change of attitude, because you enter and understand more other people. So a direct consequence of this is the understanding that they are also aspects of you, the same person, all connected. And that dissolves many things that cause conflicts, simply by the presence of abundant empathy. Even so, this is only a part of a transition to other planes where duality melts, diffuses, evaporates. 
you cannot have a place totally without duality, because it would be all-inclusive. There is only one place like that, the source, the all. Okay, so we're going to go right back to our brother Matthias. There's one more. I think it'll just be about right. (laughs) Money is God's money. The divine spirit prospers me in every possible way. I praise the wealth of God. God is all it is. I now claim it for my own. My money is God's money. I believe in the goodness of God's wonderful money. I am not self-stingy. I like money and appreciate all I can do with it for myself and those I love. Never condemn money in any way. I know its spiritual origins. Okay, Mama's ready. Here we go. Our brother Matthias. What's that called? Uh, I am the medicine. I am the protector. I am the light. I am the path. I am life. I am... Who said that? Jesus. He was trying... <laughs> That's the same one. No, it's Embody every one of the names of God. <laughs> The universe is all about frequencies. Imagine that every reality and every being is like a radio station. You can tune yourself in the frequency that you want to hear. If you don't like some messages of someone that is constantly talking about bad things, you just change the radio and that's it. But in order to do that, you have to tune yourself into a new frequency so you can hear new messages. The best preparation for everyone in order to become a process with anything in your life, to change your life into a much more aware consciousness or something. I always say that there are only three things from which we can start. There's one for the body, another for the soul, and the other one for the spirit. The first one, which is for the body, is to change the way you eat. Is the most easy and difficult thing at the same time. And it's not about changing the way you eat according to be more spiritual. It's not that. It's about acknowledging what your body is really asking for. It's not that being much more aware or spiritual, you have to be vegetarian or vegan. Do what your body is asking for. And if you are working for your awakening and awareness, your body will stop asking for meat and will start to ask for fruits, plants, seeds. Why? Because to become aware, you need light. And the best beings that can manifest light into matter are the plants. So if you are trying to make more clear your memory to awaken and enlighten your DNA, so you need things that manifest light. So that would be the first one. The other one is breathing for the soul. All the hormones of the body are controlled by how you breathe, basically, and how your endocrine system works. So you need to oxygen your blood, everything. And 
the best way to do it is taking deep breath and not by the mouth. The mouth was meant to be for eating, not breathing. Breathing is only through the nose, in and out, and very deep from the lower part of the lungs. That would calm the hormones, that would calm the emotions, so organize the information of the soul. Soul for me is energy. Soul in Spanish is alma, which is anima, and it comes from the Latin animated, animal, mm -hmm. so the things that move. So is the energy that moves you, that's the soul. Pay attention to how you breathe, to order your chakras, to order your energy, everything. And the third one, which is for the spiritual realm, the higher self, is to laugh more. Laughter is a key of high vibration. So when you laugh, the vibration goes higher. So anything that is down, you cannot feel it. So if you want to feel better in your life, you have to laugh more about the bad things and to be in a higher resonance all the time. So eat better, breathe better, and laugh more. The power that we have inside, the ability to create, manifest, the power that we can awake in certain frequencies, move stones. But in order to do that, the person that moves them should be very aligned with itself in every cell, like completely, like in a very deep connection with itself. The pyramids were built with people that were working, but also singing. Without the specific sounds and singing, there wouldn't be pyramids today. We work like a battery. Everything that we do normally in our life, like eating, like having sex, like talking, are so powerful that we are still like kids trying to play with something that is really important. Talking is something that is unique in our existence. And it's the way in which you can create by frequency, by resonance. The universe creates everything through vibration. So we have the ability to create with this. And sometimes it's really amazing how a lot of people get Welcome, dear one. I've been eagerly awaiting your arrival. You see, the... De <laughs> gets all the information that I am saying, even if they don't understand a word that I am saying, because maybe it's another culture or whatever, and they capture the information beyond the words or the language, just because vibration. The power that we have inside is infinite. It's just that we are playing with it right now. We are just trying to figure out how to use it properly. Yeah. So I would say as a practical thing that in order to awaken that potential, we should not try to imitate others' potential, what others are doing. Maybe they do something that is amazing and they are losing their time trying to do something that is the potential of others. I encourage everyone to always look into what they love the most to do. There's no rush. Because when you rush to go to the future, you reach the fourth dimension, which is eternity. So there's no rush because the universe is not about heading to somewhere. It's about moving on. There's no place to go, no place from where we came from. It's a constant. That's the universe, a constant of time and space. So if we do everything what we do in order to finish something or to reach a point we will never be happy. And it's not about leaving this world. It's not about ascending. It's not about leaving this matrix. It's about 
becoming the matrix. That whole system of the dimensions is how you see the universe in that perspective. So what happened? From the first one, you go to the eighth. The eighth says, oh, this is why I can be seventh dimension. Oh, I feel it. Incredible. But what can I do with this? Sixth dimension. Oh, I can create. I can do stuff. And when you do stuff, you learn. So you become aware of what you've done. Fifth dimension. Oh, now I get it. I understand everything. And I know that I can do this forever. Fourth dimension. I can change and create these things and these shapes forever. But where can I experience? Because I'm not experiencing what I can create. So third dimension. The third dimension is, okay, I will get inside the system that I create. I will become that in order to exist. But the only way to do it is to separate my parts because I am so huge that I cannot experience altogether. I have to divide myself in many people, realms, and all the things. Um, third dimension. The only way I can do it is through polarity. Because of this polarity, second dimension, is that I can create a third one, first dimension again. And once I created something new from all that path, I become fully aware in the ninth dimension. It's like a circle. So one and nine, they touch each other like they are the same. So one is like the core. It's like the center that cannot see everything, but can feel everything. The one is within, is the one that says, I don't understand and I don't even care. Is the one that says I am. The I am in the first dimension, when sees the dream of the eighth dimension, that everything is possible, goes to the seventh dimension. Because it's all the same. We can explain from the first going to the second or the first going to the eighth. You have one dot, which is the I am, and then it creates the infinite, which is the eight. Everything is there. Everything is possible. Eighth dimension. And the ninth dimension is the one that knows I am, but can see what I am. We made it up to the end. Mm-hmm. We got to go see Nelson about that funny glitching. Yeah. What in the world is that? Well, I'll be darned. We have arrived at this time situation again. Um, I might just introduce a little bit because we're going to do the astrology after this. So let's just talk about a little bit of that while we're here. Um... We've been waiting for this Neptune cycle for one year since transiting Neptune square nodes January 2021. Squared nodes January 2021. The past Neptune node situation created confusion in the world. Oh, good job. Yes, we noticed. Mm. <laughs> Deceptions, secrets, and unreal narratives and players. The new Neptune-Jupiter sextile north node this March 10th through April 20th. So we're still in that period, yes. Peaking exact on April 14th. And today's the 9th. So 9 and 5 is 14. 
uh, 10, 11, 12, 13. Next Thursday, our, our roundtable day, yeah, replaces certain people and circumstances which have been at the root of social depression and massive secrecy of the destructivity of of destructivity only Neptune negatives can do. Wow, replaces certain people. Oh my. I mean, they said that one in English, everybody. <laughs> we'll send good vibrations, whatever it is necessary to uh, do. So certain people and circumstances which have been at the root of the social depression and massive secrecy of the destructivity only Neptune negatives can do. The lower nature of Neptune is continualized madness of mixed messages, denials and layers of undermining behavior. Yeah, I mean, you watch the news and it's the complete opposite of what's really going on. Any any channel, any time, it's just a, the only chance of getting something closer is to on the internet because they pulled it from Dish and from uh, DirecTV. Watch the headline news from RT. Yes. But okay, we'll go on here. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the lower nature of Neptune, Neptune is continualized madness of mixed messages, denials and layers of undermining behavior. This is the midpoint period we are in now, where the past Neptune node cycle from January 2021, symbolic for a year of unfortunate confusion, up to the next extremely favorable Neptune node cycle on January, oh, 2025, oh dear. Three more years, everybody. Three and a half, four years. That's okay. We can do this. Neptune can join the North Node. Yeah. The Neptune cycle right now is a sextile, which acts, acts as a midway point between the January 21, 21 Neptune Square Nodes and 2025 Neptune Conjoin Node. This cycle now is very helpful for depth of discovery, uncovering destructive activities. However, it is not as anchoring and initiating power as conjunctions, which we experienced October, November 2015, and again January 2021. Then again, January 2025. Yet this March-April node Neptune will be bringing ideals and dreams of a more productive and high standard universally embraced all over Mother Gaia. It can answer many, many questions for the world. As the world will hear clean out those ears, and provide solutions. Stay in your heart. Many will adopt a more realistic facing of facts and accepting the inevitable next position to take globally because the universal agreeing upon facts 
and discovery of information. No one can deny these things. Shove it under the carpet. This cycle can assist with important exchange of information openly and fairly. Increase honest cooperation, regardless of the price they personally need to pay for accepting this transparency. It brings an energy of goodness to all professionals who do still have the capacity to receive the higher energies of Neptune, which are qualities of universal love, progress, and compassion. This cycle supports society with problem-solving, communications, forming like-minded groups, unifying professionals who desire a higher and more accurate, efficient, and intelligence, an intelligent system, and who desire higher and more accurate, efficient, and intelligent systems, solutions, innovations, upgrading quality of life. It segues into the transiting Neptune conjoined the North Node on January, February 2025, which has a much more powerful action energy, a launching of something dynamic, powerful, and extraordinary in the world. It releases the full power of launch progress for more functioning, sane, beautiful, and efficient for nations while providing opportunities for expanding one's best self, increases financial opportunities, health, and medicine, and inspires innovation in all areas of life. It will be the power of sanity, the opportunity for the etheric to mesh with the physical, bringing that clarity to all situations. It exposes undeniably the evils in the world perfectly and quickly deals with them as new programs are put in place. This will occur even in spite of a continual opposition, threats, and dark underground activity. Personally, from now up through 2025, Neptune, the planet of dreams and inspirations, reaches out to others easily for collaboration, friendship, and unity. It can stimulate and motivate moving forward with fulfilling our destinies by a globally, mutually shared ideal, which is soon becoming the new standard for the world. Beliefs of freedom and independence, humane fairness, and opportunity to live in a world which uses advanced spiritual and technological standards for all to thrive transparently. I must add, however, the years where truly we are beginning to see the light at the end is 2027 through 2032. No world war. It is not allowed. There is too much at stake, and we are almost at the finish. Again, reflect on how far. You have come in your own awareness and understanding. Multiply this effect throughout all humanity. And I'll stop there because it's time to take a break.
So we'll do some more of this, and we'll take a look at these stars some more with our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kay Pacha, and we will have music, too. Yet for just a moment, Tito will take a bit of a break. Namaste, everybody. See you soon. Aloha. That was an invocation to the triple goddess, Sirudwin. Uh, we pass the talking stick to you, Richard. Yes, sir. Well, let's see here. We got uh, we got April ninth, and the sun is already in the twenty-first degree of Aries. Can you? Believe it, that's two-thirds of the month is dawn already. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the days are moving at the same speed they always move, but they feel slower or faster depending on, you know. So, yeah, you're talking about the astrological month, right, Richard? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that humanity should adjust their months to the Zodiac. I agree. Yes, sir. Thank you for making it so here and now. <laughs> uh, no, we can, we can, if we can get enough humans together to create that thought and then exteriorize it. Make it real on the physical, physical plane. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be good. Okay, starting with tonight. Right now, the moon is exactly opposite Pluto, less than a quarter of a degree from an exact opposition. Moon up there, twenty twenty nine, Cancer. To 29 Capricorn. Next in line behind Pluto is Saturn at 23 Aquarius. Mars is up to Mars is up to 27 Aquarius. Then you got Venus is at Five Pisces tonight. Venus and Pisces, kind of nice. Kind of dreamy. And messages from the energy holdings of Pisces, which is both unconscious, subconscious, and perhaps superconscious. Now, um, Jupiter and Neptune are less than half a degree apart, still conjunct there. They're at, uh, they're at 23 Pisces tonight. And see, that's exactly opposite to what I got over there in 23 Virgo. And then we got Chiron at 13, Sun at 21, Mercury is up to, what is that, Mercury? Mercury is all the way up to 28. Mercury is pulling ahead of the 28 Aries. Next week, Mercury, next week Mercury may be in Taurus. 
Then Uranus is still at 14. And that's the layout. We got a trine between the moon and that uh, Jupiter Neptune. And we got sextiles between Saturn and Mercury. And we got squares between Pluto and Mercury. And this week, the sun is going to square Pluto. So we got sun square Pluto later in the week. Um, yep, that's not too much fun either. Uh, Saturn is still square Uranus. No change with the Saturn-Uranus troubles. And that's it. So we, this week we start the moon opposing. So during the week, the moon's going to oppose Saturn, Mars, Venus, and Jupiter and Neptune. And I'll check next Saturday here in a minute at the break. So let's see what Kaipacha has in his brain this week to share with us. This is about a half hour. All right. Everybody, this is Kai Potcher with the Weekly Bailey Report. I got myself a new phone, so I hope this thing works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is an astrological report for April 6th of 2022. Right now that uh, moon is in Gemini, but uh, by tomorrow, she's going to move into Cancer. And uh, we're going to have a, she's going to square the sun. 19 degrees, 24 minutes of Cancer over to the Sun. 19 degrees, 24 minutes of Aries. Moving on. Mercury is moving on. And, you know, they're both coming up to Eris, the goddess of discord. Mercury is exactly conjunct uh, Eris on Friday. The Sun, next Wednesday. We can talk a little bit about Eris. She used to go across the battlefield and enjoy the sight of the blood and all of the, uh, you know, the, the dead soldiers. And, um, yeah, <laughs> she really enjoyed battle, the sister of, of Ares, the god of war. And, of course, uh, the new moon was in the sign of Ares. And, you know, as the moon goes into Cancer, she is uh, going to square that sun. And oppose Pluto up there in Capricorn before she moves on to Leo on Saturday. And uh, finally, Virgo by next Tuesday. So besides the movements of uh, the moon and the sun uh, moving through Aries, uh, we also have, and this is probably the big one what I want to be talking about today, uh, a couple of things become exact uh, this week, yes, uh, this week, Saturn, 
uh, moves into an exact square with the moon's nodes. That is on next Monday. But within a degree, if we give it one degree, it's really from April 1st to the 11th. And we know that Mars was also there squaring, right, the moon's nodes. So this Saturn-Mars square to the moon's nodes is really big, and I want to be talking more about that. And at the same time, Jupiter comes into his exact conjunction with Neptune over there in the very late degrees of Pisces, the third deacon, which is associated with Scorpio. Yeah. So these are the big things that I'd like to be talking to you about today. In the meantime, Mercury is just cruising along. And besides, you know, conjuncting with Eris, then it's going to square Pluto on Sunday. So, yeah, we've got uh, a lot of different kinds of energies uh, going on around here. I, I made it up to North Carolina here, and I, I thought, you know, it was the dry season in Costa Rica, and there was, you know, a lot of brown leaves and things, but uh, here in... Uh, North Carolina, it is very gray, very gray, very interesting landscape. So anyway, I'll find a little spot on the river here and talk at you. Okay, well, as usual, I'm not really quite sure what I'm going to say today. <laughs> It's a bit of an emotional day for me. I have to say, this moon, uh, you know, uh, coming through Gemini is aspecting, uh, it's a sextile, the sun, Chiron, Mercury, trining Saturn, coming into, you know, square, the Jupiter-Neptune, uh, aspecting Mars. It's, a, it's like the moon is hitting everything today. And this Mars and Saturn squaring her nodes. You know, the moon's nodes have this emotional depth also. And there's just a lot of uh, things uh, coming up. And the moon's nodes have to do, and Saturn has to do with karma. It has to do with emotional ties and bonds and relationships from past lives, as well as the north node, new relationships that are pulling us forward into new forms of self-expression. So there is this, you know, this tear of, you know, between, you know, letting go of the past in order to move forward into the future. And the Jupiter-Neptune can have a lot to do with confusion and just chaos and not being clear about what to let go of, what to hold on to, <laughs> what is the past, what's the future, where am I going, <laughs> what is this all about, where is the world going, I mean, it's just like, bah, 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 bah. so many things can just, you know, climb up on top of each other. Uh, for me, I have to say that, you know, I just lost, uh, you know, Bobby Klein was a good friend of mine, and, uh, and he just passed away uh, oh a short time ago, and now I've just found that uh, another family member uh, has been diagnosed uh, with a, a, a short uh, time to live, and there just seems to be so much uh, cancer going on in addition to uh, the, 
the fatalities of war in addition to the fatalities of this, uh, you know, pandemic. And there's a lot of loss going on right now, uh, emotional ties, bonds, relationships, as well as income, jobs, security, uh, you know, what people have been holding on to and planning and looking forward to. There's just this whole kind of, you know, it's a restriction, contraction, Saturn. Saturn rules restriction, contraction, limitation, boundaries, uh, you know, and, and really how much, how far can we go? Where should we set our sights? What goals are realistic versus fantasy? Will we ever, you know, go back to normal or the new, what is the new normal look like? There's lots of, lots of questions going on right now. And it's really something to have this Jupiter Neptune. Neptune is unlimited, infinite. Jupiter is faith, expansion, opportunity. So there is this Jupiter-Neptune that can be like, ah, oh, let's just forget it all, go have a drink, go watch a movie, <laughs> you know, escape all the depression and all of the news and all of the Saturn stuff going on in Aquarius now. Uh, in so many ways, we can see that from one perspective... Jupiter is expansion and Saturn is contraction, right? Uh, Jupiter is opportunity, uh, Saturn is limitation. Uh, Jupiter is optimism, Saturn is pessimism. We can see these, you know, these two polarities really going at odds with each other because they are both very strong right now. Saturn, the co-ruler of Aquarius, Jupiter, the co-ruler of Pisces, both in their own signs, right? You know, in, in, in very powerful late degrees, the, you know, the third deacon of, uh, you know, of a sign, okay, really brings up a lot. And of course, Pluto in the last degrees of Capricorn, Eris in the third decan of Aries. Uh, so much of this is this culmination of old, old energies and the removal, the release, the death, the endings, the closures of what we have known, of what we have relied on, of the people and the places and the jobs and the, and the governments that have supported us. And, and it's like this movement towards that North Node in Taurus, becoming self-sufficient. It's like the pressure, we're all getting squeezed, you know, into, oh boy, I've got to do this all myself and all on my own, and I've got to be strong, and I'm, you know, I see things going away, and I'm, I feel like I'm losing it. <laughs> I mean, these are times... Where you know it's uh, it's it's really uh, important to not slide down the slippery slope. Yeah, there's you know there is a slippery slope. I do want to read to you 
the Sabian symbol for the degree of this Jupiter-Neptune. It's very familiar to me, so I think I've, I've read this uh, to you before, because maybe it was where uh, Neptune stationed, um, but it is uh, the 24th degree of Pisces, and of course Jupiter and Neptune are there for like this whole week, this whole time period, and to me this symbolizes a lot of what I bring forward in the mantra for today, that let's not forget, we are a drop of water from the ocean of oneness, the law of one, where everything reflects and is part of everything else. In Lakesh Alakin, as Bobby Klein always used to say, yeah, I am another you. This even brings me to one of the songs that I could uh, post uh, down there in the, there's a, there'll be a link to it. But just consider this ocean of oneness, that we are all connected, we are all infinite spiritual beings, and then it evaporates. The sun hits it, right? And evaporation brings it up into the clouds, of the ether and our astral bodies. And then those clouds condense and condense and get tighter and tighter until we individualize. We become a single drop of rain. And that single drop of rain falls. We fall to the earth as an individual expression of the oneness, and we go splat. <laughs> and, you know, a whole bunch of us incarnate onto the planet, and what do we do? Look at that stream behind me, right? We gather together in little trickles and in little streams that become creeks, that become rivers, and those rivers make their way through waterfalls, through rapids, cutting through the dirt, dropping down, falling as waterfalls, crashing, banging, cutting their way through the earth, out to the delta, and finally back to the ocean. I mean, it's a long journey that we have, returning to oneness, returning to the ocean of love, of unity, of spirit, of infinity. So in the meantime, we're getting banged, right? And we're getting bumped and we're just like letting go and moving on. And we need to release and release and let go and let go. South node of the moon in Scorpio, the sign of death, loss, betrayal, abandonment, all these emotions coming up of things that I've desired and I've wanted and I've, you know, I've worked hard for and I've held on to and they mean so much to me. Possessions, relationships, bank accounts reputations, 
ties, business partners, businesses. And this, you know, it's just like everything is so temporary. It's the Maya, it's the illusion. And this is the Saturn realm. And we want to move into this Jupiter-Neptune realm. And this Jupiter-Neptune realm is one of spirit. It is one of the divine. It is one of the eternal. Not the temporary. The eternal. So our egos are temporary. These bodies are temporary. This culture, this this these politics, these wars, this is all so temporary. When we look at reincarnation and how our souls dip down as raindrops over and over and over, and then we evaporate up again and come in for another life and another experience. We are ancient. And when we tap into that ancient ancient soul it is how I am going to evolve in any environment in any condition in any external reality family country war or peace single or in love rich or poor We come back in to evolve different strengths, different capacities, different soul qualities, ultimately learning infinite love, forgiveness, compassion, acceptance, and then we return back to Jupiter, Neptune, and Pisces, the infinite cosmic spirit that we came from. So listen to this degree because it has a lot. What I really want to bring out is tapping into the authentic self. On a small island surrounded by the vast expanse of the sea, people are seen living in close interaction. No muzzles. No social distancing. (laughs) They're in close interaction. This is our Jupiter-Neptune dream right now. Ow! (laughs) The need to consciously accept one's own personal limitations in order to concentrate one's energies and to live a centered and fulfilled life. That actually sounds quite a bit like Saturn, right? You know, accept our limitations, concentrate our energies, Mars, Saturn, and live a centered and fulfilled life. Boom. Get serious. Get real. Every individualized person is a small island in the vast ocean of humankind. The ego fulfills a necessary function as it sets boundaries and gives a specific character to the consciousness. Within these boundaries, a complex interplay linking and integrating the various aspects of the personal life 
can operate constructively. In time, these ego boundaries can not only expand, but can become a zone of intense interchange between the inner and the outer, between the individual and the community, between each of us and the universe. Like good fences make good neighbors, right? You know, like the stronger we know ourselves, the stronger we really contain ourselves, the more able and the more intense our interactions can be with others. And that can be super deep and super fulfilling, as temporary as it is, because we're always moving on, just like that water. This fourth stage symbol tells us that the first duty of any man or woman is to be truly what he or she is as an individual. I could read that one again, right? It is our first duty to be true, to discover ourselves, to build ourselves and to then be able to give fully of ourselves. So our first duty is our own inner work. It's our inner work is our first duty. And yeah, that's, that, that's super powerful, you know. But this individual has a particular dharma, a place and function in a vaster whole. The island's inhabitants get subsistence from the sea and in time learn to navigate this sea and interact with other islanders and all eventually will come to realize their oneness within the whole earth which includes everything the return to oneness is the eventual, it's like the wave separates from the sea and returns to the sea. And our soul longs to separate, individualize, develop ourselves as a raindrop. And then when you've had enough, seen enough, done enough, heard enough, created enough, loved enough, <laughs> Cried enough, you just want to whoosh, Jupiter, Neptune. Let me go back to source, back to oneness. So these are the times I think we can see it playing out with different people. Different people are still doing the Saturn, third dimension material, you know, trying to win those wars and conquer and control and dominate and, you know, build up. Others have seen enough, done enough, they want to just let go. A tendency might be to escape, avoid, deny, and just kind of dissolve and, I don't know, disappear 
into emptiness, that's not, <laughs> that's not the, you know, the highest manifestation. <laughs> Ideally, right, we return that to that ocean of oneness in song and dance and joy and love. But these are the times, and all I can say is, we see things as a polarity. When we're in the forest, we see the trees. But when we meditate, when we do our spiritual practice, when we open the third eye and the crown chakra, and we raise like a helicopter or like a UFO, we see these polarities like the planet Earth. And the farther away we move, we see how they complement each other, how they beautify each other, how, how they bring out the best in each other through their polarity. And that the plus and the minus and the yin and the yang fertilize each other and help, and help diversify creation. And it's not seen as a war, and it's not seen as a polarity. It's just seen as another rock in the stream. As we collectively return to the sea. This is all so temporary. So even enjoy the sorrow, enjoy the shadow, enjoy the tears, enjoy the midnight. Right? The dark night of the soul, knowing that we come out of the tunnel and that midnight gives way to dawn and, and that as we let go, something new is birthed and arises and it's just this endless cycle of change that goes on. The eternal dance. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been feeling down. I've been feeling blocked. You know, Saturn square the nodes, Mars, Saturn, everywhere you turn. You know, there's this block, there's a stop. Don't go here, don't go there, don't say that, don't do that. There's not enough time. Time is a boundary, time is a limitation. Jupiter Neptune wants to do it all. No sense of time, it's like a dream. Oh yeah, I can do this and this and this and this and this and this. And we can fill our plates run out of time, get all kinds of pressure, get all kinds of stress, all kinds of deadlines. So we got to kind of do this teeter-totter. We got to do this breathe in and breathe out. We got to do the, the, you know, the Jupiter expansion, the Saturn contraction, and just the main thing I would say is to keep the motion moving and not get stuck, you know, behind like a leaf stuck on a branch or a rock, you know, stuck in an eddy going around and around. Just keep flowing. Keep flowing. Feel all the feelings. Let new feelings come up. You know, new people in your lives as, as old, you know, relationships die off and move on. Knowing that we're held, that there is a flow, 
that there is a spirit world, that we have a soul, an unconscious pattern, design, intention, and the conscious ego doesn't always know what the soul is up to. So we get shocked and surprised, and the ego gets thrown around, but the soul is the flow. The soul is the flow. So, you know, the song for uh, this week is Let It Be. Let it be. When I find myself in times of sorrow, Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking those words of wisdom, let it be. The other song I want to bring to you today is Sanatam Kar. It's a meditation. Yeah? And it is sa ta na ma sa se so hum Yeah? Birth, life, death, rebirth. sa ta na ma Birth, life, death, rebirth. Birth, life, death, rebirth. Sa se so hum. I am one with thou. Join together with the flow of birth, life, death, rebirth, and be one with that flow. It's a beautiful mantra. You join with it. You focus on your third eyebrow. The vibration also helps you let go of all your thoughts and you move into Jupiter-Neptune with the Sa-Ta-Na-Ma-Ra-Ma-Da-Sa Sa-Se-So-Hung I mean, I've been doing this one. It's the, the Gunpati meditation but it dropped out the middle, shortened it a little bit for the one I want to share with you today. It's easier for you to remember and go along with. Let's close with the mantra for today. And that is very simply, whenever I am in deep, dark sorrow, due to death, war, loss, or grief, <clears throat> I remember that I'm but a drop of rain water returning to the sea. Flow like the river, flow like the river returning to the sea. Big breaths, feel, release, let go. One more time, baby. Whenever I am in deep, dark sorrow due to death, war, loss, or grief, I remember that I'm but a drop of rainwater returning to the sea. The sea is always there, waiting for us. Namaste. Aloha. So much love.
pass the talking stick back to you, Richard. Okay, then. Uh, looking at the full moon chart here, which is one week from today at 3 p.m. Next Saturday at 3 p.m. is the full moon in Libra, and it will be a T-square with Pluto. Plus, the moon will be trining Saturn and Mars. Mars will make it into two degrees of Pisces by next Saturday. Venus will be at 13 Pisces next Saturday. And Mercury will be conjunct Uranus. It'll be uh, about a degree away from Uranus next Saturday. So next, uh, so this week, uh, looking at uh, full moon effects are going to start Thursday and build through Friday and max out Saturday afternoon on the 16th. So uh, that's going to be... Yeah, we'll have, also we'll have Sun Sextile Saturn. This, this full moon will be at 27 degrees. So, uh, have a great week. Happy springtime. I saw my first dogwoods when I went to town today. No, when I went to town Monday. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Saw my first dogwood, saw my first azalea. My neighbor's got a couple of pink azaleas right near her driveway fence post. And I've got, I've got, yeah, I got all kinds of little wildflowers, yellows and purples coming up here. Oh, and it was the amazing thing. I was, uh, what was I doing? Oh, I was, I was eating my dinner at my table and I, I got up and I, walked over to grab a stick of firewood and I walked out on the porch and there were 10 deer right in my front driveway. I tried to count them as they run off and nine went one way and one went the other way and you had to circle around and chase the other but I think there was 10 Ten deer in one herd. So, uh, I don't know what to say. There'll be plenty of food for Mr. Bear when she wakes up. Uh oh. Don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> don't say Uh-oh. that. Don't say that. You know, oh, where the hell? Yeah. I mean, we haven't had any hunters in the neighborhood, you know, for the last few years. You know, we used to have a couple of residents that come up here for hunting season and, you know, put put a, put a deer in a freezer, but there haven't been any. All my neighbors, none of my neighbors currently hunt, as far as I know. Good. Anyway, plus in the wintertime, they never come, they never come around in the wintertime. I don't know where they go in the wintertime. They go up in the high hills somewhere, you know. When we were living in South Dakota in the mountains, they came. Even when it was 30 below zero, they came. There was a cliff right beside our, our place where we were living. 
And they would go up to the top of the cliff and there was a cave and they could sleep in there. Yeah. So we fed them all through the winter. Yeah. I don't know what else that you, they wouldn't have found anything otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. All right. It should. I mean, yeah. Considering the oppositions to Saturn, Mars, Venus, Neptune, Jupiter, and Chiron. (laughs) Oh my God. That's a a lot of oppositions in about five days because Pluto moves opposite Pluto tonight, but that's at 29. Capricorn, but uh, we got uh, almost a full degree to get to 24 Aquarius, so that's 2025. That's like two days. So uh, Moon opposite Saturn should be Monday, latish Monday, and then and then you know, then the following the following day it'll be Moon opposite Mars on Tuesday. Oh, that's the 12th. There's something happening significant on the 12th. What is it, Richard? What is it on the 12th? Yep. There's astrological on the 12th? Yes. Well, let's see here. I can do a quick edit birth data. Change the 16th to the 12th. And what do you see on the 12th of April? What we see, what we, oh, what we see is moon opposite Saturn, Mars, and Venus all together, plus trine, sun, and Mercury, and, uh, yeah, then there's a bunch of sextiles between Venus and Mars and sun, and Mm. it gets complicated. (laughs) <laughs> the moon opposite, moon opposite Mars and Venus, which will be about Oh, it degrees. says here, Richard, it says here from March 27th through April 20th, peaking on April 12th, Jupiter's goodwill, ethical and moral nature combines with Neptune's idealistic vision of divine standards, compassion, yeah. truth and humanitarian progress, honesty and care for higher global concerns challenges the old guards' agendas for humanity. That's quite a sentence. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see. Let's listen to Tanya. Yes, let's do that. Here we go. Let's do it. 17 minutes. everyone, it's Tanya Gabrielle here, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes, the forecast where we look at an upcoming celestial events, we look at the astrology and numerology, and in this case, it's the Libra full moon. <laughs> 
This Libra full moon is incredibly exciting. There is really a turning point aspect to it. So it is exact on April 16th at 7.55 p.m. Universal Time. That's 2.55 p.m. Eastern and 11.55 a.m. Pacific. And... Libra always is about the scale, about the balances. So there is a turning point aspect to the sign itself because you're balancing energies and that results in you making conscious choices, hopefully, about how to, what to do less of, who to spend more time with, less time with, what to focus on or what not to focus on and eliminate from your life. And this is all to bring the energy into a place where there is harmony, balance, equilibrium. So Libra does govern relationships. It governs everything to do with beauty, art, and peace because of the ruling planet, Venus. It governs justice, the scales of justice, creativity, love, Romance, relationships, dating, cooperation, counseling, and advising. And so every full moon in Libra, which happens once a year, is an opportunity to put ourselves into other people's shoes and understand where they are coming from. And of course, self-awareness is the starting point for conscious awareness about how other people might be feeling given that we haven't walked in their shoes so we have to use compassion in a big way and so this full moon in libra will help you to become conscious and present in your relationships it will help everyone understand each other better including how we might project stuff onto others unresolved fears Things that we are still frustrated about, things that happened to us that we're totally not even conscious of. And so to help with that awakening and compassion generating part of this full moon, the sun and moon are both square to Pluto and Capricorn. And that creates a powerful T-square. So Pluto will be at 28 degrees in Capricorn and the sun and moon are at 26 degrees, the moon at 26 degrees Libra, the sun at 26 degrees Aries opposite the moon. These are all cardinal signs of action, of new beginnings. The cardinal signs begin our seasons. So Libra begins autumn, Aries begins the spring, Capricorn begins the winter, and Cancer begins the summer. So when the sun moves into those signs, we change seasons. So now we have this full moon at 26 degrees, and it's forming a T-square to Pluto. Now, Pluto is also about change, just like the change of seasons are reflected by those four cardinal signs. Pluto represents transformation and change. The T-square basically puts things into action. Like you you can't run away from what is appearing or what you're neglecting to look at. So this can test your strength, your willingness to purge, your resilience, and really it's the willingness to purge that is the most important aspect of this because 
you can see more clearly where you are out of balance in regards to any of these emotional attachments that you have. And you can make corrections and you can regain equilibrium. This full moon is incredibly cleansing because of the T-square to Pluto. And it may bring up unresolved power struggles because Pluto governs power and bring those to a head because of the tightness of the T-square. 28 degrees and 26 degrees are very close to each other. So this is an amazing opportunity for you to become aware of these mostly unconscious motivations, your habits, your thought patterns that are basically looping in your mind. Because your heart, when you go to the heart, there is no such thing as attachment. The mind gets attached. The heart feels and connects through compassion. The heart does not create these attachments. And so this ability to become aware of these unconscious motivations, these habits, these thought patterns, right, these loops, is what creates the transformation that Pluto is literally activating with this T-square. Now, Libra, because of bringing things into balance, the shadow side of Libra can be to be perfectionistic, never being satisfied that things are not in perfect balance. So perfection is something that we crave in order to be accepted. Because when we feel like we've done something perfectly, then, hey, you know, nobody can say no to us because we're the bomb, we're good. But wanting perfection, that wanting of it, that desire, it denies and abandons and it basically rejects the heart. It rejects creation itself because creation is not perfect. Creation is an ongoing process, right? The the four seasons continue and continue and the trees blossom in different ways and the wildlife and and the flowers and everything has its cycles and there's no perfection about it. It just is living. It's creating. So when you want perfection, you set out to prove something to your mind. This has nothing to do with the natural flow of creativity and compassion, which resides in the heart. And in fact, perfection shuts down that process that shuts down the heart centered connection. So, You're out to prove something to people, and the way you do that, hence the title of this podcast, is through comparison and through competing. So we want to look now at the balance, because you can't bring things into balance when you are comparing or competing. There's always going to be someone who is, in your eyes, better or lesser than When you are ashamed of yourself for not living up to these expectations that were put on you through the competition and the comparison game, that is part of the society that you and I were raised in, you then hold that in, right? You're not even cognizant of the fact that you feel ashamed, that you don't live up to these expectations. So then what happens is you project your perfectionistic tendencies onto others. So you have these expectations you hold everyone else up to, especially those that are close to you. They can't live up to them either. And that's how 
judgment then starts, right? Eventually, there it comes to a head. So wanting to be perfect is something that really needs to be looked at and that if you feel that you don't stack up in relation to the expectations that arise externally, it's because you've been compared to others, you've compared yourself to others, they've compared you to others since school, when teachers were praising some students and not others, grades, accomplishments, sporting events, other events, any competition, um, at home with your siblings, you try to get attention, there's a competition there, and then later on, possibly with the siblings, there's competition with, you know, what you've accomplished in life, uh, at work with colleagues, even with friends, there can be competition, you know, who has this and who doesn't have that, whatever the case may be. We, we create groups, we create categories, and we basically separate ourselves. Just know the universe has no expectations for you. It's only us because of our conditioning that can be so challenging where we then are so hard on ourselves for not living up. Like we, we feel always like oh, we failed. I didn't do this as well as I can. And then you get to your, you know, you're, you're getting to the end of your life and you look at your life and, and there are many regrets, but they're only because of these judgments that have been set up. Like you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do this good enough or you weren't a good enough, you know, parent or, or whatever. <laughs> so it's really important to not feel like you are competing, proving something. And so the second part of that is when we look, for example, now at the transits that are happening during the leap or full moon, aside from that T-square with Pluto, we have a conjunction of Uranus and Mercury, and that really uplifts us. That is happening in Taurus, and it literally is merging the higher mind with the lower mind, the practical with the inspirational, and it's a great opportunity to really step out of those thoughts that are on the hamster wheel that are just regurgitating all the time, the looping, looping, looping that goes on all life long. So just to know you are not those thoughts, okay? The only thing that you have to do in this lifetime is to get inspired. And so that's one thing. The second thing is, is that the two rulers of the signs that the sun and moon are in, Libra for the moon and Aries for the sun, are Venus and Mars. And Venus and Mars are currently both in Pisces during this full moon. And that's also important because Pisces is the final sign. It literally represents the spiritual connection to the universe, to source, to the divine, to God. And it is our invitation to totally dissolve everything. That's what Pisces does. It dissolves in order for us to be at one with all. And the shadow side of Pisces is to hide, to ignore, to put a veil up and live in la-la land, right? So that's what we don't want either. So it is important to really understand the importance of the Piscean impact on this Libra full moon, not only because Venus and Mars are the rulers of 
Aries and Libra, but because a couple days or four days before this full moon, we have Jupiter and Neptune, really the co-rulers of Pisces, coming together in a conjunction. And you can listen and watch my Star Codes podcast about that very, very important moment. It is creating such an opening for compassion and heart-centered awareness. And it literally happens four days before the full moon, as I said. So it is very much still active during the Libra full moon. So there's a huge Piscean impact here. And um, if there's anything that Pisces can help us do, it is to allow things to heal and cleanse and to not emotionalize. Full moons can be very emotional If you hold on to something that is painful, you will project that onto the next person you meet, the next friend you make, the next lover, the next colleague. And so you hold that pain within you and it has to go somewhere. So if it's not fully healed, if it's not dealt with, you automatically hold it against anyone else who comes into your life who hasn't, uh, you know, done anything to receive that frustration from you. So really it's important to understand that the law of cause and effect is very much in play. Also with Saturn, Saturn is squaring the nodes during this full moon and the nodes are in Taurus. The North node is in Taurus. The South node is in Scorpio. Scorpio is ruled by Pluto. Pluto's in that T square to to the sun and moon. This is big. This is really a moment to come to grips with how you live your life and how you think about your life and how you think about others and really observe it, right? The bring it to balance part is to watch your thoughts, to observe, to become aware, to wake up. So we have an amazing opportunity here. And the 26 degrees too is important because not only are we in Libra, the balances, but 26 reduces to eight and eight is the infinity symbol and is also about balance. This is about balance of energy, of strength. Pluto represents power. So there's a lot of powerful forces in play now and they will be tugging at you to activate empowerment and deactivate disempowering yourself through ignorance so there's really an incredible opportunity here to wake up and step out of the old habits and paradigms that really are in your mind and step into this place that's why having so many planets in pisces is so lovely for this libra full moon this this time around So I hope you enjoy this amazing full moon. And remember, you too have a star code. You have Libra on your chart. You have Aries in your chart, Taurus, Scorpio. You have Pluto, all the planets. And you have a code as well that's based on your birthday and your birth certificate name. And I've created a free masterclass for you at starcodeclass.com where you can discover the meaning of your star code. And This is amazing information. In fact, it's not even information. It is wisdom, the wisdom of the stars, the wisdom of your destiny, your purpose, your expression, what numbers are important to you, right? And you can see it in other people's lives as well, their star code, 
their numbers code, the letters in their name, what they mean. And so enjoy all of that wonderful wisdom in the free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. Have a beautiful Libra full moon, and I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. Richard, are you still there? No. Well, and you can go, I think, watch the Star Code podcast with Tanya Gabrielle. I think that's free. Uh, it'd be good to look at everybody. Well, we can have a little chat now. We're going to our conference call, and Rama's going to give us the phone number and oh, password. 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay. And so we will go there, and we'll be... Back here at BBS Radio, the best radio there is on this planet, in this universe. Uh, yes, inspiration lives here. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be back here at the top of the next hour for round three. <laughs> All right. See you on the conference, everyone. Namaste. Namaste. Okay, so time unit missions. This is with Emery Smith and the Tactical Advisor. As there are various time-traveling beings influencing Earth's timeline, all with different agendas, does that result in continual chaos? Mm. Up until the moment, I think so. (laughs) Tim explains. How hierarchies within authoritarian systems only allow certain groups to alter timelines. Although high impact events like World War II cannot be changed. Discussing probabilities of the observable universe. Tim also shares what he learned from the Greys about time units the species involved, different laws of the universe, and the future of Earth. Here we go. This is uh, 29 minutes, everybody. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're at an undisclosed location with Tim. 
Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with Earth. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. If human timelines are influenced by greys and reptilians, what about the Federation? Where do they fit into this? These beings do not naturally um, refer to themselves as the Galactic Federation, which is a pop cultural term, but we have seen some beings refer and call themselves this way in order to make the communication easier. Those beings can have a collective effort in order to benefit the timeline. You must imagine that those are huge populations, many individuals, many states of consciousness, many species and collective memories and realities and whatever you can imagine kind of makes sure but this is their whole mission to assure that this timeline vector we are on is directed in a direction, is put into a direction where it eventually will merge the stable time strain in the middle of it in order to make the next evolutionary step. And they have different missions. There can be a species that you know, puts out information. There can be a species that directly influence or reincarnate on this planet. They could have direct contact, especially when, you know, when everything opens up and we finally got to meet openly on this planet. But they also could do something in the back, which means there are species that are kind of like code hackers, because we know that the universe has at least one access to it by mathematics and communication. Language in itself was used and planned as a way to alter and communicate with the reality and to move through non-material spaces, dimensions. So there are species who are very advanced in coding and building stuff. They might be in a very different reality or dimension and they build things which directly affect this reality. Some might not even be aware that they do that, but as the whole universe is connected to each other, some little changes and dots in some other reality directly influences this as well. So we have equivalent dimensions, equivalent realities that all put their influence in here, and some do that beneficially. If timelines are changing, how does the consciousness unit even know? Well, normally the universe is a very fluent concept, which means that changes do not appear rapidly and because rapidness oftentimes means break and something that breaks is a traumatic experience. There are traumatic experiences in the universe with which can be experienced, but then they need to be healed afterwards, which tr causes a lot of chaos and trouble. And there's a lot of effort to avoid that. 
normally a timeline that changes will not be recognized. There is some kind of logical appearance to it. Something which is interesting is that you could use the experiences of a parallel alternative reality in your own life. For example, start to play piano or speaking a language without ever having learned that language. There are cases of people who, for example, had a tragic car accident and they wake up somewhere and they start to speak a different language just as a native speaker, which they have never, ever learned at all. This potentially could be an alternative reality that's been merged through some kind of traumatic experience inside of the now time. And you can use that, for example, to have some other talents, for example, in order to, you know, be a painter or be creative or something, because somewhere someone has spent a lot of time in learning that skill. Might be, might not be. And you can, you can, you know, reach out to that and integrate it into yourself. How does the time unit or time force benefit the earth? As time is something that can be seen as a dimension, it means that it has space to it. So there is a version of this recent planet earth that is somewhere in the future. And in that future, of course, people have a different reality. They have more advanced technologies. They will be more advanced socially and they will have open contact. And through that benefit from all the best practices that are out there. This version of the, of this planet has a organization that has access to technology that originally came from the grays in order to reach out back to a version of the planet. Because we have talked about laws and cosmic laws and domestic laws and genetic laws and temporal laws, which means all these are regulating the way someone has the authority in order to move the destiny of a planet. Because those people in the future, it's still us and it's still humans. They have the right to, de to decide from their standpoint where they are heading and reaching out back to this earth. And there are people that are here on this planet and they are helping and assisting and guiding and overseeing that the version of the planet in the future is on the correct vector time string so that eventually everything will turn out fine. Is that what you call a time unit or time force? I actually don't know the English name, so I'm referring to it as time unit. 
And this is a group of people? It is a human operating team that is connected to the governmental status that's gonna be happening on this planet in about 50 to 70 years. Does this time unit benefit Earth only or other worlds as well? In a holistic universe where we still experience dualistic individual units of consciousness, there has to be some kind of regulation who has some kind of authority to what's happening. And we talked about that, that different sets of rules apply to different situations. We have the domestic law, which means that the present local law is regulating on the lowest threshold of law. It's organizing countries, administrative and social behavior on the present time right now. We then have genetics, which mean that those who are observing the time string right now are humans, originated from Earth, pure genetics. Then we have temporal law, which means that those beings that are the, have the longest habitation on this planet are those who have the higher authority compared to those beings that are not as long living on a planet in the universe. And that makes time units in the future because as we know, there are other beings on this planet who also claim to be living here longer, having a different time unit and different um, perspective on, on the influences on their timeline. So at that point, it's not only humans experiencing and influencing their timeline, but at that point, we also have inhabitants of this planet that kind of need to find a political conclusion on where the shared reality will move to. And in the last point, we have the greys who claim to be the overseeing species over that. At that point, I'm not too sure, sure if there are competing other species who might, you know, question that authority or not. Um, might be. Why timeline manipulation being done instead of letting linear timelines play out the way they do? The cosmos would love to let everything play out. And there are timelines that are not affected and where everything occurs naturally, especially those species that we might count to be higher evolved beings of this galactic federation thing. Those are very heavy on the opinion that everything needs to grow wildly and freely. But we all know that we experience a lot of beings and aspects of the universe that want to have the narrative as tightly and closely in their hand as possible.
Does the modification of the timeline affect all life on the planet, including sea life and the plant world? Does individual behavior affect everyone on the planet? No. So what some some things that an individual unit of consciousness does is something that only affects in a minor or a major way his own reality that is why if you when you stick to that a lot in the end you will come to a failed timeline where you're so isolated which happened to the grace in the previous version of the universe where you do something so controlling that you do not give room to anybody else and to the diversity, which means minor changes in timelines do not affect the collective consciousness or memory at all. If you have a minor change in the timeline, like building a house somewhere, and um, even if people are interacting with that and at some other version of the timeline, the house is located, I don't know, the, the colors change. At some point, you decide you want your house pink. And another version, you stick to the, I don't know, blue or something. At some point, the universe, a, another force of the universe will decide for one or the other color. And whatever your observations were in the past, you will be convinced that this is the color that has always been there. And who will prove you wrong? It's just decided. And the observer will know that this is what it is now. If there are various time-traveling beings influencing Earth's timeline, all with different agendas, doesn't that result in continual chaos? Potentially, yes. But that is why there are a set of rules to who has the authority and power to overlook what, when, and how. And again, we have this, you know, this hierarchy of different sets of authoritarian systems or rule sets. Mm, potentially messing around with time and temporal dynamics can blow up everything and will restart the version of the universe. So, yes, it could end into chaos. With that technology, are there small missions to go back in time? What are they? And what are they like? If a species has modified the timeline of a planet in a particular way and it turns out that this was against law, against those sets of regulations that everyone has agreed upon, then there are individual efforts to redo that. Um, you might want to ask, well, if there are time units that could change the course of the history of mankind, why do they not undo the World War II or something else like that? And some events are so dramatic and high in their probability of occurrence that they need to play out 
in some way or another. They are essential for the timeline of the collective. So if you, for example, have World War II, the universe wants to experience some things. And the more you force the universe not to appear in those probabilities and to view those and observe them and experience them and make that a kind of no-go area, the more weird, dramatic, traumatic might, things might occur. So World War II might be the, the most, and I know it sounds terrible, but the most gentle version of what could have happened. At least the timeline is still stable. There will be a huge effort at some time, and I suggest it would be better to do that now than later in order to heal that. You could call it karma or something, which means to go back to that state, reframe it, and put it differently in the experience of the universe. In the same way, are there current events going on right now that are affecting timelines in the future where they have to come back and shift something so it doesn't happen? Well, the interesting thing is it's all about stability, which means um, the universe and every consciousness unit that um, is dedicated to that mission is trying to prevent a so-called failed timeline, which causes, if it's a dramatic failed timeline, and we're not talking about individual failed timelines, but a collective failed timeline will cause a dramatically traumatic incident which will have a, in consequence, a new version of the universe which is hugely traumatic to the universe and creates more chaos than, you know, than good stuff. I acknowledge that people, humans, as well as every other kind of life form are doing the best right now in order to prevent traumatic events and to get this timeline and the most stable status possible. And I know a hundred percent that it's going to be a success. If we are influenced by timelines, what about free will and destiny? Is that all an illusion? It might have the illusion that free will is being broken by the circumstances that one is inside of. But that is not the case because everyone who has developed a higher consciousness can choose for their own and they can exercise their free will even if the circumstances look overwhelming. But the illusion exists, which means as long as there's this dualistic view of the world, it might seem as if other people could exercise power over oneself, which is not the case. Once you realize that it's all you, 
and you are responsible for yourself and for your version and manifestation and experience, then you are pretty safe. But still, there's something about power in the universe which creates that illusion because that means that someone else could harness more energy in order to bring their will over you. That is not exactly breaking the free will because the free will, at least of source, can never be broken, but it's kind of bending and um, manipulating the free will and someone who could find himself or herself or itself inside of a very authoritarian system and a very strict timeline, he, she, or it could feel expelled from the free will. Now, do you say that? Um, removed from the free will. That's not the case. You can always access level six consciousness as the total ultimate solution in order to readjust yourself, which means going back to non-existence and starting all over. I can understand that that is not an option for everyone. Where, in your opinion, Tim, are we heading with all this timeline, time discussions? Where is the world going? I think the feeling of security is something that we will feel very soon, more and more every day. Because the military, the authoritarian system and groups on this planet as well as in the universe will eventually become more aware of their responsibility to secure and make things safe. So this planet has this consciousness or used to have this consciousness field of fear and angst, which is kind of enhanced by the systematic approach to it, which will be removed in some time. And the knowledge and the awareness to know that there are forces overseeing timelines, securing timelines, making this timeline stable will make people feel more safe inside of the universe, will make people feel more secure in their own time. And through that, every consciousness unit that feels more safe in their own timeline will also project more safety into the world. So I'm pretty optimistic that in some time the evolution of this planet we will be in such a state that we all feel more comfortable, more home here. And this is one of the most important factors of the universe that people, that every ingredient of the universe will eventually find his, her or its place of home where they feel they are playing out the 
best potential and be the best divine version of themselves. That is when this all all those particles and consciousness units of the universe and all their movement through the universe will give a complete picture of the universe. And that is the ultimate experience of the universe. And then it will turn to another universe. And we have different challenges that we not, do not know about yet. You've had glimpses into the future. Are the interviews and answers you're giving right now affecting people in the future? One never knows because things that have been given to this planet um, that had a very high probability of being very successful have, and this is kind of the beauty of this universe, which cannot be calculated, it kind of went different directions. I mean, yeah, and that's, that's, that's why we need this experience. We need to experience things to know the actual impact. I can only hope that my message is resonating with people and that people either acknowledge their own risk responsibility or they will project out the best divine version of themselves and do the best they can to be in peace and in harmony with our galactic family and all the other beings everywhere. When the Pentagon acknowledged UAPs and it was in the mainstream media, there was no big response and nothing happened. Why is that? But it gets recognized and recognition even if it's subtle and subconscious, is something that is important. And you will feel that. You will talk to mainstream people that will say, oh, yeah, I mean, this is a big universe. Of course there are other people. Well, the same people would have talked differently 10 years ago, like, no way, no, there is no life. And potentially... These might be versions that might have failed, might have gone away. We'll never know. So, Tim, in the context of timelines and time units, why did we only see a ripple instead of a big splash? Yeah, and it's good that we don't have a splash because every dramatic influence on a whole collective system is a huge impact and can has a, a huge probability of be traumatic, which nobody wants in the universe. Everyone knows the more gentle we go around a curve, it's better to break, not break it. When I imagine the comments from our viewers of this episode, I can see them asking, is Tim a time traveler? How would you address that? I have no, nothing more to say to that right at the moment. Tim, that was very informative. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Amory. I'm Emory Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. They thought of Antarctica being the lost continent, and one of the reasons to go to Antarctica in order to 
A, find whatever's left there, and B, place a basis. We're finding ships that are intact. We're finding ships that are in pieces. We're finding dead bodies, corpses, things frozen in the ice. I don't think that they're going to keep it a secret until the whole thing's melted, but at some point, we're going to be able to see it all. Until everything's melted. Mm. That doesn't sound like a good plan. No. <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, quantum. quantum uncertainty. This is with our sister Regina Meredith, and her guest is Cynthia Sue Larson. We are all part of the quantum field that shapes our individual and collective experiences. Cynthia Sue Larson returns to Open Minds to discuss how the principle of quantum uncertainty demonstrates that there may not be one fixed objective reality. Larson explains that we can observe the implications of many potential reality streams around us while living within our linear sense of time. This allows us to discover how our intention can change what we experience, enabling us to shift our reality. All right, this is 46 minutes, everyone. We're going to get into it. Here we go. Quantum nature of our reality or unreality. 
depending on where we stand. Welcome back, Cynthia. Thank What you. a year! It's been a crazy year. You 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 went through COVID, long haulers, yes. and it was a challenge. But you saw all of the gifts in it. Yes. You saw what the underlying nature of that reality was. A little bit later, can we talk about some of that maybe? I love for other people who've been through this journey. Yes, it's affecting okay. so many people. It is. Okay, I'm going to write that down. We'll bookmark it for later. But right now, you and I agreed what we want to talk about is this whole thing that seems to be, well, it's being called the, the era, post-truth era. So this is your, this is the way you phrase it. And this is a question you posed. Is quantum uncertainty driving truth wars? Right. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, and I want to spend some time on it because everyone says, I don't know what the truth is anymore. This is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, I think definition of terms would be good. Yes, <laughs> I do. Okay, quantum uncertainty is basically an intrinsic part of quantum physics, the quantum paradigm, even since um, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that so many people are familiar with, we're aware that you can't know both the position and momentum of a quantum particle, for example. So that phrase, quantum uncertainty, is definitely understood in the realm of quantum physics. Where it's Now we're taking it a little bit outside the typical realm of quantum physics and moving it into um, these you know, truth wars, which is where people believe that facts are a certain way and that they can't change or that they don't change and that there is such a thing as objective reality. But what we're learning from quantum physics as we go is that that may not be the case. And so when we recognize that quantum physics is showing us that there is such a thing as subjective reality, subjective awareness, and it's not just one physicist saying that. There's and uncertainty at the base of everything. Uncertainty at the base of everything. Yes. And this is a very key concept to soak in and allow to percolate because a lot of us that it flies in the face of what we think is true. We think that there is one fixed objective reality because we're so anchored in this material realism, this classical mindset, which is actually, in my way of looking at it, a subset of the greater quantum uh, logic, mm-hmm. the greater quantum paradigm, which is much more the universal set. So when you okay. talk about a theory of everything, mm-hmm. you need to look at how do these two intertwine, interrelate, And what I'm learning and what I'm seeing, and from physicists such as uh, Lucia and Hardy, who basically said that you can derive all of quantum physics from six simple axioms, that's a good thing because then you can say, well, if you can do that, then you can say within that might be the classical paradigm. And we don't have all of this put together so that all physicists agree, but we're starting to get many physicists like Carlo Rovelli, Tom Campbell, and several others saying that, yes, the, the idea of subjective realities uh, looks like that is the case. That is Rather than objective reality. Right. And and before, people would say, of course there's subjective reality. We all live in this little village called whatnot. Um, this person over here owns the pharmacy, and this person over here has the daycare center, and then there's the banker, and you all go to the same church <laughs> on Sunday together, mm-hmm. you know. And that seemed to be there was a kind of agreed-upon stability that everyone recognized their place, and what each other did, and what each other even believed to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Right. That's gone. That I means to a large extent, that perception of that stable reality seems to be gone now. We're family members, uh, members of, you know, people, co-workers, right. uh, members of organizations, churches, spiritual groups, 
can't agree on much of anything right now. That's true. Now, I want to go further into it because mm-hmm. this, there's a lot of programming. The film of Social Dilemma, I think, certainly showed us part of how these camps of truth seem to be taking shape because we're being subconsciously molded and programmed. Take it away from there. Okay. Well, the, that, that documentary that you're referring to is such a great example because even if people haven't seen it yet, The Social Dilemma, it shows without a doubt that we are being impacted uh, without most people's conscious awareness. Of, or permission. Or even. permission, right. And then when you, when you see that the developers of some of these social uh, platforms do not allow their own children to use these platforms, mm-hmm. then you can start to see what is going on here. That's, mm-hmm. that's um, kind of terrifying when you think about the implications. So the implications are that our worldview, our narratives are being shaped to a large degree by uh, what we consider to be truth. You know, the, the narrative that we agree on, the socially agreed upon um, reality or facts. And as individual observers, it's always been the case. We, we knew it was the case that what I think of as blue, you might, hopefully you think it's the same thing, but we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. And we were okay with that as long as, like you said, the baker is agreed to be the baker. And right. The, Everybody has uh, kind of a, something we can define and, you know, count on. Yes. Day, day in and day out. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it gets interesting when we have the the idea that these other forms of collective consciousness have come on the scene, uh, kind of snuck on the scene. Um, I'm not naming the social media. It doesn't really matter which ones they are. But anytime you get a, an aggregate of a collective of people and um, there's somebody shaping what's being allowed to be put forth on that platform or not allowed, um, you know, the, whoever those are, the, the gatekeepers of those platforms, they are to a large degree uh, it, uh, shaping the way people mm-hmm. view the truth. So now it's becoming, but that's now it's shaping subjective reality. It is. And it's much bigger than any simple political difference. So it's even a bigger situation than just two political parties or way deeper. Like, it's way more than that. Right? Way bigger because the most common thing I hear people say, no matter what their beliefs on anything, which can be anything now is, gee, I just don't know what to believe anymore. Right. People are starting to doubt their own doctors, their own medical establishment, because they've been through things. And right. They felt like they were being gaslighted by the medical practitioners they were seeing, uh, who were not believing what they were saying about their long-haul s- symptoms and that kind of thing. Uh, that's a group that I've just been uh, exposed to. You know, I've been part of that community, right. and I'm still part of that community. I feel like those people don't feel understood. They mm-hmm. feel like they've um, been... Um, like they're not understood by their families, by their neighbors, not even by their doctors. And yeah. that is kind of a massive letdown for a lot of people. So it's almost like a period of reality deconstruction. If there, Or was it ever constructed to begin with? Or is it just that we had a simpler time without these social influences and these media influences where it appeared we had more a more agreed upon reality? <laughs> That's what I would say is the case. I think as things get more complicated, the internet came along, then the various social media platforms came along. So there's been a complexity that's been increasing. If any of us look back 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, even if you watch movies, period pieces of those times, everyone seems so naive, so happy-go-lucky. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Andy Griffith's show. You yeah. know, And Andy knew everything pretty much. If he didn't, ain't be did. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Feel good because yeah. when you go back to 
a reduction of entropy when you back um, the complexity off and you go back to that sense of just, if you go back far enough, you get back to pure unconditional love. You get back to the what the perennial philosophies talk about. Great virtues and yes, so forth. Yes, exactly. And that's what, that's the actual energy. It's not even energy. It's the lack of entropy that drives everything. Let's explain that term entropy for those who don't know it because it's critical to this conversation. Right. So if you look at, um, like if you've got a cup of hot beverage or something, and you know that over time that the, it'll get cooler. So you just leave it alone mm-hmm. and you can pick it up later and, oh, good, it's cooled off. And then you can say, okay, I can take a sip. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second law of thermodynamics gets into that. And, and we take it for granted. Of course that happens. But what we're taking for granted is this one-way direction of time. And that's something that's not necessarily required by quantum physics, which is interesting. Yeah. But it's something we take for granted within that t- little subset, little bubble of our classical reality, of all of everything our senses can measure and experience. So, so when, what was that term? One that of the simple, at? one of the simple concepts is chaos, for example. Right. When we're talking about en- entropy. So let's talk about it the way you were using it a moment ago. So the way I'm using it now is looking at the complexity just with time. We get mm-hmm. more and more things, more apps on our cell phones, uh, more potentials, more potentials. Exactly. But they start getting realized and then we don't even know what's going on with it. The implications of the um, interactions between mm-hmm. all these new technologies, these new ways of thinking, uh, new social um, ways of mm-hmm. dealing with things. It just increasingly leads to more and more complexity. As more com- so, you, would you then define entropy as more complexity or more potentials, or because sometimes it's also synonymous with a more chaotic state or a less coherent state? There's a tendency toward uh, chaos, as you say. Yes, but um, we can cut through that noise, through the entanglements. That's the relationships that we have with one another, mm-hmm. uh, with the earth, with the cosmos. Those relationships. Or everything, because they can provide that, uh, if you want to call it an anchor, or a sense of this is something that holds together here. This is where we can experience a sense of shared reality, where we agree this is the baker, this is the firehouse, and so forth. So we are in a time of, would you say, kind of, from our, certainly over the last decades of anybody who's been alive, of increasing entropy? Absolutely. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that. It's always been true. Uh, and it was exciting uh, around, the, I think, the turn of the century around 1900. Mm-hmm. I wasn't alive to see it, but that was huge because um, people were feeling like, wow, the automobile is coming. We can leave the horses and buggies behind. The telephone came along. Telephone, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Lots of things that just started feeling like, wow, this the world is really getting better brighter than of course in the 1940s and 50s it really felt that way mm-hmm. then we had the Andy Griffith show in the 60s and mm-hmm. all of those days seem um, very naive to us now when we're looking at the issues that we're facing worldwide whatever they may be with the weather you know with the pandemic um, with global warming that people are concerned about you know just all of the environmental issues are in some ways tied to the complexity or at least mm-hmm. our understanding of the world so you mentioned the when it comes to a little while ago you used the term the theory of everything, which Tom Campbell's book yes. is My Big Toe, My Big Theory of Everything. Yes. You know, and he's he's a genius physicist. He's he teaches workshops on remote viewing because time isn't tangled 
time isn't one unidirectional and and so forth. And he, he's just a brilliant fellow who I haven't inter- interviewed for a while and need to have him back on the show. Yes. Because one thing that always stuck with me in his work when he was describing why is a cup a cup? Why are we perceiving if we're not if this is nothing but particles or even a little denser atoms and atoms separated at such great distances you, you practically need to have you know a telescope to see them right i mean we're talking about we're not all of this everything you mean this cup is nothing but space with tiny bits of matter that somehow we're perceiving as concrete real we're drinking out of it Mm-hmm. So he was talking about this perception of reality, right? That he called our rendering of reality. Now, that's a unique term if you're in the video business because you have all these pixels and things in the here and there, you know, in in the equipment, and ultimately it all comes together through the process of creating an image. It's, the image renders itself into the complete image it finally becomes. First, tell us what did he mean by that? agreed upon rendering of reality where no matter where you are in the world, this is a cup. No matter who you are, this is a cup. Well, what he meant, but I'm not, I, I don't feel like I can speak for mm-hmm. Tom Campbell, but, um, but in general, it, it, it has to do with consciousness being fundamental. You can't get behind consciousness. Mm-hmm. There is, and, uh, you know, that was Max Planck, the founder of quantum physics that said that. And that's very true. You really can't go um, past consciousness. And so what it really means is that we are rendering all of the the shapes and forms. This is very much as... This has been agreed upon. Yeah, it's been agreed upon because it's a a shared experience. And so it's something that we can basically recognize. So that goes back to what you were just saying. The only way to really have anything we can, in our own lives, consider an objective reality is on some level to have an agreement. To have something agreed upon. Um, it's hard to have an isolated objective reality. Right. Yeah. The, the, uh, and what we're seeing with these truth wars is we're seeing a splitting. You can have two people yes. side by side who are observing something that one of them would say is a cup and the other one would say, no, that's a mug. And maybe they're both right. You know, when you get into quantum physics, yeah, they look the same. Yeah, they look <laughs> yeah. the same. And, but, and if you see the handle, mm-hmm. then it goes from a cup to a mug, maybe. Yeah. So your perspective matters, of course. Yeah. But what's really interesting is now we're really starting to recognize that even if when one person looks for facts to back up an argument, whatever the argument might be, they'll be able to find that thanks to the fact that nature gives us what we're asking for. And, and, so, and social media and these platforms and algorithms, yes, I help manifest that for you. They definitely do. And for anyone who's using these, whether it's AI or partly our consciousness, we're starting to witness some of this very phenomenon. And John, the physicist John Archibald Wheeler was one of the first people that brought that idea forward that um, you can ask nature a question and you can get an answer back. And then Henry Staff has written about that, another physicist. So there are uh, lots of signs that this is definitely happening. You ask nature a question, and so you're researching something, you're looking for facts, you want to back up your, your theory, position, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and you'll find what you're looking for. And you can find very valid, verifiable facts, which might not have been there before. That's the interesting thing for me personally. <laughs> okay, go into that, because that's your bailiwick. <laughs> yeah, that's where it's Jumping timelines and such. Exactly. Talk about, talk about that. 
Okay. Have you experienced that yourself? Because you research all the time. Yes, constantly. I do witness this quite a lot. And it's not when you start noticing it and you start recognizing what it is. Like you look at something and, and you, th- you do a double take. Like that's not what I thought it was. Whether it's a logo or a brand or could be anything at all. Could be a fact in history is suddenly different. But any of those cases tell us that obviously, uh, well, previously to recognizing the Mandela effect, reality shifts. So what we're looking at when you look at this idea that you can look for the facts that you want, it is what you want because you're asking the question. And so that's where I think a lot of people don't realize what's happening. If you ask a question that you don't want the answer to, that's where I would advise caution, caution, don't do that. We really need to start asking questions we do want the answers to. So if people are getting one thing out of this whole interview, I think that should be the the big, big takeaway. Uh, Because and people think, well, what difference does a question make? It makes all the difference. Even if it's just a thought, you know, just a thought, makes a huge difference. Because when you're thinking and feeling and needing to know an answer, nature will give you that answer. And, mm-hmm. and so this is why it's so important not to let our fears, our anxiety, or our anger, or our grief lead the way. We, that's a big mistake when we let those um, dramatic emotions run the show. Absolutely. Let's refer back just to kind of seal up this portion of the conversation on the notion of an objective reality. You said there was an experiment that was done in 2019 yes. that seemed to lead to the conclusion maybe there isn't objective reality right okay this uh, what we're talking about now is an experiment that was conducted with six entangled photons in a uh, rendition of the double slit experiment which is that famous experiment mm-hmm. i know we've talked about it before mm-hmm. and, and basically the idea of this experiment was to test the vigner's friend hypothesis which is um this uh this gets into the idea that if you've got the observer and mm-hmm. they are sort of dictating what you record what the truth is of a certain experimental result, uh, what would happen if there was an observer of the first observer? So you've got starting to get stacked oh. observer observation. And this was human observers? Uh, no. What kind of observation? This, okay, this particular experiment was conducted at the University of um, Vienna, Austria, uh-huh. and Edinburgh, Scotland. And so what they were observing was what do these two devices record Okay. And then the humans come along and see what the devices recorded. Mm-hmm. So there are humans involved, but two devices are tracking these six entangled photons. And what did they find? What was the end result? This is where it gets interesting. What they found was the two devices absolutely had different results at the same place and same time. And so the takeaway is maybe there is no such thing as an objective reality. Okay. So going back to that, collectively agreed upon realities, that collective rendering of reality, using the uh, notion of this cup slash mug, depending on the configuration of the handle. So that would be, that's been for thousands and thousands of years in history. We've picked up a vessel like this, filled it with something, and we've drunk from it, and we all call it whatever in our native language, a mug or a cup. So that is agreed upon. That's agreed upon. I don't think too many people would argue that. But through thousands of years of experience and observation. So here in this room, I think everyone in here can agree this is a cup or a mug. Yes. Okay. So that's about as far as it sounds like we're going to get anymore with objective reality, right? So now what happens in this increasingly more chaotic field where we have expanding and and, uh, entropy, i.e. potentials Mm -hmm. and complexity, 
how does anyone get their bearings again? Uh, this is where I recommend uh, asking the questions you do want the answers to and getting above the drama of um, just coming from that place of anxiety or fear or anger or sadness. These very strong emotions can pull us off course. Mm-hmm. So what we need to be looking for um, is asking questions from a grateful place or a respectful place or a kind or compassionate place. Um, really asking questions like how good can it get, which is, yeah, I love it. That's your question. I love <laughs> that question. That's a good question in any circumstance. And so this is what we need to be doing when we notice that the person standing next to us or whatever the situation seems to be for each of us looks like a difficult one. That's true because you're looking, you're, you're very optimistic and that's your favorite question in life is how good can it get? Which I love. I just fell in love with you when I heard that that was your favorite question years ago. The person right next to you might be saying how bad can it get? Right. Now we are, now we understand everyone's right. We create our own reality. I think you've just given some of the mechanics for that. Yes. We are creating our own reality. Absolutely. So let's talk about how good it can get yes. because it does erase and blur timelines and everything else. Time can run forward, backward. It can run in an infinite loop yes. and anything's possible. Yes. Miracles happen all the time. All the time, yes. Especially to people like you and sometimes to me too. So let's talk about what happened when you were in a particularly high vibrational state and just an engrossing, lovely conversation. Last time you were here in Boulder, right. you were at the wonderful Deshaun Bay Tea House here. Yeah. Now, everyone had left. The waiters let you stay probably because they were just digging your energy. Let's talk about what happened, about how good it can get. Reflections of creation on the positive side. Okay, this is a beautiful experience. I was there with... Uh, a dear friend, Nicole DeMario, and she's the author of uh, Book of Nicole. But we were talking about, and this was January, mid-January, 2020. It's very important to have the time frame. Because Just before COVID was COVID. Yeah, was exactly. Being identified kind of, but not yet. It wasn't really on yeah. our radar. Yeah. We were not aware of it. So we had just been talking about um, the ideas for future conferences, talks, presentations. But bigger than that, what we were really hoping for, for the world and really asking these good questions. And we were just ramping each other up, kind of like, like let's dream about how good it can get for the whole planet. Yeah. We were just going higher and higher, and the vibe was off the charts uh, to the point that the wait staff said, just stay there, just keep talking. We, and we were talking and talking. And at some point I thought, okay, this is, you know, we should let them go home and <laughs> should pack this up. So I thought I stood up so I could get a picture with Nicole. And as I stood up, um, just in front of me, sort of in the middle of, in midair, I saw a rose appear and land at my feet. And it was a freshly cut tea rose with beautiful pink color. And I looked around, are there any of these other roses on tables? Is this something that they do here? No, there were no other roses on tables. And I didn't bring it. Nicole didn't bring it. It just showed up. And it seemed like it was definitely a, a marker of uh, or an honoring, or maybe an answer back from the cosmos of, yes, this is a wonderful thing to be intending for all of humanity, to be looking at us, how, how kind can we be to one another? How good can we be to one another? How can we really respect one another despite differences? That is exactly what we're looking at, talking about, and then a rose appears. And then it, the story continues because I tried to, of course, bring this rose home safely. It meant a lot to me. And what happened is it vanished between... The, I don't, I got it back to the hotel room. I know that I took pictures of it. But then after that, somewhere between getting it to the 
I, I had a safe container to bring it in and everything. I had it all set up, but it vanished um, en route somewhere. Somewhere it didn't, I don't think it made it to the Denver airport even. I looked for it and I thought, well, it'll, I, maybe I didn't remember where I put it in the suitcase, but it was nowhere. And it vanished for a few months, didn't, it, but it did show up again. So this is one of those disappearing, reappearing. Oh yeah, we've talked about that in other yes. shows. We both had that experience. Yeah. So it showed up in the bottom of a heavily used bag that I was using constantly between that trip and just in daily life. Well, and you I empty it all the time. And I always empty it. And right. then I throw Tons of heavy things on top, wallet, camera, iPad, who knows what, you know, just water bottles. So it would have crushed it. So I, one day I just opened the purse to put something in it, and at the bottom was the perfect exact same. It wasn't even crushed. Not crushed. Perfect condition, dried, as if it had been dried perfectly for a few months. But there's no way it could have been sitting at the bottom of that purse. And so what did you glean from that message? Um, and that was just, uh, and this was several months later. Yeah. Now we're in the lockdown. Yeah. And it was a reminder of the same message again, like everything's going to be okay. So this is a rose, which has deep symbolic meaning. If you look it up in a dream book or if you mm-hmm. think about the fragrance associated with certain um, angels and so forth, it, obviously it's an indicator of love and of just um, don't lose hope that that even if it seems really difficult right now, that, that everything can come back together. You know, obviously we can keep this dream alive. Mm-hmm. So it was really don't lose the dream. You, you talk about parallel timelines and, and realities, and there are so many places we can go in this conversation. But since we're here, I've heard you say that, you know, COVID was a timeline. It was a timeline. Was there another one? I think there are lots of them. I mean, there's... <laughs> We all we have collectively agreed upon on Earth. It appears most people have heard of it or had some interface with it, one way or another. So we somehow agreed upon this timeline. Yeah. So what have you learned from this? We have to say, since there are parallel timelines, right, that we have all collectively agreed to be in this timeline with this happening. Right. Well, when we look at how good can it get, when we look at what can come from this in a good way that can be helpful for all of us. That's those are the right questions because then we're getting answers mm-hmm. we actually want the answers mm-hmm. to, and so that's what gets interesting. Uh, there are other timelines possible. Maybe the things that humanity needed to learn would have been a lot rougher road with those other paths, and that's what I would tend to expect. Or maybe this gave us an expedited path to learning those things. Absolutely, at the right time. At the right time. So when I look at it and I look at the whole COVID thing. Um, One thing that comes up is it's taught us whatever we had created prior to COVID that became known in um, medical circles and and language as underlying conditions or comorbidity factors. These things started coming to the surface almost right away, but only the extreme ones, you know, like diabetes or something. But the fact is everyone, unless you're a little baby or kid, so most people have Something that's been created within their being that's out of balance. Right. And what this did is it pushed it. It pushed it forward. Right. Whatever you have brewing got pushed to the forefront like the stress of COVID. Right. So tell us about the beauty of that. Yeah. Well, I'd say I got personally involved with that. So yes, I did. And obviously that's a good thing because then I was able to go through it, come out the other side. Right. Recovered with vast wisdom, knowledge, and depth of experience. Yes. Which uh, showed me personally 
that, um, because I do keep asking those questions. I do live yes, this path of asking, you do. how good can it get? And what I started seeing was uh, the gift in the long haul COVID. Um, COVID was rough on me too, but the long haul COVID, I'd, I'd say that was much harder for me and for a lot of people mm-hmm. because it, it, it there are hundreds of symptoms basically. Yes. To the point that um, when anybody goes to see their doctor or caregiver, the doctor's overwhelmed. Can't even untangle. They can't it handle two hundred symptoms. So no. It's too much. Um, but when I was looking at what are the gifts here, I saw well, what am I seeing? And I thought, okay, I'm noticing I'm about thirty years older suddenly, like overnight. Right. So now I'm suddenly in my golden years, which are not so golden. <laughs> like yeah. everything's falling apart. Yeah. I'm getting a preview of apparently I would get arthritis. I would, I might get tremors, Parkinson's, um, brain fog, you know, um, Alzheimer's, all these things. So we tend to associate with aging, right? Yes, but these are, but when these things express in age, they've already been manifesting on subtle energy levels for a long time prior based on what we've been exposed to, our thought, our beliefs, our past history and all that. So it almost gave you like a coming attraction time. Well, it was better than that. I felt like I got the answers at the end of the book. It's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of like, like, wow. Cause when I asked what are the gifts and I started seeing there are gifts because there are such things as antioxidants that can help bring, yes. um, healing and bring restoration to our natural system so that we can back off everything I just talked about, which I was experiencing as well as the multitudes of other symptoms. Mm-hmm. And we can do this with a very targeted approach for each of us. We all have different physiologies. We all have different energetic makeups, but we can start learning from our own unique signs and groupings of symptoms and find exactly a targeted natural way out of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. And I agree. That's the same thing I noticed among people. Right. Is that something that may not have expressed itself was expressing itself early. Right. Or, you know, way sooner than one would have expected. But on the other hand, it also, t- like you said, it t- guided you. Wait a minute. If arthritis is in my future, if that's, if that's brewing energetically, I can get a jump on that right now. And it seemed to me the greatest gift was to say, you know what? I think, you know, the people even at the highest levels have said everybody's going to be exposed to this by the time it's whenever right. it passes. And if not, you've had the spike protein introduced through vaccines. Right. So everybody's got this spike protein in them. Right. Now this is part of humanity. And so, in the initial stage of the stress of this new thing in us, we see, we learn that the greatest gift is now we're obliged to listen to ourselves, our bodies, our emotions, yes. and treat ourselves kindly. Yes. This is what's required to stay healthy now. Yes, absolutely. And that was part of the healing regimen that I followed was 90 days of minimum stress, exertion, and heat. Because um, it really, you know it releases the those spike proteins you're talking about. Yeah. So long story short, that is necessary, and that's so hard for us. We tend to live a very stressful life. Well, look, I mean, this is wonderful. <laughs> you and I are both optimists. It's wonderful in a way because it got to happen to the whole planet at one time, pretty much, except right. for some isolated people here and there. Right. It got to happen to everyone, and usually those isolated people are indigenous people who aren't living the rat race life. The rest of the people, the rest of us on the planet are living. So maybe that's a lesson that didn't need to be learned in some of those more remote areas, and so they were untouched by it. But I just think about the beauty of what happened when everyone, A, we all talk about the great pause. Everyone had a few months off and, you know, everything was quiet for a while. Earth got to recover herself and take a breath without us trampling all over the place. But much deeper than that, we got to 
look at ourselves and who we are and what we're doing. And now if we try to do it, we start getting exhausted or maybe we feel sick again. Right. Maybe another little thing starts um, revealing itself in our health that we we're not happy to see. This is where we can play with that uncertainty principle, yes. play with the quantum physics, play with the entanglement, recognize relationships matter, the questions matter, and we can guide ourselves in a positive way um, out of it. Yes. And that's not to minimalize what's happened to so many people. No. But it's no. been a tough time and a lot of people have passed on. It has, and, and I, I had it too. Right. And while I didn't have any long hauler syndrome, I will say this, if I get emotionally stressed out and upset, one of the features that I had in my body, which was that spike protein that inflames you, right. where you start getting this burning under the skin and yes. tingling, yes. Um, that starts up again. So the spike protein's still there. So I know I'm over the edge on emotions and stress right. when I start feeling the tingling. It's like, there it is. Right. Back off. You right. don't want to go back right. to that again. Right. And so it's a wonderful reminder, you know, really. So. That's that, but I, and thank you for sharing your own experience. I think we've, I think we, we're not cheerleaders for COVID by any no. means. We're just looking at the silver lining and the beauty that can come. And it couldn't have come to humanity. Just slow down, pay attention, take care of yourselves, right. rest. Right. Couldn't have come in any other way. We weren't going to do it voluntarily. I hope people can be kind to one another and not withhold medical care. Or uh, that, that's so that's a whole other thing. That's oh my thing. God. That's where the truth, the camps of truth have come in. It's right. become so mean-spirited, right. really so cruel. When this is the time we should be offering the most grace and compassion yes. to each other. Absolutely. That part of the lesson we haven't learned. Right. We're yeah. learning. Maybe we're starting to learn about our bodies, but we're not starting to learn about our interactions. That requires emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. And we hear exactly. so many people talking about trust the science and be right. smart. But what about the wisdom of the heart? And exactly. That matters so much. It does. And Timelines, traveling into the future. Yes. Beyond all of this, have you looked into the future? Have you had any experiences of kind of traveling into the, what appears to be the future? Right. Uh, well, I've, I've had a feeling of living uh, a past life in the future. So that's uh, a big one, but that's huge. That's like, woo. Yeah, I can't <laughs> unpack that in five minutes, but you could give it a try. But what is your, what sense from this, this thing we call past, present, and future and a past life in the future, so to speak. What do you see about how this turns out, where we're headed? And again, you know, these are all potential timelines. Well, hopefully we can um, return to a sense uh, that indigenous people have long had of respecting the earth, respecting one another. Yes. That is so important. And I've, I feel so strongly about it that I've coined a new term, rev humanism, as a different choice to transhumanism. Because with so many of the technology um, proponents, and there's nothing wrong with technology implicitly, but if we put all of our faith into AI and the future being mechanized and technological, the heart's missing it from the future. Yes, the heart's, heart's missing. missing. So let's talk about your version of what happens on the path you're talking about, because you talk about the word ascension, but not in the new age sense. No. So let's talk about what real ascension looks like for you. Okay, well, real ascension has to do with getting into a higher level of wisdom that's available to all of us. When we start asking these questions and recognizing that our consciousness is really many levels of consciousness. And this uh, draws from the ideas from um, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, who was one of the inventors of calculus. And he had the idea that if you have a first order perception of touching something, a sensation of some sort, and then you, the person that you think you really are, you're observing that. And then there 
levels above that. So this is where the idea of ascension comes in, recognizing that we have higher levels of self that we might get through uh, feeling connected to angels, for example, channeling, that kind of thing. And we all have access to it. We can open ourselves up to receiving higher levels of awareness of self. And uh, so it's, it's a big idea. but It's a big idea, but also what allows us to open into the new, including the transcendent, is often trauma. Right. Being uh, pulled up from our moorings. Right. And that's certainly happening right now. It is. So it's leaving more people perhaps unmoored, but also open to new understanding, new influence. Right. Hopefully that's the case. And the, the big jump, the ascension leap, if you will, is to move out of that trauma body of the all that thing. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about the grief, the sadness, mm-hmm. the anxiety, the fear. And the, the anger, these are points on a drama triangle. Mm-hmm. Those are the three main roles that people play without knowing they're doing it. And right. so the, the key is to rise above those knee-jerk reactions that we often have so that we can start feeling that higher level self that we can get. If you're, if you're able to document what happened to me this last 24 hours and actually find three things you're grateful for, that's huge. It's that huge. gets more toward the Cynthia way of living is how yes. good that gets toward how good can it get. Yes. And this is so overlooked because we're tired. We're exhausted. Right. But I think you're absolutely right. If there's one thing we could do before we go to sleep at night, what you said, name three things that we're grateful or thankful for. Right. That's huge. That's a takeaway. That's a post note on the forehead. Yeah. Because that's going to lead to this greater understanding and awareness that you're talking about. And when you tie that into what you had something to do with, mm-hmm. then you feel like, wow, I'm involved in this. And you start gradually crawling out of that pit that you might have felt like you've fallen into. <laughs> right. And you say this is really, in, in a sense, it's about rising above our ego yes. consciousness. Right. It is. The death that happens, because often when people say ascending, they think, well, you died. But actually, the only death really is the egoic death, um, that smaller version of ourselves that's just interested in, I, I need to get mine. If I get mine, then I'm good. Instead of really recognizing that our life is much more in service to others, and that that's what brings true happiness. It is. So if we can be entangled, we're in this field of entanglement, right? You, Dean Ray, and many people talk yes, about yes. this field of entanglement. If we're going to choose, if we're going to be entangled, if we can direct our intention toward being entangled, as you say, in love, in loving presence, in grace, in compassion, and choose that resonance of entanglement, that's going to bring a certain quality of potential to our lives to create from. It absolutely does. It becomes our toolbox. Right. And it cuts through the noise. It cuts through. And you can feel it happening. Yeah. When you're focusing on the people that you love and on what you care about most, then those um, kind of chaotic concerns and anxieties don't seem real. And they're not. You know, that's, I mean, to someone they are. If, if people that are locking that in as their reality, mm-hmm. that, that can be the reality. Well, we've all been there, right. you know, gotten super stressed out. Like, I can't believe they're saying this. But, yeah. You know, we've all gotten wrapped around the axle on this stuff. Right. But ideally, we can ascend out of the, the chaos, the, mm-hmm. the emotional drama, and get back to the that sense of low entropy love in our hearts where it's not chaotic. Yeah, we just have that feeling of pure love and bliss that unconditional love feeling, and it's real. It's quite real. 
Well, that's where roses manifest from. Yes. But that's where we can manifest our, re- our rea- manifest our reality from. That's the best or place. we can be distraught and destroyed by what appears to be the lack of truth and the chaos ensuing and people at each other's throats and become in, go into despair, anger, or sadness over this. And right. that's our toolbox. That's what we get yes. to create from. And that's how you can tell which path you're on. That that's a great right. way to look at it. Yes. One final thing I wanted to ask you before we go. Tell us the signs of this spiritual awakening. Because there are a lot of them and they're they're kind of fast, but everyone watching is probably tapping into one mm-hmm. or one or more of these things. Oh, there's so many of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's get in, in order of priority, some of the most common ones that you're noticing. Okay. Well, a lot of people are noticing things like repeating numbers. You might see, yes. look at your clock. Yeah. And it seems like I'm always seeing one, one, one. Yeah, I see that a lot too. Yeah. yeah. Two, 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 yeah, yeah. three, three, three. Four, four, four. Four, four, four. My birth time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> and it. Yeah. So we see these numbers, or it might be a significant number. Uh-huh. Like someone might see their birth number or their birth day. Yes. Or that of a loved one. And, but the repeating numbers are very strongly meaningful because they can activate within us a sense that there's something bigger than just me. Mm-hmm. Like, how is it that every time I'm looking at a clock, that's the time mm-hmm. who could be orchestrating this? Mm-hmm. Like this is kind of mind blowing. So that's like a tab it's, getting your attention, getting your attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then lots of people with Ascension syndromes uh, are feeling things like um, seeing flashes of light everywhere. Yeah. 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 So this is happening on a big scale. Mm-hmm. It used mm-hmm. to be just a few people. This would happen to now it's much more mm-hmm. widespread. And then th- seeing things like reality shifts, Mandela effects, that's increasing as well. So it's, in other words, witnessing, like, am I looking at a parallel universe? Senses of lost time. Yes. Or no time. No time. Synchronicity's increasing. Synchronicity's a big one. Yeah. Okay, so you, you, this I love this. What we see can be changed. That's what we're going to go out on. If you can see it. You can work with it. You yes. can change it. You can apply these tool, these principles that make up our toolboxes. So right. let's finish on that. Well, I like to do it kind of like improv. So mm-hmm. you can say like, okay, I accept this from a neutral place. So we're not getting dramatic. We're just recognizing, okay, like, so I've got long haul COVID. Okay. So you're in a neutral place, but you want to be um, positively looking forward. Mm-hmm. You want to be looking like, what can I learn from this? What's the gift? What's, where can this go? So then when we take the idea that what you see around you looks like it's fixed, it's solid, it's in place, it's not going to change, um, don't stay stuck there. Recognize things do change. Basically, some people that believe in miracles would say a miracle can happen in a moment, in a second. Absolutely. But we can also recognize even if you don't believe in miracles, we now know that you can have two um, observers at the same place at the same time seeing two different things. So your frame of mind where you're coming from, the questions you're asking, what you're thinking, how you're feeling will absolutely affect the outcome. Absolutely. So I love what you had to say. Just quickly recap, re-encapsulating, stay out of the drama if you can, yes. if you can all avoid the density of the drama, which takes you into a lower resonance. Feeling. Right, right. Have this, these three, if you can, before you go to sleep at night, find at least three things you're grateful for that you were personally even engaged with during that day, yeah. which starts laying the foundation for that good toolbox of yeah. love and resonance and gratitude, grace, and all of that. Right. Yeah. And understand that we're in a world that is, well, reality shifts is, is mm-hmm. what you do, right? It's called reality shifts. Yeah. We're in a very fluid reality. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to have to choose what's true, we better make it good. Right. Ask the questions you want the answers to. 
Exactly. And how good can it get? Yes. <laughs> Once again, Cynthia, thank you so much. You're such a brainiac and I really appreciate the fact that you can take something as complex as quantum science and bring it into um, a language that we can understand and have takeaways from. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for what you do too. <laughs> Cynthia puts out regular posts with her loving and incisive view on how we can live into our highest potential of life, into joy and grace and divine uncertainty. You can connect with her and support her work by going to realityshifters.com. You can also watch my previous interviews with Cynthia here on Gaia to get even more background on these topics. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. <clears throat> okay, do you want to do that one? Okay, the, the first one of that series, Rama? Get there. <laughs> Okay. Um. The first one. Mm. Yeah, Penny was saying. I might have played that. Who are the Tigetans? The first one in the whole series, the very beginning one. Yeah, this is it. There's only four of them? I don't know. There's, um, you were saying that you knew all of them. and Yeah, this is the very first one. So is that something you played or not? It looks like I played it. What do you mean it looks like it played Yeah, because this would be... Not blue, if I hadn't played it. What does it say? What's the title? Who are the Tigetans? No, that's not the one she was saying. Mm. She was saying there was something about the explanations of consciousness. Um. Hmm. Right beyond death, I don't see... I looks like I've played all of them except two so far. What are the last the last two things? Pyramid frequencies, the Sphinx and Giza Spaceport. Oh, that one we're going to play tonight. Yeah. But uh, anyway, well maybe next week we'll play. Uh, let's yeah. just do this one. Um, spectrum of sound drum. Oh, okay. Yeah. This one, all our friends are in here. Greg Braden, Teresa Ballard, William mm, Henry, Robert yeah. Grant, Nassim Harameen. <laughs> and we're going to say here that our emotions, vibrating energy in motion, exploring the hermetic principles of polarity, mm. rhythm, duality, and more. Experts, including Greg Braden, <gasps> Joan Bialiu, uh, Jeff Volk, Nassim Harameen, Dr. Constantine Korotkov, and others, illuminate the links between the frequential, frequential nature of our universe and vibrational structures of sound. 
as science continues to reveal the innate connections between our thoughts and our reality, we can learn how to tune in to our harmonious universe through our own vibrations. All right, let's do that one. Let's do that one. That's a half hour, too. Yeah. Exactly 30 minutes, yes. Look at the brain, and you look at the universe, 
we find out that we're probably living inside of a conscious mind. There's an old Arab saying that says that you can't look away from the face of God. <laughs> that it's all every place you look. If you look at the Tibetan Buddhist idea where these vibrational frequencies at the root of all things that all reflect each other in every kind of size scale or sound scale forms this network connection where everything is reflected in everything else so completely that it really is all just one thing. The idea that you're over there, I'm over here is an illusion. Ancient Hermeticists considered this teaching of as above, so below to be one of the most important instruments by which humanity can perceive the mysterious. When you understand as above, so below, you really begin to realize that there's so much more grand things going on out there in the universe and we're actually a part of it. We're directly connected to it. The principle of vibration states that nothing rests Everything moves. Everything vibrates. The principle has been around for thousands of years in different forms. The form that is taken in our times is quantum mechanics. The word quantum is just another word of saying quantified vibration. So we're quantifying the vibrations of the universe in order to harness them and create from. So in our time, We've harnessed those vibrations and we've created all kinds of new technologies, all kinds of new possibilities. The greatest scientists, Schopenhauer, Einstein, all of them recognized and went to the East to study the Vedas and their understanding of vibration in order to understand what they discovered in the quantum field. They knew it intellectually, but they could not internalize the strange vibrational behaviors of quantum mechanics that are really normal everywhere in our life. Our modern physicists are now in agreement with what our ancient mystics have said, that everything is in a state of vibration. One of the latest theories is that of string theory, where, if you like, there are many different parallel dimensions that are all vibrating slightly differently, such as a string. And if you pluck a string, it'll be moving really fast. And what's happening is that's the strings, the fundamental frequency, as well as the many, many, many multiple vibrations that create these harmonics. These harmonics are geometric, mathematical, multiples of it. And this relationship can be found in the orbital distances of our planets, periodic table of elements, botany, crystallography, chemistry, all adhere to the harmonic relationships of vibrating strings. An interesting way to visualize string theory is to imagine a guitar string vibrating so fast that it appears to be solid. This gives us a clue as to how energy creates matter or the hologram of the world, which only appears to be solid. There are as many aspects of vibration, as many expressions, as many modes 
as many causes, as many effects as there are frequencies in the universe. Every single mode of vibration impacts something in a resonant way and it impacts other things in a consonant or dissonant way. The principle of vibration says that all things, both physical and spiritual, hold a certain vibration. Basic science tells us that atoms are made of constant motion, as is the universe itself. This vibration of the structure of space, or call many things, mana, chi, other things, and um, they were uh, the basis of creation, the basis of organized matter into more complex systems like planets and stars and galaxies and so on. And even in these more esoteric tradition, the event of consciousness. So everything was really linked to this fundamental vibration of space. Light Heat, magnetism, and electricity are forms of vibratory motion connected in some way with the atmosphere, or ether. A moving cylinder, or wheel, makes a good example. If we increase the speed of the wheel gradually, we can hear a growl or a low note. As we increase the motion, virtually every musical note on the scale can eventually be heard. The final note that's perceptible to the human ear is a piercing shriek that slowly fades and silence follows. Because the ear can no longer hear the frequencies. Then comes the rising degree of heat After some time, the eye sees a dark red, which blends into orange, then yellow, followed by shades of green, blue, indigo, and finally, violet. Then, violet fades away, and all visible color frequencies disappear. At this point, the wheel releases vibrations of heat, and other forms of radiation. So many people in the world believe that light and sound are completely different and absolutely separated. Actually, our scientific research is showing that light is simply an opposite condition of sound. As we look at these two different things of light and sound, our perception is a completely separate thing related to it. What we can find scientifically is that both are connected to each other through the simplicity of logarithmic spirals. If you take a prism and you hold it up to sunlight, the prism breaks up the colors of the electromagnetic spectrum and we can see red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Whenever we make or hear a sound, we're actually hearing 
complex frequencies called harmonics. These harmonics are responsible for the timbre or tone color of sound, and they literally can be artificially refracted or even changed with our voice. So through the phenomena of harmonics, we experience the many, many colors of sound. Next is the principle of polarity. 20th century hermetic philosophers interpret it this way. Everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. All paradoxes may be reconciled. Clary is really the principle of yin and yang in the Chinese medicine. It means that opposites are similar. You have to resolve opposites to come to unison. We say as above, so below is really a plurity. That's above, this is below. This is white, this is black, and so on. If we get too separated with polarities, it creates a tension like a rubber band, and those polarities naturally want to resolve. Living within a harmonious universe is both an understanding and a projection. Human beings have an amazing creative potential to create this universe the way we want it to be or the way we fear it to be. That's really the, the polarity that we operate within. The vibrations that we both interpret and project in the world are constantly creating our experience of life. So if we have certain predisposition of seeing the world as a threatening place, we are going to be creating a fear pattern that brings all sorts of threatening things to us constantly. And we're going to be recreating it because we're going to be reinforcing it. Next is the concept of rhythm. Everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. Rhythm compensates. The principle of rhythm is basically everything is vibrating and vibration in and of itself is rhythmic. It's constantly moving. We see in ancient times, you see the dance of Shiva and Shakti, right? It's the principle of rhythm. When I align myself and sort of dance with rhythms in the world and couple with that, I don't have to make up the rhythm, which requires extra energy. I can dance with the rhythm that's already aligned. And those rhythms are a consensus We live in a great ocean. This ocean has constantly different tides and different movements. The great psychiatrist Wilhelm Reich called it streaming and oceanic feelings that move through one. Emotions have rhythm. Our voice has rhythm. The way we relate with different people has a rhythm. When I dance with a natural frequency, we drift together. 
Everything is slightly moving and drifting all the time. Nothing is static. No straight lines in nature. Rhythm can have a positive influence as well as a negative one. A rhythm can take us over. People play the taiko drums in Japan and beat on them to certain rhythms in order to get people entrained to that rhythm so they go out and fight. We played rhythms uh, in the American Revolution with our drums and our flutes. Rhythms are extremely powerful. Sound is extremely powerful. What if the frequency doesn't come from a natural source? What happens to rhythm then? All electromagnetic frequencies are essentially vibrations. Many of them pass through us without causing harm. But certain frequencies, such as X-rays or nuclear radiation, happens to be in the bandwidth of the human DNA and can cause mutations. Wireless frequencies, such as radio waves and microwaves, are in the bandwidth in the human body of the voltage-gated calcium channels in the cells. This can cause these channels to open and spill calcium into the cell, disrupting cellular function. We have a huge spectrum of frequencies around ourselves. So our space filled with different frequencies. And we have from very low frequency to very high frequencies. And never in the history of humankind it was a situation like this. So we have telephones, we have radio, we have technical systems, and all this has tremendous influence to us. When I have a man-made frequency, like the electromagnetic frequencies coming out of your wall, 60 hertz extends six feet out into the room. Everything is moving, except 60 hertz is not moving. It's like all of a sudden I've been tricked into dancing with a partner who's not dancing back. So I'm getting drained. I'm getting more stressed out. And then I walk outside and there's 5,000 radio channels and FM and AM and shortwave one and two and military frequencies, smart meters and cell phone towers. Fortunately, many of these disturbing modern inventions can be balanced with more advanced and beneficial technologies. Now it's a big part of science, of medicine, to study this effect, understand what should be done and how we can prevent negative effects. We can use technology to the rescue with sound waves and modern medical monitors to tell us what frequencies balance this out, exercise it up until it's super strong so it can abnormally meet the abnormal stress of the 21st century. The next principle is cause and effect. Every cause has its effect. Every effect has its cause. Everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. We have the principles of cause and effect in operation, whether we like it or not. It's called karma in the religious or spiritual components. Cause and effect works in the realm of physics. It works in the realm of all types of electrochemical functions. 
It works in the fact of everything. The principle of cause and effect, meaning that if you vibrate a certain way, it's going to send out a rhythm and a wave. We think of that as being just local, and this is the problem that we have. That we think ourselves as I'm in my body, I'm here, I'm not over there. But in quantum mechanics, we know that something could be here and over there simultaneously. That I could say something, and a trillion miles away, it will have an effect on something instantly. So cause and effect means that whatever I do has an effect in the entire universe. Therefore, we work internally to tune ourselves to have correct action, because that ripples out into the universe, and naturally, it's like a standing wave; it'll come back to us. You can begin to see. You know, I actually can navigate this maze of the universe in such a way that I can be surfing those waves instead of getting crushed into the beach every time one comes up. It's a cause and effect type of trial and error process for a very, very long time. But finally, in soul's evolution within the body, you're exposed to experience after experience after experience, and you begin to have some choice in the matter. You're no longer being tossed around by the waves of circumstance. You're beginning to breathe into your experience in such a way that you can be the coherent force interacting with the larger coherent field, and that allows you to be a creative impulse in your own life. The spectrum of sound may also include other traits or energies. Russian mystic George Gurdjieff, who studied Hermes and other philosophers, spoke of nine different personality traits that fit into a geometric formation with spiritual attributes. The Enneagram is this interesting construction of a circle with a triangle, with a nine division circle, and as you connect those lines from one down to four, up to two. It became this mathematical sequence: one, four, two, eight, five, seven. When you number those nine points, the triangle takes up three, six, nine, and the other ones form this structure. That related directly to personality types, meaning of those numbers related directly to their math. For instance, number one, that would be the kind of personality that would be always first, the explorer type. The other archetypes are the helper. The performer, the romantic, the investigator, the skeptic, the enthusiast, the challenger, and the peacemaker. Gurdjieff compared the Enneagram to the nine-note musical scale with two missing semitones. On a piano, you can see the seven notes of the octave. The eighth being a repetition of the first, with missing notes at mi, fa, and si, do, which in total makes nine. All of these keys and energetic personalities create frequencies that impact everything around us. Another range of sounds that play a role in the spectrum are musical tunings. 
Musical systems in the Western tradition tend to be tuned to a standardized A equals 440 hertz. But that standardized musical tuning, it's kind of arbitrary. There were other systems, you know, further back a couple hundred years ago, Renaissance time and so forth. You go back even further to Gregorian time, Gregorian chant. Sanskrit chants. Very, very different musical systems were used. There are other systems that are less arbitrary, that are more aligned with either nature or they're more aligned with mysticism and numerology. This 432 frequency is one of the frequencies a lot of sound healers are using today as a more natural tuning scale that's in harmony with the frequencies of the universe, the rhythms of the universe, and especially of this world. I feel that there are no good or bad notes, nor good or bad musical tunings. I think of tuning like turning the knob on a radio. We can turn to different stations and get a different set of information. So perhaps we can choose to tune in to certain cosmic frequencies that are filled with divine harmonious vibrations. Harmonics and overtones also come into play with the spectrum of sound and ancient teachings. Whenever we hear an instrument or a voice, what we're not hearing is a single tone. We're actually hearing composite frequencies that are harmonically related. The single tone is called the fundamental. The overtones are called overtones, the upper tones, and they are mathematically related. Each instrument and our voices all produce different harmonics that are most stressed, most audible. They are called formants, and these formants are responsible for the tone color of sound. Every one of our voices is unique and different because of the formants in them. This is as unique as our fingerprints. Our voice is an instrument that can vibrate, polarize, create rhythm, and cause action. Our emotions and the intention of our sound can literally affect the tonality of our voice. And the tonality is caused by the harmonics in our voice. So therefore, I think that our emotions and our intention, our consciousness, do affect these things. What are the lessons that sound and this ancient wisdom provide? We're living in the vibrational universe, 
Therefore, every action we have has a cause and effect. As above, so below. So it ripples out to eight trillion octaves and comes back to eight trillion octaves. Way back several thousand years BC, there was a light and sound master named Lao Tse. He said, from the one comes the two. From the two comes the three. And from the three, the 10,000 things. So what that can be translated as through the light and sound principles, the one is the universal vibration, the sound current, the Godhead. But from a perceptual standpoint, you can just call it the sound current because we really can tune into that. And when we relax and move in resonance with that kind of a vibe, we are resonating with the one. Sound, vibration, and understanding of frequency can accelerate our awareness and spiritual evolution because it will accelerate our understanding of the material world and its interaction with information. And the technology that will be developed from this understanding will help humanity really evolve in its understanding of itself and its relationship with the whole. And that is the base of spiritual evolution. It is actually understanding reality at a deeper level, which means that we understand ourselves at a deeper level and that is the key to the evolution of consciousness and spiritual awareness. Hermes' teachings include another important message. When the ears of the student are ready to hear, then cometh lips to fill them with wisdom. In our next episode... Albert Einstein claimed that we cannot solve our problems using the same level of thinking that created them. How we can expand our consciousness to get to the next level is up next on the Sound of Creation. to do Ramachekt on that series Penny was suggesting and we played every single one of them but of course we can revisit them but at the moment this will be our sister Gossa Dusek again Gossia Dusek and this is called Sphinx and Giza Spaceport And what is it about the pyramids that helps evolve consciousness from ancient origins of the Great Pyramid to the spiral energies within? Swaru'u of Era explains to Gostia Duzak how the pyramids and portals for conscious 
for consciousness? How are they capable of inducing astral travel that leaves individuals evolved with a greater connection to the cosmos? Swaru'u also expands upon how pyramids are natural hubs or amplifiers of consciousness, enabling individuals to achieve what Tayetans refer to as extraterrestrial understanding. All right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next half hour on this subject. Here we go. Egypt and enter the pyramids to meditate? Is it positive energy? Yes, that is why I say they will not understand. Because it has no material function useful to the modern mind. Because it is to achieve things that are not supposed to exist. It is extraterrestrial understanding. You have to think like an extraterrestrial, not with material profit, nor with nonsense like religious beliefs, like tombs that everyone knows they are not. Again, they tell you all in the Hollywood. In the 1997 Hollywood film Contact, where plants arrived from deep space to create an incredibly expensive large machine, which is believed to have many complicated functions, such as a portal or a means of transport. In the end, that great colossal machine is only to give a mystical experience to whoever makes it work. And you can see there how society discredits that experience in the end worthless. That is what pyramids are. They were constructed as power plants. Pyramids are the perfect shape for planetary-based zero-point energy. But as a side effect from such a power plant, they become portals as well. Mostly astral portals, helping people fly, astral travel, 
remote view, live that way. They can also be full-blown portals where material things go to and from. They also work in an array, bringing a certain frequency to a planet, even moving the entire planet to a higher realm or density. They connect with others in key ley line places all over a planet and create an energy grid that sustains a planet in high vibration and that can even be controlled at will. This is a very similar way a starship's engine keeps the ship and itself in another density wherever it is. Some pyramids don't even need to have complex mechanisms inside as they work with vibrational synchronicity reflecting and vibrating to the same frequency other pyramids vibrate to. With that, they also contribute to sustain the planetary frequency and also augment the power-producing efficiency of those that do have electric components inside. The pyramids are frequency generators, placed there at the same time as the moon. They had to take part on the creation of the matrix, but under federation control, they could be capable of removing the lunar matrix by changing the frequencies and mingling with the ones of the moon in a very real way, providing a way to control the frequency of the earth without having to go all the way to the moon. Those are the main functions of a pyramid. They were built for those specific purposes from the very beginning. Also note that some pyramids were built as monuments to pyramids. I mean, they don't do much, only be there. The true purpose of the Great Pyramids is to augment the potential of everyone who is inside them for interstellar travel at will. Astral flight with or without the physical body remains the same. The transmutation of personal energy, of the self, into another dimension with all intention of doing it or achieving it. Yes, it can be done without a pyramid because you are an energetic Taurus and an energetic Taurus is a Merkaba which are two interlocking pyramids. You already are the pyramid. Under the pyramids, is there another inverted pyramid? Yes and no. A pyramid, the one on the physical side, it is what you see. The other pyramid is energetically intertwined with the one you can see. The other pyramid is inverted to form the Merkaba. It is not 
under the material pyramid, it is intertwined. Wow, is it intertwined in an energetic way? One physical and the other non-material. A pyramid is material. The other is on the other side, spirit world, the ether, creating the Merkaba, thus creating the flow of energy called free. Is it true that visualizing yourself in this Merkaba, it is a vehicle for interdimensional travel? Visualizing yourself is activating an intention. Yes, it works. That's how it works. Egypt, because it is in a specific place, like the geometric center of the Earth, on the ley lines, and this increases the energy efficiency of the pyramids, and also distributes and connects the energy distribution with other pyramids in other parts of the world mostly also on ley lines. As the main point, it was chosen as the main dump base as well. Dump as a general base for the United Federation of Planets. And if we went down into that dump, what could we find? Is there some kind of ancient library of knowledge? Some kind of Quartz crystal or one of those new age stories? Downstairs, there is a base as it was back then. That is, it does not look like an Egyptian relic, but they are metal and composite corridors with pneumatic doors and equipment below. I don't know what exactly, but I do know that there would be places of recreation, places with bedrooms, kitchens, common areas, laboratories, and rooms full of computer equipment, and location navigation for ships, portals, and warehouses, engineering places such as support and accommodation systems for various species, places like medical centers, medpods, small ships, in the computers, there will be information. Everything is dormant and damaged, but some things will work. It is equivalent to what was found under Mount Buseki. Do the authorities know about this? Partially at best. They hide so much that I cannot know how much they know precisely. How long have the pyramids operated for? And when did they stop working? Could you locate us more or less in time? They worked for about 3,000 years, maybe more. I can't pin it down. In many times, they no longer worked. Do you know how fast the Great Pyramid was built? 
in a couple of years at the most. I cannot specify these last two questions. About the astral travel function, out-of-body travel. What is there in the pyramid that helped and made it possible? The pyramid shape? It's mostly the shape of the pyramid itself. In itself, that geometric shape makes a spiral of energy rebound in its interior and is of high frequency. It is mainly concentrated in the queen's chamber, but the entire interior is affected. This in itself increases the connection with source, making all astral experiences more efficient. It is a natural hub or amplifier for consciousness due to its internal high frequencies. It is like immersing a person and body in a higher vibrational density. In fact, that's what happens inside. The frequency inside is much higher than outside. But why does it have to be so huge if only the shape helps? In itself, any pyramid, even the size of a hand, increases the frequency in general. But at these larger sizes, the concentration of energy is gigantic. The Great Pyramid itself is one of the three master pyramids of the Earth, along with two other main ones, the one of the Sun in Mexico and the one in Alaska. Alaska? I've never heard of that one. It is in a militarized zone. There is another there. There are pyramids everywhere on Earth, big and small, and even submerged, Bermuda. There is more in the Crimea, and there is a Tangeta base below, abandoned. Who had access to these pyramids to make these types of trips and have these experiences? Was it for the mystery circles or anyone could enter? Back then, pre-dynastic Egypt was holographic. Anyone could access the pyramid and do this. And is there federation activity in that area today? Yes, it is under constant supervision, but it is the area of the cabal today. Does it mean anything that there are basically three pyramids in Egypt? There are many pyramids in Egypt, but the Great Pyramid is the main one and the base of the others. But I imagine that this disposition is not accidental. Not the Orion one. But for Egypt, Orion is Osiris. Orion has nothing to do with reptiles and greys. What do you mean, not the Orion one? I do not understand this phrase, Svaru. The three main pyramids of Giza are aligned with Orion. But that is in honor or in line with Osiris. Osiris, Orion for the Egyptians.
What is the relationship between the obelisks and the pyramids, if there is any? What were they for, or what do they indicate? Yes, they are all over the world. It is atomism, based on Egypt. It is a phallic symbol pointing upwards holding a pyramid that represents the three deities of the constellation of Triangulum, Emily, Anu, and Ea. The obelisk is an offering to those three deities. It is a look-up. Where there is an obelisk, it means that the Illuminati have control over that place, and or it is one of their main bases, cities. It is power antenna, too. What do those obelisks have to do with Emmeline, then? The obelisks' people are cabal. Not only Emmeline, also Anu and Ea. Anu equals almighty creator God. Ea equals Yahweh or Allah. Enlil equals Elohim gods, plural. Yahweh is not a person. It is an event. It is a creative orgasm. It is the big band as a Yahweh, creative explosion. It is a hijacked symbol like so many others. And do you know if it is true that there was a fourth black pyramid? There are traces that there was another, but it was never finished, and it did not pass the stage of the base and foundations. However, yes, there was another sphinx. That is why Ishtar stands on two lions that symbolize Egypt, the two sphinxes. Do you know anything more about that? Yes, there were two. One succumbed, and they were like the caretakers of the area and the entrance to the valley. Below, there are two dumps, one below the other. They are ancient. They contain many secrets. All this is hyper-documented, and it is not my opinion alone. Do you know what's in there? Yes, I even have the map. It is an extraterrestrial base with everything that you would expect to be found inside an extraterrestrial base. Of course, they don't want that to leak to the public. But is it abandoned or active? It is abandoned because it suffered a lot of damage from the flood. There are two, one on top of the other that is below. And are they of the same ET race? Do you know what race it belongs to? It was the Federation base, therefore it had many races there, including us. Compound base, not race-specific. Basically, the base was positive. Later, the Egyptian culture around the pyramids grew. A question. There is something that is now very clear to me. It is about the subject of slaves. There are many geoglyphs with images like slaves. And many will cling to that when we say that slavery did not exist in Egypt. 
I am not the only one who claims that there were no slaves. But that doesn't mean that slaves were never used throughout those 10,000 years. But as a culture, it did not use slaves, but workers. In this picture, those are prisoners of war. Notice that above, they are tied around the neck. That is prisoners. Below, they are pulling things. That is workers. The concept of slaves is biblical, as Sally and Lila's sign, as the bad guys, as having Israelites as slaves. They do not conceive that people could work like this. But not only me. Many terrestrial researchers strongly assure that these are not slaves. They are workers. It is the Romans who imposed the concept of slavery in Egypt to fulfill an agenda. exactly how they were built. It's the second question after what is their function that people ask. Levitation with anti-gravity devices. Then pulled to their locations with the use of a crane that was installed in the king's chamber. In the case of the Cheops pyramid. The pulleys and where the system was installed is still there. The levitation was only to remove most of its weight. The crates? It was built in a spiral movement or way. How were the cranes powered? Electricity and hydraulics. Manpower with the small ones because the stones were not that heavy. There was electricity? Back then, all Egypt had electricity in every home. They were built with several methods, not just one. Humans always expect only one. They mobilized quarry limestone found further south as officially described. They were cut with energy tools, industrial lasers, and compressed sound soles. More than anything, compressed sound soles. Lasers take second place. The stones were then levitated into place using anti-gravity and also sound. Sonic levitation is a system that is widely used in ancient constructions, including those in Peru, among other places. Even so, a system of support cranes was used that were in what is now known as the Great Chamber. A large external ramp was not used, as many suggest, since the construction of said ramp 
exceeds that of the pyramid itself. That is illogical. But spiraling ramps were used within the same pyramid. Ramps that are still there because there are still hollow places. They are the ramps. Liquid stone, liquidated with sound, was used as a means of filling and holding or gluing between the stones and the structures. Liquid stone for the external ones. They were put into place with the use of molds. Liquid stone like cement? Not exactly. Components like cement are brittle and of inferior quality. I mean that with a certain temperature assisted by sonic frequencies, according to the frequency of the stone, it liquefies. This form of construction by liquefying stone is still used in Taigeta as a base construction medium for buildings and houses. That is not building by mold, that is constructing by cuts. It is made with a plasma tip, like a plasma laser beam. And according to what they say, that chaotic shape only increases the strength of the construction by having angular, pyramidal, triangular geometry of great structural strength. It should be said that each construction is different. The plasma tip does not apply in all places. Egyptian technology also used sound levitation without anti-gravity assistance. Yes, especially the function of the pyramidon. The energy capacitator? It was pure white quartz covered in gold leaf. Those ones were not at the tips of the pyramids. They had energy concentrating properties and served as wireless Tesla power transmission antennas. So liquefied limestone with specific sound frequencies was used. You withdraw them and it returns to being solid. Who is credited with the construction? It is attributed to Enoch and thought. But as with everything, it was a cooperative construction of the Federation, with the local population as also part of the Federation, or as under the Federation wing. Some say that Enoch and Thoth were the same person. And in 
the domes there under Giza in general, not only the Sphinx, there is a large underground city, abandoned, referred to by the ancients as the Labyrinth. It was an old federation base with multiracial members. Directly under the Sphinx, there are several chambers that lead to a library, and under the library, there is the tomb of Osiris, and towards the pyramids, there is an entrance to several tunnels that lead to the pyramids and to the labyrinth or dump below. You know the date of its construction, more or less, the Sphinx, and date of pyramids construction, more or less? About dates. Before 12,500, time gets funny and impossible to calculate due to the plasticity it holds. But as an educated linear guess, the Sphinx is over 35,000 years old. I know the pyramids are also said to be as much as 30,000 years old, but to the best of my data, they are closer to 15,000 years old, Giza, and some are as young as 12,000 to 11,000 years old. As I said above, you cannot calculate time that is not linear, as it was not back then. And the pyramids at Giza do not show the same water damage that the Sphinx does display. So they could not have been built at the same time. And the water damage in the pyramids give you a clue that it was produced by minor floods such as the ones the Nile would produce, and not because of a cataclysmic inundation event, water damage, such as the one the Sphinx does display. Meaning, it was totally submerged at the time of the flood, coming from Taiman's destruction. as the Federation base then, at that time too, before the Matrix? Again, it is hard to tell, but it was a Federation base for tens of thousands of years. The underground base is immense and consists of two basic immense layers, one above the other. The entrance holes to the dump below Giza are only 30 to 60 meters deep, very shallow. We all know there is a correction. Um, the pyramids at Giza were brought here 
uh, from Aldebaran. Mm-hmm. Right, Rama? Yeah. And they were lowered. Um, they were lowered from a spaceship. Yeah. Uh, a level to the ground. What do you call that? Delevitized. Oh. <laughs> Levitated to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's just mm-hmm. something that you don't necessarily hear. Um, okay, well, we've had a full day. Yeah. Our brother John Baptista is having uh, a whole hour tonight. John mm. Baptista, he's the, uh, he is, uh, the uh, music man, you might say, for Steve Colbert. And he won the uh, Grammy for the best album. And uh, he's playing some of his music uh, on PBS. So, um, but before yeah. we say goodnight like that, let's just spend a little time with our sister Caroline and the collective she's and St. Germain she has a little conversation with St. Germain again tonight yes and Rama will look for some things Um, so this week's guidance from the ascended masters the galactics earth elements fairy angels or fey elders as they are collective are calling them angelic legions Archangels and other divine beings known as the collective. Greetings, friends. We are very pleased to have this moment to speak with you again today. We are aware that much on earth appears to either be at a wobble in utter chaos or somewhere in between. And we are aware that many of you are fighting as not outright, if not in outright panic, feelings of real uncertainty. There are moments when you wonder if you and all of humanity have been abandoned. And though you pray for the light, to illuminate all you are not yet seeing. You wonder at times if even that would be of a sense, even if that would be of any assistance. And so, our writer speaks again today with Ascended Master Saint Germain on this very subject of dealing with the uncertainty of life at the moment. So Caroline says, um, Greetings, Lord St. Germain. Thank you for speaking with us today. St. Germain says, Greetings all. We are, as always, honored to assist. And Caroline, So many are wondering whether Nassara is just a pipe dream at this point. 
Or they might fully accept that it's real, yet feel that too much is in the way of its full enactment, so that we are held in limbo, knowing our freedom and sovereignty are at hand, yet not quite here. Many feel that much suffering will occur, more than has already occurred before that moment can arrive. So my question today would be, could you enlighten us on that point? And what can we do to speed the enactment as more dense actions from the old powers that were loom on the horizon? What? What a uh, question. Uh, this has been definitely the question of the day. So here we go, St. Germain. We are, of course, happy to speak on these matters, as it is not a positive for any of you to live in the air of supposition, and perhaps some to the inaccurate conclusion that things are stuck in some way, that Nasara cannot come forward or will be greatly delayed or only partially enacted. None of that is true. Despite appearances and much dark programming and dense energy being transmitted against humanity, great progress is being made and will continue to be made. Until that moment, when the announcement is made on every available screen that Nasara is here, we will say that what you have intuited, that there is tremendous opposition to that moment, is correct. We that yet that does not equal defeat in this matter. Humanity has already chosen en masse to experience its sovereignty and to experience that moment when Earth rejoins the galactic and intergalactic confederations. It is not so that apparent delays or it is not so that apparent delays or a timeline that unfolds in ways that differ from human preference equal defeat. You live now in a kind of void, a moment of transition from one plane to the next, where it appears that perhaps, though not all is lost, much is lost. That can be very wearing, very trying. This is the part of human ascension into higher thought, higher experience, higher matter that you had perhaps hoped to avoid, yet you cannot. This moment is not in the way. It is the way. So Caroline says, yes, I had a feeling you would say that. 
I was listening to one of Jennifer Ruth Russell's morning light meditations today. And because so much of the world is shifting so quickly now, and in ways that feel rather perilous at times, I was drawn to the one titled The Gift of Exer- The Gift of Uncertainty. In that, Jennifer shares that it is one of your own teachings that tells us, quote, there are two doors humanity must walk through to reach ascension, doubt and fear. What is hard for many of us who have left traditional religious dogma behind us is that that kind of density feels like it should no longer exist. We have gone into denial about all the healing that still remains on a mass level. I could not count the number of people who have emailed me the last few years and said, why are we in such a time of flux and uncertainty and shock and trauma? Shouldn't the move to 5D mean more joy, more certainty, not less, St. Germain. Ah, an excellent point. And so to be sure, it does mean all of that. <laughs> A conversation we've all been waiting for, everyone. Mm-hmm. All right, turn the page here. Were you, any of you, to consider where you were even a year or two ago in terms of how you view nature, music, including the sound healings, the colors in art, the shapes of clouds in the sky, you would find that you have been moving into new states of appreciation and joy without even realizing it. Yet you are distracted from realizing it, partly due to the pressures of the external world and partly due to the need for healing your own hidden wounds, which have been rising to the surface. The old dark invader energy, whose time is up, would prefer to keep you constantly distracted and caught up in the density of loss, sadness, fear. The possibility of being imprisoned or restricted into a sort of non-life for that doing, as they say. And so, all of your old survival fears also come up. Trauma experienced in this and other lives on this and other planets and star systems. Old, buried memories of plague, war, natural disasters, sudden impoverishment, death, personal losses. The list goes on. They are aware of exactly what buttons to push, one might say, in the human psyche, the subconscious, to engender not only uncertainty and stress, Rather, in some feelings of hopelessness, fear, and 
isolation. You have seen their intentional use of media, false authorities, structures, religions, religion, political and social labeling, and many other constructs to affect and control humanity. And yet still, they cannot hold back the flow of light codes pouring in, reminding and awakening us to your creator, God-Goddess aspect. Still, they cannot, they cannot stem the tide of light that fills your being with the realization that miracles are afoot, whether you physically see them around you now or not. And still, they cannot stop you from choosing to live in a place of thanks and appreciation, even for those tenuous moments, as though you had chosen Earth's current rebirth and recreation crisis yourself. There is your power, dear ones. Grasp it with both hands. Caroline, I greatly value this teaching, Lord. I have endeavored to steep my own consciousness in that these, in that these last few years. Yet let's look at your teaching about how we must go through the doors of doubt and fear. Did humanity create that path? Many feel that what we are experiencing now is a sort of mistake, that the old powers that were are reacting with rage at the many high-level arrests being made. And as Nasara draw, drawing closer and full disclosure of the ET presence growing closer. I have no doubt that they are incredibly desperate right now. Ah, yes. We know that feeling. Yet, it still feels like we should be, we should be claiming our full freedom on this planet and feeling jubilant about it. Yet here we are, walking through doubt and fear, and feeling very weak at times. But you're saying that's no coincidence? St. Germain, naturally, there is no coincidences. You have all actively chosen this. As the purifying flame you walk through, so as to leave all vestiges of the third dimension behind you. Caroline, to release the ego mind, to release survival thinking. Don't tell, no, no calling Caroline. Yeah. No call, calling Caroline commander because she is on another mission journey tonight. <laughs> Sorry, Commander. Thank you for your thoughtfulness. Thank you. Okay. So Caroline says, to release the ego mind, to release survival thinking. St. Germain says, to release that which is a great hindrance to the ascension path. 
Some of that has to do with the survival instinct of the lower mind, yes. And that separateness human beings have lived in for centuries. You have been trained against unity thought and experience. Now, you increasingly and desiring it. You increasingly desire it. That journey is a great part of it. Yet much of it also has to do with releasing those aspects of the third dimension that by now you are so familiar with and comfortable with that you actually prefer it to higher dimensional living. And then Caroline says, what in the world? Mm -hmm. I, what in the world, what aspects, what, what those be? St. Germain, life as you knew it. Having only to grow so much, to know and experience so much, and then you die after an incredibly short amount of time. Even 100 years on the planet is not long at all. <laughs> that is barely enough time to realize the basics. Yeah. The basics of why you are alive, who you are, what you have to contribute. You have noted that many light bringers awaken to their true purpose at a time called relatively late in life, middle age or later. That is because that is so many cultures in the cosmos. What being a five-year-old is to you, you are just getting started at that age. And you, and you will note that many are using that exact phrase now to describe their life. After age 60. <laughs> so Caroline says, uh, yes, I've been saying that myself. I'm just getting started. St. Germain says, of course, because you realize that life lies spread out before you more than ever it has. It isn't closing down at all. Yet humanity is well used to jumping into the water and soon after jumping back out again. Now with ascension, a far longer and more dedicated involvement is required of you. Another area humans added to, to the, to the reincarnation cycle. You are well used to coming into an earth life trying this or that interest, action, or fascination, then leaving after mere 80 or 90 years, or far less. I mean, 24-year-old football player, dead. And a 57-year-old, uh, what's his name again? Bearheart, Bearheart, Barrett? Stephanie Miller was talking about this gentleman. Oh, um, Eric Bollard. Eric Bollard. Bollard getting killed while he's riding his bicycle. And he's 
uh, a master bicycle rider. What in the world? Okay, so we're going back to this. And uh, so, without having had sufficient time or resources to remember why in the world you came in to begin with. And so you depart. And then you return, falling into many of the same pitfalls, often with the same persons you have known in other lives and had determined you would learn to love and understand this time. You, yet generally... Yet generally, the soul's preferences do not go according to plan. And so you return, Caroline. <sighs> How could we be addicted to that, Lord? That whole cycle is quite frustrating, St. Germain, because it's one mad adventure after another. Just as so many enjoy the Westerner films, They recall earth life experience as being like racing madly on a horse, living so fully in the moment, so recklessly and haphazardly that the thrill of the physical, even with all its shocks and discomforts, becomes a sort of mad day out in the hollow deck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is like you're talking... To ourselves. <laughs> She's got a picture of a man. Oh, the young lady on a horse here with the mountains in the background. On the prairie. You desire more, always. More adventure. More knowledge of who you are. More depth of understanding. More inner growth. More love expressed and experienced. And so you return. Over and over in different guises, wearing various costumes. Though the color, shape, education, finances, location, ego-based preferences, soul-based preferences may vary, you are still you and must begin to grasp that you, you, your own savior, and grasp that you are your own savior in life. All of that excitement has beckoned you for so long. And so most shrink back at the thought of releasing that, of dedicating themselves to this one life or the next one, whenever they choose to ascend. The thought of peaceful and abundant life experience, wonderful, fully welcome. Giving up all aspects of third dimension, not quite yet, no, for many. And so there is a sort of split occurring in human experience where some will continue in third dimensional life and some will move on to the next higher dimensional experience. There's another horsey picture. (laughs) Young person on there. Caroline, is that what's holding things up? So we haven't reached critical mass for Nassara yet. Are we at least close to it? St. Germain, you have nearly done so, and yet the hour remains unknown. Caroline, and the doubt and the fear? St. Germain, walk through, dear ones. 
walk right through those doors you yourselves knew would be there and in part helped to fashion. Walk through and say, I accept you, uncertainty. I accept you, the unknown. For this too I came. Embrace all that confounds you, frustrates you, enrages you about earth life now. So we turn the page. And there is much to be bothered by. We comprehend this fully. Send it love, all of it. Give it thanks. In that moment, you hold the power, dear ones, not some unseen force or some dark group of former controllers conspiring behind closed doors. That image strikes you as childish and amusing quite soon now, yet bless them as well. Caroline, walk through the doors, accept all we are feeling now, then release it. St. Germain, of course, how else? You wish to release the density of third dimensional life? All of the many lives you have lived at this level. And so, as with anything you wish to bless and release, come to a place of utter love and compassion. For yourselves, for earth, for the madness of earthly incarnations, and the reckless unpredictability, roughness, strangeness of third dimensional life. Say to these, Yes, I see you. Thank you for all you have given us. We bless you, love you, and release you to your higher good. Then give thanks. Whether or not you see the world sat suddenly shift all around you, do not expect anything other than that you have tended your own garden. Always. That must take precedence over whatever else you do in this life. Caroline, thank you, Lord. Very helpful. Though I feel like crying at all you have said, St. Germain, this too is release. Allow, accept, let go. All is well, dear ones. We are... All of us with you all at all times, Caroline. Namaste, Master St. Germain. Thank you for your kindness today. St. Germain, bowing deeply. We are honored to assist. Namaste. Your journey home nearly done. Mm. All right. And, um, I'll just say, um, uh, Rainbird came on our conference call tonight just to tell everybody that may not have heard that. And she said that the elders that she's been working with are really doing an, an incredible job of transmuting the energies together in our behalf, all, all of us. So I want to pass that on. 
So we're going to pass this talking stick in honor of those elders, all elders, and all the rest of us together, to my dear beloved Rama. What have you got for us tonight, Rama? Um, this is Alan Watts. And what's the subject there, Commander? A message of sanity. <laughs> okay, a message of sanity for all of us, everyone. Here we come. Uh, okay. You, you, you made it go down. Oh. There we go. I can see the basic mistake is that we've invented this wonderful system of language and calculation and that it is at once too simple to deal with the complexity of the world and also we are liable to confuse that system of symbols with the world itself just as we confuse say money with wealth we confuse ourselves as living organisms, which are one with this whole universe, for something we call our personality. And so we get the marriage of an illusion to the falsehood, and that we call ourselves. And no wonder we feel cut off from everything, alienated, frightened of life and death. Because this is the point. You can't transform yourself. You can't make yourself sane. You can't make yourself loving. You can't make yourself unselfish. And yet it's absolutely necessary that we be that way. It's absolutely necessary. If we are going to hand over the direction of nature to nature, which is what it comes to, it's absolutely necessary that we let go of ourselves and it can't be done. Not by anything that we call doing it. So when it comes down to it, it's shocking news for us, for the human race, for our pride. You're only making a mess by trying to put things straight. You're trying to straighten out a wiggly world, and no wonder you're in trouble. So you can't do anything. So you can't transform yourself. And what can you do? What happens when you just wait? There's nothing you can do. You watch. And all you see is what goes on that is happening of itself. You're breathing. The wind is blowing. The trees are waving. Your blood is circulating. Your nerves are tingling. It's all going on itself. But you know, that's you. That's the real you. The you that goes on of itself. So what has to happen is we have to come back to a sane view of our own life, which is the way we really are, an organism functioning in terms of the whole environment, with the whole instead of this funny little separate personality. But how are we going to do that? People say, well, you can't change human nature overnight. 
You're asking us to give up the ego. And that's the most difficult of all things to do. Actually, it isn't. Because the ego doesn't exist. <laughs> the ego doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. This little wonderful uh, sharing that John Baptiste is doing, we'll play it, not tonight. He's got so much to share. A very talented human being, and I'm really glad he won. Okay, so Rama, what have you got for us? This is called Halcyon, the Bright One. And this is a new song you just um, discovered, right? Or something? Are you... I played it maybe once before. Oh, okay. Well, we'll listen. Here we yeah. go. Oh, my goodness. Okay, everyone. Alcyone and the rest of that song name? The Bright One. The Bright One. I mean... Most people don't know who that is. There's somebody singing a song about LCO. Y'all seeing eye of the one. God got us all that is. Okay. So take a chance and join us tomorrow and on Monday evenings about 7 o'clock our time, which is Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. You know the rest on for about three hours, we will share with Cheryl Croce of affirmations, abundance, uh, wonderful music, and uh, celebration. Celebration. So the number is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. So join us. Please, we will be so glad to see you there and keep the energy flowing. And then we'll have that Ashtar Legacy called next Tuesday, the 12th. That's like the peak of this energy building up. And uh, Caroline will be the guest again. So mote it be, everyone. Satnam. Satnam Ki. <laughs> 13 thank yous honey in the heart no evil live long and prosper we love everyone namaste sat nam aloha